Well, at the final table, throngs of fans witnessed Farhad bluffing and reading some of the best players in the world. But as he said, he has trouble with bad players. Hardly anyone would call Chris Moneymaker a bad player now, but when Sam was going heads up against him, he certainly thought he was playing a weaker opponent. And that is the backdrop for the best bluff of the tournament. Flop comes 9-2-6. Farah has made a pair of nines. Chris Moneymaker has nothing and checks. Checks for Farha as well. The turn is an eight. And now they both have a spade draw. 300,000 from Sam Farha. Who has the pair of nines. And Moneymaker also has a straight draw and will raise. There's a 300. No, I raise. Very adamant about his raise. Indeed. Still stacking chips. It's a big raise. Five hundred thousand is the raise. It's quite a play. It's it's sort of a semi bluff. He still could get there on a straight draw or flush draw, but he has nothing right now. And Sam comes right on in. We're gonna see the river card. We said it's gonna be over soon. It may well be, and is a three of hearts. Moneymaker doesn't get to either draw, and the pair of nines is best. Come on. Chris Moneymaker going all in with nothing. A stunning play from Moneymaker, who missed his draws, has nothing, and now has put Sam Farhall all in. He would have to put all his chips in, and if he lost this pot, he would be out of the tournament. Moneymaker bluffed at this once, and Farhall came. He's now bluffing at it again. You must have missed your flush, huh? Sam's absolutely right. This would be a tough, tough call for Sammy. It's quite a predicament for Sammy. He has a pair of nines. It's the best hand, but he can't know that. And if he calls this bet and loses, we're, we're playing for the world championship. If he's wrong, he's out of it. He's the runner-up. So it's really tough just to sit here and call with a pair of nines, particularly when Moneymaker has made two big bets in a row. I'll make a crazy call on you. Could be the best time. Sam Farha trying to draw something out of Chris Moneymaker, but he's like a statue, afraid to make any sort of move. He is not going to do it. Chris Moneymaker bluffs Sam Farha out of a big stack of money. And considering this situation, I know we're early in the century, but that's the bluff of the century. What a play from Chris Moneymaker. Big moment there in poker in 2003. Chris Moneymaker bluffing Sammy Farha heads up in the main event. Moneymaker would go on to win, of course, and change poker forever, creating what was known as the Moneymaker effect, where... Basically, everyone wanted to play poker because an everyman like Chris Moneymaker put in $40 online and ended up the World Series of Poker main event champion. Uh, had that bluff not worked, poker may have been very different because uh, Farha would have doubled up and Moneymaker would have not had that many chips. He probably would have lost and he would have become the runner-up and it would not have been nearly the same story. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff Wittellis. This is being broadcasted live and recorded live at 9.33 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. 
the date November 8th, 2019. The main story tonight is going to be about the World Series. Not necessarily the main event, but about the World Series and a big scandal that came to light today. So you're going to want to hear this. It's a very interesting story. And the fallout has just begun. A lot of big, interesting stories in poker here in this fall of 2019. This one conveniently broke today. If we did the show yesterday, we would have missed it by almost a week. So that's what's good about the show being done today, is it happened to catch this scandal on the same day, and everything's very topical. We, we, we run pretty well with that, where big things happen in poker seemingly like right before we go on. So that actually can help us, where we always seem to be covering things quickly, except when I get sick and miss a few weeks, like I did during the puzzle thing. That was kind of unfortunate. Anyway, we have a free roll going right now. It started, well, it started uh, 19 minutes ago. You still have six minutes to get in, 25 minutes of late registration. So it's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It's $80 this week. $15 came from I Am Greek. $15 came from Willie McFML. And $50 came from Eric Benzamokin, who I just saw uh, over the past week and went to lunch with him. So that was uh, always nice seeing him. And uh, so he gave some more money for the free roll, 50 of which is being used tonight. So thank you very much, Eric. And thank you, I am Greek and Willie McFML. We are paying $37 for first, 20 for second, 13 for third. And, uh, or sorry, did I get that right? I was doing it by memory, and now I'm not, I'm not confident with those numbers. Let me take a look here, make sure I got that right so I don't give you guys the wrong prize information. Now, here we are. Yeah, 37, 20, 13, and 10. I think I did, I did get it right. 37 for first, 20 for second, 13 for third, 10 for fourth place. Adding up to $80 on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Make sure you go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash freeroll, all in lowercase, PokerFraudAlert.com slash freeroll to understand the qualifications to win the free money. Otherwise, you won't get paid. I will send this to you by Zelle, by Cash App, by bank transfer, if your bank can receive from my bank, Bitcoin, or what other method that you might be able to think of, a service that's been around a long time that people use to send each other money on the internet. Something going back about, going back about 20 years. So those are the payment options. If I don't pay you right away, don't panic. I kind of do them all, in once, all at once. Sometimes they take a few weeks, but I'll pay you. If you really need the money from the free roll... Don't count on it right away. I, I have people messaging me saying, and these are, I, I talked last week about someone who was an ingrate about it, but I, I have more polite people, but they still are kind of really wanting to get the money fast to place bets or whatever. And I say, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll do it for you if I can, but really don't count on this money. It's just something extra you're going to get. I, I know some people here are financially struggling and even the, Small free rolls we have can help them, but I'm not guaranteeing quick payment. I'm only guaranteeing that you will get paid. So you still have four more minutes to get in there. The No Fraud Online Poker Room can be found near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. You need a separate account to get in there. If you want to call into the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. That is our number. You can call the Mount Charleston line, which is an old 70s rotary phone, which sits on top of Mount Charleston, 
and forwards to me wherever I go. That phone number is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. The Mount Charleston line is a way to reach me during the show, but no matter which number you call, please wait until I either say to call in or when it seems like we're winding down a segment or in between segments. I usually will ignore the call if I'm in the middle of talking about something because it just doesn't make good radio to interrupt a story and take a totally unrelated phone call. And I never know when your call is coming in if it's going to be one that is relevant to the topic or not. But you can try to let me know. I don't check this constantly during the show, but you can text me at the main phone number of the show, 775-372-8355. I check it a few times during the show. And if I see that you want to call in to talk about a topic I'm currently talking about, then I will take your call when I see your number calling in. You can also text me anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 775-372-8355. Be aware I may read your text on the air unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. The call to listen line can be used to listen to the show live or our streaming reruns when we're not live on the air. You just call up a number and listen. Does not require a computer. Does not require a data plan. Does not require a smartphone. Does not require the internet. And it will not cost you any data if you use it. It's just simply a phone call. 605-313-0736. 605-313-0736 is the call to listen line. Never buffers, never pauses, just plays right on through. There's an alternate number, 641-741-1095. These are tough numbers to remember. Very tough. So go to the radio tab near the top of PokerFraudAlert.com, and every number that I've given out will be listed right there for you to recall. I don't expect you to memorize these unless you have a good memory or unless you dial them all the time and they kind of get etched in your memory. I'm going to give you our agenda, and then we will get going. The Player of the Year disaster. A big scandal going on here. It was an accident, but it's a big scandal. They awarded the Player of the Year, the World Series of Poker Player of the Year, to Daniel Negreanu, and four days later it was discovered, not even by the World Series, but by someone else, that Negreanu was awarded points back in July that he did not deserve. It changed everything. It made the new Player of the Year, Robert Campbell. Negreanu fell to third. Sean Deeb became second. And it turned out that Sean Deeb got royally screwed because had he known the real point totals, he would have played an event very differently and almost surely would have won the player of the year. So he's furious. I will give you the reactions from all these guys. I will explain how it happened. And we will even have Alan Kessler on to discuss with me how this occurred, what it all means, and what it will mean for the future. There's a small update in the Mike Possel and Stone's cheating scandal that we talked about so much last month. People have asked, well, where'd it go? What, what happened to that huge story? Well, there's just nothing further to say. It's it's kind of stuck and neutral right now. But uh, a little bit of an update, which I will give you. Poker vlogger Mark Ari, I don't know if this is his real name, but that's what he goes by, Mark Ari, was arrested while streaming. He was actually streaming on his phone, live streaming onto YouTube, and he was arrested, and you got to hear him being arrested, and even see a little bit of the arrests while he was walking around. I don't know if he's out of jail yet, but uh, he was acting very erratically, very crazy, and something is definitely wrong with Mark Ari. The heads-up sit-and-go dream machine, something that sounds good but actually is a cheating tool, was used in a bot ring that was exposed by a former accomplice 
through an anonymous YouTube video. So I'm going to play that video and read to you what it says. There's a, the, the sound on the video is irrelevant, but I'm going to read to you what it says in the video. You will understand how the cheating was taking place, and I'll explain it further. And I'll tell you what to watch out for when you play online regarding this type of cheat. The Free Rolls Poker Club, which it's called that, but it's not really about free rolls. The Free Rolls Poker Club, which is a poker room in Texas, is seeking investors after a very large loss thus far. They want you to invest in it. We covered them previously. They had that ridiculous fail where they accidentally gave away a $250,000 prize before realizing that they screwed up and the winner hadn't actually won. They ended up not giving away the money, but they came very close to doing so, and they tweeted out the picture of the winner. It was very embarrassing for them. You can invest in this wonderful company, and I will give you the details when we get to that segment. Former World Series of Poker main event champ from the, from the late 70s and former Bellagio president Bobby Baldwin is going to be the director of gaming for the casino The Drew in Las Vegas. You may say The Drew. I've never heard of The Drew. Well, The Drew's not complete yet and won't be complete for more than two years, but I will tell you about The Drew and what Bobby Baldwin will be doing there. Poker Stars Pennsylvania is now a reality. It is now up and running. Many people thinking it's going to be huge and that it's, at least in Pennsylvania, the return of online poker as we once knew it to the U.S. But the real question, will it succeed or will it be an epic failure or somewhere in between? We will discuss that. A member of my Vegas Casino Talk forum, that's VegasCasinoTalk.com, that's another forum I run, that member was denied seven stars for being overcomped. This is someone who completed all the requirements to become a seven stars at Caesars and was denied it and left at Diamond. So I'll discuss what happened there and give you some tips if you want to earn seven star of what you should and should not do. The win and Encore Las Vegas are now using the unpopular, in my opinion, unethical, no-change ticket redemption machine for redeeming people's tickets. So if you have a ticket that is, say, $73.59, it will spit out $73, and it will spit out a separate voucher for $0.59 cents that you have to go stand in line to redeem. I bet you know what happens there. So we'll talk about these unethical no-change machines and whether they're soon going to become the norm in Las Vegas. Encore Boston, which was first known to have one of these machines, is nevertheless on pace to make a lot of money in its first year, but it's still falling short of the initial projections. So is it Encore Boston a success or a failure? We will discuss that. Finally, Jim McAdvale, also known as the Mattress King, placed a $13 million bet on the Houston Astros, who then promptly blew a Game 7 lead in the late innings to lose the World Series to the Washington Nationals, and there went Jim McInvale's $13 million. But before you feel too bad for him, was this bet really what it appeared to be? Or did he really not care about the result either way? I will explain that bet and the circumstances surrounding it as our final segment for the evening. So I'm going to put on Trader Ruski, and then we're going to get right into discussing the WSOP Player of the Year disaster. Uh, then we'll put on Alan Kessler for his comment on it. And... That's our show for the evening. Thank you for joining us. If you are a new listener who found us last week because of the Chicago Joey interview, welcome. I know a few of you 
said you're going to come back this week and listen. So hopefully you're among those listening right now or listening later in the archives. I guess I did forget to tell you the ways you can listen to the show. You can listen using well live you can listen you can listen using the call to listen line as I mentioned already. You can go to the radio tab on pokerfraudalert.com and it'll either autoplay for you or if it doesn't autoplay just click one of the links for your device to listen live and you can listen live. If you are listening in the archives if you want to find it in podcast format, then you can do it in several ways. You can get it through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Bullhorn. These are all apps you can get on your smartphone to listen to the show. You can also play or download the MP3 file of the show directly from Poker Fraud Alert. Uh, there's buttons to do all of these things on the radio tab if you scroll down to where it says archives. And... Let me know if there's another way that you'd like to listen to the show, and I will provide it to you. TuneIn can also be used to listen live, and Amazon Alexa is another option. Amazon Alexa can be used to listen to the live show, say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio, or you can listen to the archives, the last show that we had in archive format, say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio podcast, and it'll play the last episode put in the archives. I always get people asking me, explain why you mispronounce archives. Why do you pronounce it as archives? It's, it's an inside joke. I explained it last week. If you want to hear that thing, go bring up that show and listen. Okay, so I'm going to go find Trader Ruski, and we will get going with our program. Trader Ruski likes the Friday night thing we've been doing recently. It's, it's a lot easier for him than during the week. You have reached Stone's Gambling Hall, Sacramento's what? newest premier program. <laughs> How'd that Please happen? Listen the new Somehow I called Stone's Gambling Hall. Wait, I'm calling a lot of people. Hold on. Oh. Yeah, hold on. Right. Drop. I, I called a lot of people here, it looks like, accidentally. <laughs> what is going on here? Oh my gosh, i got to hang up on the whole thing. Oh, okay. I accidentally connected Eric Benzamokin, Trader Ruski, uh, some other person I don't even know. If I rang your phone in the middle of the night, I'm really sorry. That's that's uh, the idiosyncrasies of Skype. I apologize, Eric, by the way, for that call. I was going to leave. I was actually going to leave Eric on, but once it started ringing with a lot of people, <laughs> you know, I was like, no, 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 I, I can't leave like five phones ringing at once. Some people probably who don't want to be called at this time of night. I'm really sorry about that. It's Blame Skype, not me. If, if I was still using this Skype, which worked normally, if I could find a version of Skype that would work normally, then we wouldn't have these issues. Very sorry. But a little bit entertaining for the listeners that I just, like, bombed five people with phone calls that weren't expecting it. Okay, so Trader Risky, hello. How's it going? It's going pretty good, especially because I was so happy to see that such a big story in poker occurred on the day of radio. It, it just makes me feel so good when I see that happen. I hate when I've completed a show and then something big happens. Like, oh, no, it's another six and a half days till we'll be on again. And I feel like by the time we talk about it, it'll be long past and no one's going to care or it's going to be behind the uh, everybody else covering it. And But here here we are, just like people people are m messaging me. I, I actually saw this. I, I saw it very quickly because Matt Glantz tweeted about it, and I happened to be looking at Twitter when he tweeted about it, so I, I saw it very quickly. And then 
as the day went on, others sent me this story, not knowing if I had heard about it or not. And I said, yeah, we're doing it on radio tonight. And it just felt so good to tell everybody, we're doing it on radio tonight. He'd be like, here we are. It happened, and now here we are covering it. So what I'm talking about is the, the player of the year, the World Series of Poker player of the year, not the GPI player of the year, but the World Series of Poker player of the year, which only has to do with World Series events and other events associated with the World Series, such as World Series of Poker Europe. Certain people who want to win this really badly and put a lot of time and money into it, like an insane amount of time and money, given that there's no real prize for it other than a banner in the Rio. And that's, that's actually pretty amazing that there is such uh, enthusiasm about this and put people put so much time and money into this. so important to some people. There's only like a small subset of the poker community, a very small subset, but uh, some deep pocketed pros are really into trying to win player of the year. And in order to be able to do so, not only do you have to invest more than a million dollars in buy-ins, but you also have to travel the world and play every event you can, keep rebuying and re-entering if you don't cash. If you can't seem to run deep, you have to at least try to min-cash. You need to basically go everywhere it goes and play as many events as you can and not take breaks. It's a very grueling and expensive and inconvenient thing to have to do, but nevertheless, some do it. Also, they can be World Series of Poker Player of the Year. Now, I've already criticized this in recent weeks that I think the whole system is broken and needs to be fixed. But that's not really what today's story is about. Something new happened today that is mind-boggling that it could even happen. This is something I never thought of was even possible. I didn't think this could even be something that had even a small percentage chance of happening. I thought this was just something that absolutely could not happen. And that is... It turned out that Daniel Negreanu, who was crowned World Series of Poker Player of the Year, was not really World Series of Poker Player of the Year, because it turned out they gave him credit for cashing in a tournament he did not actually cash in. (laughs) And you ask, how could that happen? How could that happen? I had always thought, prior to today, that the entire process was automated, that the World Series of Poker, which, of course, is computerized. when you, If you've ever played at the World Series, you know you go register, and they print out a ticket for you, and it keeps track of the fact that you're in the events, and when you cash, uh, they know exactly how much to pay you, and they issue a tax form, if necessary, with the right amount, and you get Player of the Year points, which you presume you're just automatically getting based upon the place you finished. At this point, I don't think anyone pictured that there's any kind of manual entry by human beings in this process. It just seems like everything's very automatic and computerized, and there's no way it can make a mistake. So you trust the player of the year point calculations because a computer is doing it. And unless somehow the computer is compromised or hacked, which, by the way, did not happen here, then you think, okay, it's going to be accurate. There's no point to even go back and double-check. Well, apparently, yes, there is a manual entry of some data for the World Series of Poker Player of the Year, which is astounding in the year 2019, and everybody just learned about today. So, as I mentioned, Daniel Negreanu was given, I think, 213 points for a tournament uh, during the main World Series in Las Vegas, an online tournament, that he did not actually cash in. And these were points he didn't deserve, and these were points that it was believed that he had coming into the final event. So everybody who was shooting for the 
Player of the Year title. There were three people in contention at the very end, and that was him, a guy who won two bracelets named Robert Campbell, and Sean Deeb. Those are the three. And it came down to the final event, and in that event, Sean Deeb was running deep. And Sean Deeb was told, according to calculations, that he was going to have to finish fifth in order to win Player of the Year. That Negranu had won it, and that if Deeb managed to finish fifth or better in that event where he was running deep, that he would be the Player of the Year. And this is something that Deeb was really shooting for. He was doing everything he needed to do to try to be Player of the Year. All the traveling, all the rebuys. He was one of those people who was really, really trying for it. This isn't just something he kind of fell into because he did well. Uh, so was Negranu, so were other people. But Deeb knew that the thing he's been trying to do all year was within his reach, and very much in his reach, because he was third in chips with 11 left in the final event, and he needed to finish in fifth to be the winner, so he was told. So he said, okay, and it, and it wasn't just he was told that. He saw by the point values that that really was the number of points he needed, finishing fifth or better to win player of the year. Third out of 11 in chips. Now, when you're third out of 11 in chips, you can't just keep folding and automatically make fifth because the blinds are big and it's still a while away from fifth. So he has to play hands. And unfortunately for Sean Deeb, he did not get to fifth or anywhere near there. He finished either 10th or 11th. So he did not become player of the year. And he was disappointed, but that's the way poker goes. And he dealt with it. Yeah, he, he finished uh, 11th. That's what it was. It was at the what they called the Colossus over there. Not even a big event, a 550 euro entry event. And he finished in 11th and got 169.50 player points. He actually uh, needed to finish 5th and get 207.98 player points. So that's a difference of about almost 40 points, which isn't a lot, but they were all so close that... Uh, Fifth was what he thought he needed. Well, it turned out that because Negranu was awarded 213 points he didn't really deserve, that he wasn't actually chasing Negranu. He was already ahead of Negranu. He already had it clinched to be ahead of Negranu. He just had to pass Robert Campbell. And all he needed to pass Robert Campbell was ninth, not fifth. Ninth was only a difference of 10 points. But that's all he needed. Well, ninth is a very, very big difference from fifth when you're down to the final 11 and you're third in chips. When it's ninth, you can just fold to the money. If this is what you're shooting for and you're okay with just folding everything and not really shooting to win the tournament until you've locked up that ninth place, yes, you can fold to the money. You can even fold aces. And that's what he would have done. He was close enough to that ninth place and he had enough chips where he could have just sat there and stalled and unless something really unusual happened where just nobody was busting for a long time he could have folded to ninth place and been guaranteed player of the year which is what he's been trying for the entire time but he thought he had to finish fifth so he had to play some hands they didn't go well and he ended up out 11th and he finished uh, in third place behind Robert Campbell, and what he thought was behind Daniel Negreanu. 
Well, it was just discovered today that Negranu, who was crowned player of the year, had that extra cash in there that should not have been. Now, keep in mind, it was it was on uh, November 4th that Negranu was named player of the year. Here now on November 8th, just four days later, it was discovered of that phantom cash. A person on Twitter named Alex Elensky, I don't know this person, but they tweeted out at 2.36 a.m. Pacific Time today, November 8th, you should check number 68. According to official report, Daniel got 213.1 points, but he didn't cash there. All places from 32nd to 46 in number 68, referring to event number 68, are messed up with number 87, which I'll explain what that means. He's basically saying they swapped results from a different event and that uh, Daniel got points he didn't deserve which I'll explain shortly. So basically, uh, Daniel got 213 points for event 68 that he didn't deserve at all. He should have gotten no points for event number 68. Well, that 213 points, as you might guess, uh, is a big difference here whenever it was so close. So that locked up Negranu as, uh, as player of the year, so he thought, provided that Deeb didn't finish fifth, which he didn't. And he thought he had it, but once you take away the 213 points, uh, Negreanu actually finishes third. <laughs> so, so this affected three people. Robert Campbell, I guess, was affected positively. He had a, the disappointment for a few days of thinking he was not the player of the year, but he got the pleasant surprise that he was. So for him, it wasn't too traumatic. He woke up to good news. For Negreanu... Very disappointing, especially after he was uh, doing his victory laps on the internet about being player of the year and how proud he is and blah, blah, blah. And then he sits there for four days believing he's player of the year and then is actually not. So that's got to be heart-wrenching for him, though at least Negranu knows that he really wasn't the player of the year. Now, he I'll tell you shortly why that still sucks for him and why he still got screwed a little bit. But he didn't get screwed anywhere near as much as Sean Deeb. Whether you like Sean Deeb or hate Sean Deeb, there's no doubt that he got screwed here really badly for the reason I just told you, that he could have folded to ninth place with the position he was in at that point and locked up player of the year, which is what he wanted. Instead, he had to play for fifth, didn't run well, and... When they fixed the error on uh, Negranu's phantom 213 points, Deeb finished slightly behind Robert Campbell, who ended up becoming the player of the year. And Sean Deeb didn't even find this out until he got off a plane. I guess he was he was flying back from Europe, but he, he lands and his phone's blowing up and he says, oh my God, I can't believe that. I mean, anyone would be pissed about this in his position, but knowing Sean Deeb and how he gets pissed very easily and he gets frustrated very easily and he gets emotional very easily. Can you imagine when Sean Deeb found out? I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when he found out about this. But I will say that I even felt bad for him, even though Sean Deeb does not care for me very much, even though we've had some public disagreements on social media. I have to say that I still felt bad for him. That is really, really, really brutal. And it's unforgivable that the World Series could have allowed this to happen. 
especially something that's so high profile that they promote so much. And for this to not be fully automated is insane. So this whole thing broke today. And there's been already a lot of fallout from it. We're going to call Kessler shortly, by the way, regarding this. But I want to get a few more things out before we attempt to call him. So you have to understand, these people who are putting all this time, effort, and money into it, for whatever reason, Player of the Year is important to them. Some may feel that they can make some of the money back through endorsements if they are Player of the Year. Some may feel that they just want to accomplish it. They want to have their banner up in the Rio. They want that to just pad their poker resume. Whatever it is, they are putting a lot of time, money, and energy and travel into trying to become Player of the Year. So to have this whole thing screwed up to where no matter what, the winner of this didn't really get a pure win. That's not Robert Campbell's fault, who's now the new winner, but that it there's going to be like an asterisk on his win because someone else easily could have won if they had the right information is shameful. The fact that they would have publicly named a winner who turned out to be in third place is shameful. The fact that this is not an automated process that would prevent this from occurring is shameful. So how did this happen? I will tell you. Uh, Joey Ingram tweeted, how could the WSOP have, have the correct result and points on July 15th and then July 16th results for an online event two weeks earlier are changed? So this is what happened. Um, well, you'll see what I mean by the two weeks or what he meant by the two weeks. Seth Polanski, who is the VP of marketing for, for the World Series of Poker, he said, this is on me, Joey. The first 15 people to cash in event 87, spots 32 through 46, were instead uploaded into event number 68 by our mistake on the back end. <laughs> Essentially, it was a human error in picking the wrong event. Just so happened to include Negranu among the 15. What a freaking mess. So they actually had the correct results for two weeks. Event number 87 overwrote those incorrect results. That's the funniest part, that they actually had it right at first. And then they overwrote the correct results for those 15 spots, 32 to 46, into the event 68, making it look like that Negranu had cashed in both. And that is where the problem occurred. So that's insane. That's that's just insane that that could happen. And the, he mentioned there's a human element to it. And that's what's really bothersome. That's what's really, really bothersome here is this was not a some kind of unforeseeable computer error. This was a, a human error which caused this to happen. It's been since corrected on the WSOP site. The event number seven they're talking about, 87, not seven. The event number 87 they're talking about is the $3,000 horse event that uh, started on July 14th, 2019. And Negranu finished 36th to cash for uh, $47.34. Doesn't sound that significant, but that still got him points when they were all close. That made a big difference. 
So let me see if I can still find this on Hendon Mob. They, they took it off WSB.com, that phantom cache. But let me see if, I, if it's still on, uh, on Hendon Mob. And so, Jeff, are you saying they did have it? It was automated. And then they went in and physically changed it? Or they put the right information in annually first and then changed it? Okay, that's a good question. No, what they did was they uh, they had to do the process of uploading it each time from online events. Apparently, the online system is not integrated with the player of the year system. So when the online events are over, they actually have to upload that information to the player of the year system. And someone picked the wrong event to do it, so someone actually manually selected 87 to their information to upload to, to event number 68. And somehow, I don't know how that happened, but somehow that's what happened, and it overwrote the information. So there actually was a human who had to take the results that came from the online event and then, I guess, click on a, the, the player of the year system and upload it into there and associate the two, and they misassociated them. That's how it happened, is that there's no automatic integration between the online events and the World Series of Poker Player of the Year system, which causes a human to have to transfer it over, and that human made a mistake, and, and there we have it. So that's that's how it occurred. And if you think about it, this is crazy. This, this is crazy. The excuse is, well, if you think about it online, people aren't playing under their real name. They're playing under screen names. So it has to translate the screen names to the real names and, and uh, in some cases uh, validate that the, the persons who, who they say they are. So uh, that has to be done manually to get over to the player of the year system. That's BS. They could easily write something to convert it, to convert the data that is held in their player records because they know who each screen name is. They, they have that information in their records. They, they could easily have... Uh, uh, something that they could write that wouldn't even be very difficult. They, I, don't, they, I know that they're borrowing 888 software, but they still have control of their own data. They could hire their own person to write something to take that information from their system and to convert it and transfer it over automatically where there's no chance of this mistake occurring. But here someone had – it sounds like someone had to manually select which event – that it would trans transfer these results to for the player of the year, and that's what ended up happening. That that they somehow they picked uh, eighty seven instead of sixty eight, and there you go, <laughs> which is just insane. In case you're wondering, what is event number sixty eight, or what was event number sixty eight? Number sixty eight was the thousand dollar buy in WSOP online no limit hold'em championship event for so. That's the one he got credit for cashing in. And in reality, I don't know if he played it or not, but he didn't cash in that event. He really cashed in a live event, the 3,000 horse, event number 87, about two weeks later. Event number 68 started on June 30th, and exactly two weeks later was the 3,000 horse. And somehow the 32nd through 46th place finishers. I don't understand why only them. That's what's also weird. I, I don't exactly know how this system works, but somehow only the 32nd through 46th place finishers from Event 87 were, were manually uploaded into this uh, Player of the Year system, which makes even less sense. Now, now that I think about it, as I say it out loud, 
their explanation doesn't even make that much sense because are, are they also uploading from their from their live events too? Because how'd this even get there? Like, I would understand if the reverse occurred. I would understand if something from the online overwrote um, a regular event. But here it's, it seems like that they uploaded something to the uh, – it, it must all be stored in the same – I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's, it's kind of reverse of the way I was thinking before. I, I still – maybe they have to manually upload everything. Really weird. It has, it has to be that, right? Yeah, I guess because – Right, because this was a, this was a, they overwrote from a live event to the online, not an online to live. I, I I didn't think of that until I was looking at this as I was saying it. Wow, there's some manual process here that should not be manual. That's that's the bottom line. That's crazy. So, right. So every event they're taking and manually putting in. Yeah, that's kind of what it looks like to me. They they haven't clarified as far as I know. Maybe we'll get Kessler on who can see what he knows about this. Uh, I I only had limited time to look into this today. This is a story that just broke today, so I didn't have as much time to research this as I usually. That's that's one downside of it happening the day of radio. But wow, like uh, what an embarrassing fail for the WSOP that they name a Player of the Year, and not only is that incorrect, and he didn't really win, but the incorrect calculation of points cause someone to play differently who could have locked it up and ended up finishing second. That's just really, really terrible. And it's a huge black eye for the player of the year thing, which was already under criticism. There's already criticism about the whole process of computing points. But this is just beyond that. So I I, I can't believe this happened. I, I've said before with Caesars that they always find new ways to fail. They always impress me with the creative ways they find to fail. If there's a way to fail, Caesars finds a way to do it. Here's what Seth Polanski said to give further information. If you have used drop-down menus, that's the way it works. For WSOP, we had 90 drop-down menus for the 90 different events. Instead of selecting event 87 when doing results for that event, initially we input the data for event 68, overriding spots 32 to 46, 180, 180 players cash in event 68. So yeah, it sounds like they have to do it for each one. That's what it sounds like. Wow. I thought it was just the online events. Here, here for, for all of them, you have to do it. And it seems like they're doing it 15 at a time? It's not even overriding all the information. It's Okay, so, so then Joey Ingram says back, It sounds like that you have to copy 15 names from one area, choose event 68 on the menu, see the results are there, scroll to 32 to 46, then paste these results, then realize it wasn't correct, then go to, to, to event 87, paste the result 32 to 46, and then paste 16 to 31 for the other bust-outs? <laughs> and Seth says, This all gets verified and double-checked 24 to 48 hours after the event ends to confirm data. But two weeks later, finding slots 32 to 46 when there are 180 cashers and noticing the difference is tough for humans. We will see if we can build a query to find errors like this in the future. I mean, no, that's not what you should be doing. You should you should make it automated. You shouldn't be trying to catch errors. You should just make it so it's automated so errors can't occur. So Joey says back, you're saying that someone accidentally copy-pasted an update file in the wrong menu without realizing it for 32 to 46 in the online event and couldn't realize it because they couldn't see what they input? This makes it sound like it happened because the results take a few days to get verified, and two weeks later, Daniel's results were input on accident while someone was inputting results for the horse event. Yeah, so yeah, Joey's bringing up a good point there, that uh, it sounds like they, they 
for 68, they did verify it two weeks later. But then somehow it got uploaded, overriding it from two weeks prior, and no one verified those results again. Seth said it happened because of a human made a data entry error, nothing more or nothing less. Wish we caught it or it was brought to our attention sooner. It was an accident, and if Daniel had finished in 31st place instead of 36th, it wouldn't have impacted player of the year. Yeah, but he didn't finish 31st, and it did It did impact it. <laughs> I don't think he's getting... I don't think Seth is really getting the real problem here, and that this should not be something that can occur in 2019. This should be something that just absolutely cannot happen. I don't think anyone realized that they're manually uploading data from their World Series events to the Player of the Year system. How hard could it be to automatically copy it over. And it really sounds like they're doing data entry like 15 at a time, like Joey said. Wow. That's why it's only 32 to 46. Is it really that primitive to where they're copying at 15 results at a time? What about something like uh, the World Series of Poker main event or the, the Big 50? Are, are they really doing 15 at a time for, for thousands of people cashing? I guess they are. What a mess. This, this sounds like a mistake that would occur in, in 1985, not in 2019. I'd never possibly guessed this could happen. Obviously, Seth is not going to play up how bad this error was because he works for the World Series and doesn't want to make the World Series look worse than it already does in this situation. I'm just surprised that nobody says, hey, you know what? This isn't very smart that we're manually uploading these things. Maybe we should change this before an error like this occurs. And amazingly, it doesn't sound like they're planning to change it for next year. It sounds like they're going to go, okay, we're, we're going to come up with better, better verification protocols for next year. Okay, how about just automating it? That would fix a lot of these problems. And it's really a big problem because players can follow how many points they have and figure out coming into the final events, especially the very last event, how many points they actually need. And you need 100% accuracy if players are doing that because it does change the strategy. And you can't say, well, if he had finished this, then it wouldn't have been a problem. They were playing to win player of the year. They're counting on accurate data. And they're adjusting their play style to make it the highest chance that they're going to get that many points. Sure, you can say, oh, I play to win the tournament, but that's very hard to win tournaments. So sometimes if you don't need to win, then you play differently to get to the place you need to get. For example, if you needed to just min cash to lock up the player of the year, you would play very different than if you had to final table. For min cash, you would just find a way to survive and not risk very, very many ships. Th- this is really a big mess. Really, really very embarrassing. And the only good that will come of this is that I think this will hasten the change of the whole Player of the Year format. Today, Daniel Negranu had a talk with Seth Polanski on the phone about this and also just 
reforming player of the year in general. And he claims it was a positive conversation and they're going to strongly consider reforming it. Here's what Robert Campbell, the eventual World Series of Poker Player of the Year winner, wrote at the time that he thought he was finishing the runner-up. And his only issue at the time was that the format was crappy as far as the way people earn points. He said, I've been getting asked a lot of questions regarding the 2019 Player of the Year race. I hope this will cover most of them. However, before, I'd like to, before I start this, I'd like to congratulate Daniel Negreanu. He played to win, and he won. Daniel has a lot of fans and a lot of detractors, but at the end of the day, he is an overwhelming net positive for the game. He puts a lot of time and effort into his personal brand, and that brand is very important to the game of poker. As for finishing second, am I disappointed? Of course. Of course I thought about whether I should have tried to play more tournaments in Las Vegas, especially the big field, no limit, or tried harder to cash or ladder up in specific events or what have you. Of course, I was a little rocked when I woke up on day two of the Colossus to find out that Daniel had not only got through flight one with his last bullet, but he'd also achieved an average stack courtesy of a double on the last hand the last night with ace-king versus 8-8. Normally, I don't view things this way, but when a single hand takes you from 90% to win player of the year down to 5%, it hurts. Well, I bet that hurt healed pretty quickly now. At the start of the summer, my intention was to play 23 events, all of them fixed limit except the main event. It was only after I won the second bracelet that I decided to start playing more tournaments in effort to win player of the year. By the end of Las Vegas, I'd, pl- uh, I'd played 31 tournaments and spent 144k in buy-ins in Europe. Uh, sorry, 144k in buy-ins in Europe. I played 12 events and spent 116,000 euro. The campaign is far, by far, the most expensive of my career since I started playing the World Series of Poker seriously in 2016. As for next year, do I t- intend to chase Player of the Year? No, I will go to Las Vegas with the same intention I had this year. I'd like to wake up 100% rested and play my very best. I enjoy playing at a high level. That's why I do my work so I can constantly improve, and that's what I like doing. I want to gain as much value from the tournaments that I enter as possible. I enjoy that. I enjoy playing against my regular opponents in the early levels and having our little knife fights. What he's talking about here is he was saying, I was not going for this. This was not going to be me traveling the world and entering as many times as possible, blah, blah, blah. I just, I just happened to luck into doing really well at the, at the World Series in Las Vegas, and then at that point I had to then start really speeding up my schedule. And entering a lot more events to try to chase player of the year. So he says next year is the same thing. If he happens to luck into doing really well like he did this year, then he'll chase it. Otherwise, forget it. He said regarding the point structure of player of the year, it depends what direction the World Series of Poker wants to, the award to take. If you want it to be a race or leaderboard chase, then that's what the current system supports. It'll be contested by 10 or so people that chase it every year with the outside chance of random such as myself has a big year. This is not entirely bad from a marketing perspective. This allows the World Series of Poker brand to more easily build stars. You could also go down the route where you make it more like tennis, where you only count X number of results. I'll say a few things with the latter. Obviously, this is a conflict, of the world, a conflict for the World Series. It doesn't promote rake. Secondly, any system that discourages players from attending the World Series of Poker Europe is an even stronger conflict of interest. So if you're going to enforce something like a 12-event cap on players' points, I would create a stipulation that a minimum of two of those results had to, had to be attained in Europe. One thing I'd like to see would be the World Series of Poker trying to generate a bit more interest in the 10K buy-in events at the World Series. I would have put them on the rail so fans can easily see them, I'd bring in a neat casual dress code and even a championship leader report unto itself. Yeah, forget the dress code. (laughs) That's never going to happen. Those events are uh, supposed to be prestigious, yet there were multiple instances of final tables being played on regular tables, which I feel is completely unacceptable. I think all final tables should be played on stage. In closing, I'd like to thank the World Series of Poker, the Rio and Kings for a fantastic tournament series. I had one of the most exciting years of my life and an incredible experience and made some great new friends. 
I certainly have nothing to complain about with 13 caches, t- six top 10 finishes, and two bracelets. That's better results than my previous three years combined. Okay, so this was before he knew he won. And obviously, he probably has a different opinion right now. <laughs> but he, he probably still wants to see it changed. Like, especially since he's not one of the people who's planning on chasing this every year. Most of the points he brought up were good. I, I don't agree they should have a dress code for these 10K events at the World Series. and uh, But I understand. But let, let's get to Sean Deeb's response. Because this is getting very controversial right here. So Sean Deeb landed, and he couldn't believe it when he found out the truth of what happened. He said, I just landed in the States. This is at 4.11 p.m. today, Pacific Time. And I'm in shock. I'm really frustrated Time to check all my caches and see if they missed any. I know there was a 1500 six max that was missing from 25k fantasy for a while, so he's kind of hoping, out, holding out hope he could find us uh, some kind of missing cache that'll put him over the top. But yeah, good luck with that. He said two things. It's amazing Daniel wouldn't bet with me on Player of the Year because he was afraid I would cheat when he's the one who is caught trying to cheat. What? How is Daniel cheating? Second, the only acceptable move from the World Series of Poker is to co-player of the year with me and Robert Campbell. Hmm. Well, let's talk about these two things. What he means by Daniel cheating is he believes that Daniel knew the entire way that he got these extra points, that Daniel was looking at his results and saw that one there that didn't belong and shrugged his shoulders and said, you know what? It would be really, really helpful for me to be player of the year, and I really need these 213 points. So it'll just be a case of uh, don't ask, don't tell. I'm not going to say anything, and if I get these points, I get these points, and great. If I win, I win, and hopefully no one ever catches it, and if it gets caught, then I'll pretend I didn't know. That's that's what Sean Deeb thinks that Negreanu did. Does Sean Deeb have any evidence that Negreanu did this? Last I saw, no. Should he be making these accusations against Negranu? No, because he does not know what Negranu saw and did not saw see. And even though he can have his suspicions, he can't make such an accusation when he simply doesn't know. And it's, they never told everybody, make, you know, check your results, make sure they're correct. So it's very believable that Daniel did not know. It's very believable that he just trusted the point total, trust, didn't bother looking at his... Uh, Results that were listed, that he knew his results, that he was just looking at a point total, that he had no reason to double-check it. Is it possible he did see it and said nothing? Yes. But we don't know. And you can't make that accusation unless you have a reason to believe that he knew. So Sean should not have said that. As far as being co-players of the year with him and Robert Campbell, I partially agree with that and partially not. Robert Campbell, he actually won it. Negranu could have played differently had he known he didn't have the 213 points, and he could have possibly won it. And for sure, Sean Deeb could have won it by just folding to ninth place when he was third in chips out of 11 in the final event. If they make a co-player of the year, then somebody gets screwed. There's no question. If they leave Robert Campbell as the player of the year, then for sure Deeb gets screwed and Negreanu gets a little screwed. If they make all three of them co-players of the year, then both Campbell and Deeb get screwed. Campbell because he actually won when it was all played out, and 
D because he easily could have won had he known the right way it was. So there's no way to do this without someone getting screwed. I don't even know the right thing to do. At first I was thinking maybe Deeb is correct and they should make it co-player of the year. But now I'm thinking maybe not. Now I'm thinking that they just have to leave it how it is. And it's just unfortunate. Because Negreanu can say the same thing. Not not as, as strongly as Deeb could say it. But Negreanu, and I'll read you his blog shortly. Negreanu is making the point that there were certain hands he could have played differently if he thought he was behind and had to catch up. And I understand that. That's the problem. But uh, before we get into that part of it, let's see if we can reach Alan Kessler and get his opinion on this one and his opinion about the whole thing because he said he wanted to talk about this. And I'd love to know what he thinks they should do ultimately with the award because I'm not even sure what to do. Even if I was allowed to make the decision myself, I'm not even sure what the right decision would be at this point. There's... No way to do this where someone doesn't get kind of screwed in some way. Alan Kessler, hello. Hello. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. It's been a while since you've been on here. And I wanted to get your opinion on what they should do about who gets player of the year. What's fair at this point? What's fair at this point? Yeah. Uh, The only thing fair at this point is to give it to Campbell, even though... He really didn't win it, but what do it's you th- a really weird situation. If things happen like three or four days sooner, Steve would have won it, or maybe the whole thing would be different if they all knew about it a week before that. So there's no really way to solve it, but obviously they're going to give it to uh, Robert Campbell at this point. Now, do you think yeah, that do you think that uh, Deeb has a reasonable request that they make him and Campbell co-players of the year, since he could have probably folded to the money, or not folded to ninth place, not the money, and 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 locked it up for himself that he was such a high percentage to win, uh, had he known the, no, the real point no, values? That, that makes zero sense because he played a super aggressive style to get to that point to try to get the fifth, so he never would have even had those chips if he knew that was the situation. So, so you think if he knew he had to get to ninth that he wouldn't have uh, had as many chips when he... Uh... No, he wouldn't have played. Like he, he was talking on the, on the Joe Ingram podcast just now. He said uh, earlier in the day he had uh, re-raised all in with Jack 10 against a Queens Open because he knew, knew he needed a lot of chips to get to fifth place. So obviously the whole thing is different. You can't just say, well, if he knew that exact day, of course he would have won it. But like, you can't just make him co player of the year that's ridiculous yeah that's a good point that's that's a good point if i had kind of neglected that fifth and ninth are are that much different but but yeah it does make sense that if if he thought fifth was so hard to get compared to ninth that uh, but the question what if it was ninth you think he would have played the same you think he would have played the much less aggressive yeah i mean the thing is he was trying to get to fifth from fifth to first so obviously that Jack Nine play made sense in order to do that. If he knew the exact morning of the of the of the day three that he needed ninth or better, then of course it's different. But also other people play differently if they knew earlier in the, in the game that the points were wrong. So you you can't change it. There's there's zero chance of a co-player of the year business. And uh, Campbell, even though he backed into it, he somehow won player of the year. Yeah, that's. Do you think it's crazy here that they actually would be uh, – that the, the, it's manually entered? I mean, isn't that insane? That they actually what? That they manually enter 
the data between the systems instead of automatically transferring it to where this couldn't happen? No, what happens is they have the uh, final printout of who cashed in what. So somebody cuts and pastes the names from one list into another list. It doesn't automatically get... Well, that's what I'm saying. Should, but, but why isn't it automatic? That's really dumb. Because it has to go into some calculator program. I mean, that's just the way it is. But it doesn't have to be... To be it, it, I, see, I disagree. It doesn't have to be that way. A computer could easily do this work. They just don't have the system to do it. Yeah, I would assume it would require some extra programming, but you, you think after all these years it would be automatic. But yeah, that's even what I'm the, saying. Um, even the uh, 25K Fantasy Draft, which has a similar point system, uh, a lot of that is done manually, and there's people that are in the draft always find mistakes. But they're always they're all watching out for it because they have $25,000 on the line. There's real no real money on the line in this other player of the year contest. Um, yeah, that's, just profit, yeah, that's I mean, they obviously had a, a poor verification process, and the fact that it's manually entered is, is just crazy to me. So... Um, I mean, this, have you heard about, uh, are they going to make changes to prevent this next year? I, I saw Seth Polanski said something about, uh, we'll verify it better, but uh, is there anything further that's been committed to that you know of? Uh, no, I'm, I'm sure, though, when it gets down to, like, uh, like the top 20, maybe they'll have somebody verify it every once a week or so where, where the points are, something like that. I mean, it's really simple to verify. Basically, for Negrano, all you had to do was, take his 23 caches and put them in uh, one by one and see how many points he earned. It's not that difficult. Now, does this player of the year also include the circuit events or only the, the World Series of Poker Europe and, and the Las Vegas one? Europe and the Rio. Okay, see, I had thought it was circuit all the way up till now. But then I was seeing, like, no the circuit, circuit caches. The circuit, so. is a, the circuit is another whole player of the year thing where they, um, if you get in the top 50, you get a, a, a quote-unquote $10,000 seat that's worth 8000 Okay. See, that's making more sense here. Okay, well, I mean, that's it's it's a very embarrassing thing that happened to them, and they they sh- they shouldn't have allowed this. This is just a really ridiculous thing that occurred, and there's there's no excuse for this. I, I know it was an error. I know it wasn't intentional. I know this is kind of a fluke that this happened, but it's not that surprising if they're manually entering ninety events if, that, that one of these would occur this way. Yeah, I mean, you're 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 putting in tens of thousands of names into this program, so. For 15 names to be wrong out of tens of thousands, I mean there might be other mistakes also. But the thing is, if you're not if you're not in like the top 20 or so, you can't even check what your points are anyway. Yeah, there'd be no way you'd even know it was wrong. Yeah, so that's that's. Like, I, I tried to find out how many points I had to see because I was on the border of getting into the top 100, and you get it like a you get some kind of a thing for top 100, and I couldn't even determine my points because unless you're in the top X number of people. There's no way to figure out what your points are in their system. So you can't even see how many points. I didn't even know that, so I couldn't see my points either. I guess. No, if you if you went on the site and tried to figure out your points, like how many points they have you for, there's no way you can do that. It's impossible. Oh, I thought I thought it was listed so, for everybody. That's I, I had no idea that. I've already, I've already mentioned this that they should have a thing where you type in your last name, and it brings up however many people have your last name, and then you click on your name and it tells you how many points you have. That's crazy. It's a very I, simple program. I thought I thought it'd be something like the Global Poker Index, where you just have a certain number of player of the year points. I didn't know that it's something that's hidden from you. If you if you go to the WSOP.com and click WSOP Player of the Year, it'll show you like a certain number of them. You can do it on the circuit system, but not on the on the regular WSOP system. Right. I just clicked on myself. Regular. I clicked on myself, my player profile, 
and it does not show how many points I have. It just shows where I, what I've cashed. No, so what, what probably happened was those 15 people that got the extra points, none of those were probably in, the, in contention for player of the year, so none of them would even notice that they got 200 extra points. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I, I had no I, idea that people didn't I, know how many points they had. That's crazy. The thing is, Daniel is, is running from event to event in the World Series, and he wasn't even in contention at that point, right? So until he won, until he came in second in that 100K, he wasn't even on the radar. So he wasn't keeping, like, ridiculous tabs of his points either, like he was when we were in Europe. It's a completely different scenario at that point. I see. And so that makes sense. So they, they're, yeah, so he wasn't looking. See, people were making the argument uh, against Negreanu saying, oh, well, he had to know, he had to look at his results and see that it was wrong. But, no, he wasn't, but... even in the, he wasn't even in the running until he finished second in that 100K out of the blue. He, had, he finished uh, something else and then in the 100K, and all of a sudden he was in the running. Okay. But before that, he wasn't even, like, in, a, in contention. There was, like, Phil Hui was having an amazing run, and Steve and a few other people. Uh, what's his name? Um, Chris Fitch. Dan Zach, all these people were having really good runs, and he was just, like, on the next tier, like, not even in contention. So he had no reason to be, like, checking his points daily to see how many he had and all that. None of that argument makes any sense. Yeah, knowing that, it doesn't. In fact, even before I knew that, if I had to guess, I would have said, I don't think he knew. I think it was a surprise to him, too, and I think Sean D. while it's understandable why he's pissed, uh, he should not be making that accusation. Yeah, plus, if, if he did know, why would he put it in, in his vlog on, that millions of people, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are going to watch? Why would he have that listed as part of his point? Do you think he would just, uh, you know, not include that because he knows he didn't cash in that one? But I, he listed that as, as points that he, you know, that he thought he had. So if he was trying to hide something, he wouldn't list that on his list of, you know, where you're in the points. It would, it would just, he wouldn't even list anything. He would just say he has this many points. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Like I don't he think he itemized his entire list of points on his log. Why would he do that? Well, there is an explanation. If, if if he was cheating here, which I don't think he was, but if, if he if he noticed and, and and said nothing, he would have to because if he left it out, then it would look very suspicious. Then it would look like he he knows it shouldn't be there. No, but I'm saying, why would he even print a whole list? There's no reason for him to print a list of something. That's only going to get scrutinized further. Okay, okay, okay. No, you're right about of, that. Of yeah. all the no, you're right. He, you're right. He doesn't have to present the itemized list. If, oh, uh, he, he just if, says, well, we need, we need 50 points to get to this spot. We need whatever. He doesn't have to say, here's how I got exactly all my points. Yeah, no, I, I agree. He bring that up for additional scrutiny or anything. I agree. That's, that's a strong point in his favor that he didn't know. So it really looks like he didn't know, and... I, I think hopefully I mean Sean Deeb doesn't like him anyway. That's that's the first problem is that Negranu and and Campbell like each other. So Negranu, of course, he wanted to be the winner, but when he saw it went to Campbell, it didn't frustrate him like it would have as if it went to Deeb. And Deeb really doesn't like Negranu, so you know to of course he's going to lash out at him knowing Sean Deeb's personality, but he shouldn't. I, I understand why he's so mad. I actually kind of felt bad for Sean Deeb when this happened, even though Sean Deeb and I don't get along that well. I, I felt bad for him since he really could have, have locked it up, but this is, uh, he shouldn't react that way. He, if he wants to criticize the World Series and all that, then definitely it's within his rights to do and he'd be correct. But uh, he, Daniel shouldn't be bashed for this. This isn't his fault. So. Yeah, I don't think he had he had any knowledge of it. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous, to be honest with you. 
Yeah. This is going to leave a stain on player of the year. And, you know, next year when we're playing in the Rio and we're looking at the banner right in front of our faces, 2019 player of the year, Robert Campbell, it, everyone's going to talk about it. Oh, there's Robert Campbell. You know, he, he actually wasn't the player of the year at first because they made a mistake. Like, th- this will come back all over again next year when we yeah, see the banner. Everywhere, everywhere Rashawn Deep goes, there are people going to bring that up to him wherever he goes. Like, saying, wow, all you had to do was fold, you would have been player of the year. But it, in, in reality, it wasn't that way because he would have played differently to get to that final table. The whole thing is all, you know, he wouldn't have been third in chips. Yeah, though to get to the final table is not easy. Like, how many people entered that event, that that final event there? Thousands. Thousands. Well, then, okay. Well, wouldn't you say that making ninth is very difficult too? Like, uh, wouldn't you also have to play a very aggressive style to get to ninth? Oh yeah, obviously. But you're playing a lot differently to make the top five than to make the top nine. Like, I think I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you somewhat on that. In a very, in a very. Big field event, you do have to be if, – if, if your goal is I've got to make the final table or otherwise I failed, then it, I don't see that much different in your early play, early and mid play style with, with ninth and fifth. He psyched himself out because Elkie knows that he has to make the top five, right? So he psyched himself out that Elkie was going to – that he knew Elkie was going to be to his left the next day. And he psyched himself out that he knew that Elkie was going to try and bluff him because he can't call off his whole player of the year rather than ladder up to fifth place from being top three in chips. So he basically psyched himself out to lose the chips. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, he had himself convinced that Elkie was going to try to pull off this huge bluff against them, and he wasn't going to stand for that. But it just so happened that Elkie had the nuts. Yeah. So it was a really bad, unfortunate spot for him because all night long, he's like he was just talking about it on another show, all night long, he's thinking to myself, Elkie's going to try and bluff me because he knows that I'm not, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to call off for my player of the year after spending, you know, two months, you know, three months of my life chasing this thing that I'm not going to call off with, with, like, next to the nuts. So if the spot comes up, he's going to bluff me, and that's what he thought was going to happen. <laughs> and then he ran into the nuts. That's, that's very unlucky. Yeah. It's really unfortunate because, a lot of the time, Alki would be bluffing it. Like, I already told people, I said, if I was sitting to his left, and uh, I, I know that, like, I, I did this to him in one of the PLO tournaments. I just went all in any time we were blind against blind. Because I know he's not going to call off after the registration period is closed. Because we weren't in the money yet. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought of that, too, today. I was thinking about, well, you know, I've never considered this before, but if I end up with someone at my table at the World Series, I know it's earlier on, but uh, especially towards the end of the of the Las Vegas World Series. If if someone I know is playing ch- chasing player of the year and and we're past any kind of rebuy period and uh, we're not at the money yet, I will play a lot more aggressive against them because I'll figure that uh, there's not much they can call off against me with. I, I've got a funny story about this exact scenario, right? So in 2010, uh, it was way harder to cash than it was 10% cash and only like, I don't know, 30 events or 35 events, whatever it was. Anyway, I was in a tie for first place in caches. And that, and, and that, in those years, they would post on the WSOP, uh, like on the ESPN shows, they would always post who had the most caches. It was like a thing to go for. Anyway, we're down to the last event before the main event. And Mark Regridge is at my table, and he brings up the fact that uh, I'm tied for the lead. I need only one more cache, right, Yeah. to make it. All of a sudden, every time in a pot, somebody goes all in. <laughs> so 
and we're really close to the money, right? So I get really short. I open. I have two aces. True story. So uh, it happens again. A guy shoves all in. And we're basically, it's, it's one of these huge field tournaments, and we're basically, uh, I think we might even be hand for hand. Anyway, I wait and wait and wait to see if anybody else busts, and nobody busts. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm probably 80% to win this hand, and even if I win, I don't really have enough chips to do anything with. But if I lose, I lose this thing that I've been shooting for for like the last month. I've been trying to get the most cash in the World Series. That's one of, the, one of my goals, right? Yeah. Now I have no shot at getting it this year. But like people have 23 catches or whatever. They were playing every. So this was a big deal to me at that point, right? So I decided, you know what? I'm just going to fold. And uh, I folded the hand. And people, like, people didn't believe that I had two aces, but I really did. <laughs> anyway, it winds up. Somebody busts like two hands later. And I run the stack up to, to a nice amount. And I moved up like a few hundred spots. So it was never in question. And I, if you look at 2010, it'll say Cassius, and it'll have my name, and then it'll say number one. And how many did you get that year in 2010? Either nine or ten. It, was, it wasn't that many. Yeah, I remember back then that was, that was like – I remember that was the high around those years. In fact, I remember eight was the high one year. Or seven was the high one. Like it, it used to be much harder because there, there were fewer events, and, and it was 10%. Can you run it through the oven one more time? Two of them. Yeah, a little bit more well done. Can you run through the oven? Wait, where are you? I'm at the uh, chalk saw. I'm moving some pizza. Okay. So you, so you like you like the pizzas uh, more well done? Yeah. Can you you're gonna can you run it through or not? <laughs> can you run it through the oven so it gets a little more brown on the top? I'm in suspense here if they're gonna do it or not. Yeah, they're going to do it. Oh, they're going to do it. Okay. Now, I, I want to ask you something. I keep seeing this come up, and I, I want to know what the story is behind this, whether it's true or not. Why does Todd Brunson keep calling you a soda thief? Oh, the uh, he bought this restaurant with Max Pescatoria, and it was the grand opening. So they invite you know a lot of poker luminaries to uh, to this grand opening, and uh, where he said, promote on your Twitter and tell everybody to come here. Anyway, there's like maybe 25 people that are get invited. And we're all talking about the restaurant. They're holding like a raffle. Uh, like we're picking out, like people are, uh, there's a raffle online and stuff. Anyway, uh, they bring out all these different plates of stuff. It's like uh, it's like a buffet, but they bring like one big plate of ravioli, one big plate of chicken parm, whatever. And you help yourself to whatever you want, right? So the, uh, the waiter asks everybody what they want to drink. I still have a Diet Coke. Somebody else ordered whatever. So the guy brings me a Diet Coke brings everybody else whatever else they want. So finally this thing is over. It's like a, a, a it goes on forever. It's finally over. I'm leaving the thing. I thank Todd for inviting me. I said, you know, good luck with the restaurant, et cetera, et cetera. So as I'm walking out the door, this guy, he like runs after me and almost tackles me. He says, I said, what's wrong? He says, well, you didn't pay for your Diet Coke. I said, why would I pay for a Diet Coke? This is like an invitational thing. Everybody's meals are paid for by the, by the restaurant. I said, of course. I'm, he said, well, the drinks weren't included. It's only, <laughs> only the entrees. I said, give me a break. This is ridiculous. I said, you see that guy over there? And I pointed to Todd. He'll pay for it. And I walked out. Uh, okay. So, so you see, I had pictured it was something like you went there and asked for a water cup and then just got soda. That's, that's the story that kind of went around no, no, everywhere. No, no. This is exactly what, 
This is exactly the story. I mean, it was completely a ridiculous thing. So ever since then, he calls me the soda suit. And did he really put a, a picture of you in the, in the restaurant recently with your your face up there yeah, and name saying soda? soda th- so there's actually a picture of you in the Roma Deli that they own that says uh, Alan Kessler, Soda Thief Wanted? Yeah, it's like a wanted picture with me uh, with like a McDonald's cup or something. <laughs> I have to go see. I, I haven't been down there yet to this Roma Deli. I, I've kind of meant to go down yeah, there and try it, but nice, actually. I, uh, I haven't been there since they opened that one time. But uh, I remember the food was really good. But I'm I'm pretty picky on Italian food. It has to be just so. Like I can't have any meat mixed with it. I I like mostly like either chicken or like a cheese ravioli type thing or whatever. That's that's pretty much me too. It's 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 pretty standard though cheese ravioli or or some kind of like chicken parmesan thing. That's it's pretty easy to get anywhere. One brownie. You, you guys have the best chocolate brownies I've ever had. So wait, where is this again? With the, where are you right now with the chocolate don't brownie? Don't put it in the bag. Just put it on, on a plate. I don't like it with that. But what what is the name of this place that you're at right now? Papa John's. They have oh the Papa John's chocolate brownie. Yeah, really. Papa good John's has good. Uh, that, now that's surprising. The Papa John's has good uh, chocolate brownies. I actually used to go to Papa John's a lot, uh, like last decade. But where where I live right now, there's just none close to me. So I I had to give up Listen, on Papa I want, John's. I, I wanted to bring something up. It's yeah. Probably completely off topic. Yeah. Go ahead. I got in trouble today because people think I'm like against the commerce, whatever. I'm not against the commerce, but they did something completely so ridiculously stupid. But I had a post on Twitter about it, and then I get all this backlash for it. Okay. So what 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 were you complaining anyway, about with commerce? They, they post a thing that uh, it's old school, no reentry. We're going back to the old school way, right? No reentry, right? Yeah. So instead of having reentry, guess what they did? Oh, they I think I saw this, yeah. H. So you're saying you can enter eight times, but you just can only enter one for each of these, uh, these eight flights, right? Yeah, it's so completely stupid. Like, all right, so you're telling people it's no reentry, but you're letting them enter eight times? So I, I gave an example. Let's say I walk in there, right? It's like 11 a.m. or 12 a.m., whatever the noon flight is, right? And I somehow bust, right? Some days there's two flights. Other days there's only one flight. So I came from this, – this one guy, he was upset. He came from San Diego. He drove all the way there. He busted early. And now he's got to go all the way back to San Diego and then come all the way back the next day to play the next flight, which is exactly the same as re-entering. Yeah, well, that does like, it, that does discourage reentry it. some, but it's I, I one agree. One of the most ridiculously stupid things I've ever seen in my lifetime. I, uh, so I looked. I, I remember I saw you bring that up recently on Twitter, and I looked at it, and I would say they were clear that the reentry was per flight, but I but I do agree with you on the point that there's not much of a point They're to do this at all. Old school, no reentry. Yeah, whatever. see, that's not it's completely the, stupid. Right, that's not I old school. Did. I agree. There's no point to do that if you're going to have eight starting flights so to say there's only. You bust, you have to sit there for five or six hours and wait for another flight to start. If it's a multi-day flight thing, or you have to leave and come back another day. It's like one of the poorest thought-out things I've ever seen in my lifetime. But the World Series, like Mike Miller saying, he's wor- saying, well, you you don't like Max Savage, so you're just ripping this because I, I, I said no. I said anybody that would be dumb enough to run something like this and promote it as no reentry, like I would rip anybody that ran this. It, like well, okay, but I, saying, well, I, I, I want to be. It was by the World Series. Of course, I would. It's stupid. I want to be fair to them here. First of all, doesn't the World Series do it this way in some of their events, where you can only enter one per flight, and they have like six flights? No, never. I'm pretty sure I've exactly. seen that, where you can do one per, or maybe two per flight, and that's it. I, I'm yeah, pretty sure I've seen that. Two per flight is fine. They're like, 
I could see like somebody somebody drove there in L.A. traffic and they bought. Let them re-enter once. What's the big deal? Like the the whole idea is so that people can't just buy buy a ticket into day two, because if, if you have eight flights with unlimited re-entry, you're basically saying to every pro you're going to make day two. No, I I agree with you on the uh, on the basic premise here that. Uh... There's no point to make a no re-entry if there's going to be eight starting flights, and all they're doing is inconveniencing people and still allowing those who really want to do it to enter eight times no, and pretty much get in. It's basically glorified re-entry. What's the difference? Yeah, it is. They, they, and they, you're and right. They, they saying, shouldn't brag well, about it. On Matt Savage, uh, you don't like Matt. It's not that. It's stupid. It's like what, especially in L.A. where you have that market that has to deal with traffic, and like somebody that busts in like in, in like the highest traffic time and doesn't play cash. What are they going to do? They don't have anything else to play. Yeah, well... He says, uh, he says well, they can go play cash. What if they don't play cash? No, I agree the whole thing was they not... They came to play $200,000 guaranteed tournament, and they busted, unfortunately, and now they have to come back the next day to play the same tournament instead of, and re-enter the next day instead of re-entering right now. It's the same thing. Yeah, I agree it's not a good idea, I think. But but uh, but I wouldn't say they were misleading about it. It's just, it's just not a good idea. But when they say no... I saw it say... No, ent- no re-entry per flight. So it was clear. They were clear about it, but it's it's also stupid. Like the whole thing is not a good concept for the reasons you said. I'll agree with you there. Uh, I'm, I'm not as uh, hard line about this topic as you are, but I, I do see your points, and I, I agree with some of them. I don't think they're misleading. I just think that it was pointless the way they did it, and I agree that it's, uh, it does cause inconvenience for people who just want to come there and maybe rebuy once if they if they bust if they took a long time to yeah, get there. Just- you you have eight you have eight flights right you're letting people buy in eight times anyway right and it's over four days right so just say you can come in you can play twice any day out of out of the four days that, eight, that equals eight what's the difference between that and forcing people to come back another day or or wait four or five hours to play it's all the same yeah I know and I also I also feel that they should. Uh... I don't know if limiting people to eight buy-ins anyway really is much different from unlimited rebuys. It's only a little bit better. I think I think it should either be either zero or one rebuys period or just unlimited, <laughs> not much in between. Yeah, and they're saying what a, what a success it is. Of course, if you allow people to enter eight times, you're going to get a lot of entries. It's going to be a success if it's unlimited re-entry or eight entries or whatever. It's going to like, of course, you're going to have a lot of people play. Yeah. Well, I see. I see your point there. I I, I do think that uh, people will dismiss you sometimes any criticism of Matt Savage because of your uh, sniping back and forth over time. So yeah, you, some, sometimes you're just not taken seriously about certain subjects. And I've I've, I've seen this happen. I've sometimes spoken out in your defense and going, no, 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 you got to listen to Alan here. He's actually right here. So then uh, there's it's been sometimes I didn't agree or I felt you were complaining about something I didn't feel was uh, deserving of complaints. Yeah, but it's, like the, it's called like it's the boy who cried wolf syndrome. Well, it sort of is. There is a wolf. Well, it sort of is. That, and that's, and that's, that's it really is a wolf. But I, I have to give you some advice here. The, part of the reason that uh, this is felt about you is because there are some times that you've brought up things that, that really uh, are not worthy of bringing up or even not even correct. Uh, but then there's been many times you bring up things that are very correct and that people should be paying attention to, and then they dismiss it. And that's what that's what, like I'll, I'll speak up and say, wait a minute, no, you got to listen to Alan. He's right on this one. And in fact, it's much more yeah, that like, it's much more that you're like right last than. Week I, ran a, I ran a poll on uh, Bellagio reentry. It's unlimited reentry through the middle of day two when you have like less than twenty blinds. So basically, it's geared for pros that want to spend forty or fifty thousand to build up a stack. So anyway, I run this poll. And it comes out 94% do not want unlimited reentry in a 10K buy-in. 
So the, the response I get is, well, those are not our customers. Those people don't are not like – so there's no way to get a cross-section of $10,000 buy-in customers to answer a poll. Well, and even if they did, it's just you have to th- – even if the customers like it, you have to sometimes say for the period for the purity of the tournament, just don't do it. You have to sometimes say maximizing the rake they get is not always the most important thing, or it shouldn't be. So that's uh, even if most of the even if most of the players there said, "Hey, I prefer it this way." It doesn't necessarily mean they should have to do this because uh, there, there, there's something to be said for keeping the tournaments fair, fair and making them to where it's really uh, a competition for everybody, not just for those who have a super deep bankroll. So okay, well that event used to, that event used to be great. It was. I don't know if you ever played it in the, in the heyday, but it was 90-minute levels, and you play five levels on day one. You end at 9 o'clock. Everybody got a free comp to the buffet, and you come back on day two, and that's it. Yeah, I, I didn't play the 10K. I, I played one of the preliminaries, and I remember I got a free buffet, but I never played the, the bigger one. I don't, I don't play that many tournaments outside of the World Series. I'm, a little, uh, I'm much more of a cash player. All right. I, that, it, it's like that's, that's like another example. Like people... Because I'm the one that brought it up. They're saying that, that I'm way off on this. But there's so many people that have commented to me, like even like high-end players that I see everywhere. Like, you know, people play 10Ks. It's just ridiculous. Oh, yeah, it like, is. Letting uh, people buy in for day two of a, of a $10,000 buy-in event with like a, a $8 million prize pool or something. I've said this for years, and I, I don't like it at the regular World Series either. I, there's uh... – I've really hated the day two buy-in thing from the second that was introduced. I, I absolutely hate it. I've been against it since the very first time I saw it, and I think it should stop. And I, the, the very late registration thing in general bothers me because if you have a deep bankroll and if it's if you don't care about maybe you're only going to play three hands and bust a, a high buy-in event, then it, it gives you a big edge because you get to save a full day. You, you, you save a full day, and you can just sit. You can try to double quickly, and then there you are already fairly close to the money. So as long as you don't mind yeah, skip, skipping the whole first day and, and only playing a few hands for your money, then then that's really something that uh, allows pros to just keep firing at a lot of these, and they don't have the time investment. They have the money investment. They don't have the time investment. That's what really bothers me. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how to find out what the $10,000 players think. But the, the actual ones that I've talked to are at least two or three to one against unlimited reentry. They're they pretty much for one reentry in case you, like Dan Shack, who's one of the biggest opponents against uh, reentry. Even him, even he would go for one reentry because he's flying from Philadelphia to Vegas to play one tournament. If he busts, obviously he'd want to reenter one time. But he doesn't want to reenter five or six or seven times at a ten thousand dollar event. It's stupid. Well, there's two, there's two, and there's two issues. There's the issue of late re- reentry, and there's also the, or there's the issue of unlimited reentry and there's the issue of how late people can either buy in or reenter and these are two separate yeah, they're, 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 they're letting people buy in until the middle of day two with yeah less than 20 blinds. And, and that's awful so, so that's, the, never, that's never been done before until last year and there's they're, they're counting numbers from last year saying well we broke records last year obviously because you let people buy in until like if they double once they're gonna be in the money almost because there's only 20 big blind average in the tournament no, it's, it's becoming a joke. Uh, that's the point. It, it shouldn't just be about how they can make the most rake and get the biggest numbers in the tournament. They, they have to maintain some purity of the tournament, and a lot of these venues now just say, screw it, whatever makes us the most money, and whatever makes the, 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 the vocal pros. It should pros. be more concerned with individual entries rather, rather than opposed to 
total buy-in. It's a completely different number. How many individual people bought in versus how many buy-in? Yeah, and just the general fairness. I, I just don't like the whole thing. So I think right on that type of stuff, you're, you're right on. And very often when you bring up issues that you discover in these poker rooms, you're right on. And even sometimes where most people are against you, like on that thing you brought up about the $10 uh, hidden extra charge, uh, like – I see that, and some people go, oh, it's only $10, and I say, no, they've got to be upfront about it. And I even called that, that casino on this show, by the way, and, and confronted them about it. So I, I, I'm very big on transparency. So what did you have to say about that? Oh, they, they, they were obnoxious and saying it's obvious and, and, and people should read the, the, the – they need to read everything. And I, 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 I had a big argument with them about that on the show. But, I'm surprised they would actually come on the show and discuss that. Well, I, they, they didn't have a choice. I just called them. <laughs> they, were, they, they were just on. So – um, no, I, I give you a lot of credit for that. I didn't think uh, you would do that. No, no, I, I do it. I, I just, I'll just do things. I just will confront people but with things. That, that was intentionally deceptive. That one because at the very top of the page, it said three hundred plus fifty or whatever it was, and then in the in the very fine print, it said additional ten dollars staff fee for like double the chips or something. Yeah, and then it, it, it forces you. And I kept saying, people. some people will just, knowing they're playing a tournament, some people will bring the exact money they need and simply just won't have it on them. It's not that they can't afford it. They just won't have it on them and they won't be able to. I yeah, said, they claim, well, all the locals know that we that we pull this. So the locals know, but maybe maybe I'm not a local. Maybe I'm there to play the WCC yeah. and I just walk in that day with exactly 350. I, it's, it's just very simple. And I told people when we had that discussion on this show, I, I said to the audience, it's very simple. If... Something is hidden in some way. If, if you don't know something and you don't know it because it was hidden from you or it was put in a way that was trying to prevent you from finding it out, if something wasn't super clear when you look at it, then it's the fault of the venue. The venue has to communicate all the important information very clearly to everybody and not bury things and not try to hide things. And any time they do, it's their fault, not yours. You can't just say, well, you should have read it. No. You, you have all major things which can affect people. Anything about buy-ins or any, anything about rake, anything that's, that's non-standard needs to be communicated very clearly. And if it's not, it's the venue's fault and the venue acting shady and they should not be blaming the player. And often people are kind of uh, bullied into believing that it's their fault. Oh, you should have read everything. And, and some people kind of buy it and go, yeah, I guess it's my fault. No, it's not. So I, stuff like that, no matter how little it is, I don't care if it's $10, no matter how little it is, if there's an attempt to deceive or mislead, I'm always all over it and always fully in your corner on those things. So. I'm glad you called it out on that. I really appreciate that because yeah. people said I was being nitpicky over ten dollars, but it's not ten dollars. No, they weren't understanding. Hundreds of people playing that tournament. It's not even about the money. It's just about the principle. You don't hide things. You just you should just yeah. be open and honest with everything that's about the tournament. That's the point. So that's that. That bothers me when play, when places don't do that and say, "Oh, it's only such and such money." I don't care. It's it's not about the money. It's the principle of the matter, and there should be encouragement for these venues to be transparent and open, not to mislead people, no matter how little the money is involved. So, okay. Anyway, uh, thanks for coming on, Alan, and uh, you shed some interesting light on uh, this topic with the World Series of Poker Player of the Year. Some stuff I hadn't thought of. And uh, thank you for that. All right, no, no problem. Call me anytime. You have my number. Oh, thank you. Okay. Good night. All right. Alan Kessler, a, the, the unique individual in poker. He actually has a pretty big following. For all the criticism that he takes from people over various uh, things, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say Alan Kessler is not without fault, and. I've played with him before where 
where he's been rude to other players or rude to the dealers or the staff. And yeah, sometimes he'll say things that are inappropriate and, and I'll even see sometimes he'll complain on social media about things that he really shouldn't be complaining about. They're either so trivial. They don't just absolutely don't matter. Or sometimes he just sees something incorrectly and creates a problem. What isn't really a problem, but many other times, in fact, most of the other times when he complains, he's got a real point and there will be people who dismiss him because they just see him as a, a, a guy who's always negative and complaining and therefore he must be wrong. And I say, no, it's a forget who's making the complaint. You need to evaluate the complaint on its own merits. And if he's correct, he's correct. And often he is correct. We have, it's been a while since he's been on here. I should probably call him more often, even so I can call him any time. So Daniel Negreanu wrote a blog today about this whole thing, and I want to read it to you. It's pretty interesting. Negreanu's blog went as follows. It's called the WSOP Player of the Year Oopsie. That's really what it's called, and he wrote this today. A few hours ago, I got a call from Seth Polanski informing me that, that there was an error in the calculation in the World Series of Poker point totals accrued during the Las Vegas leg. Apparently, they credited me with a cash in an event I did not cash in, the $1,000 No Limit Hold'em online event. Those events typically take longer to process and add to the site because screen names need to be verified and figure out who the person that is played. See, that's, that's where I got the idea that it was the, that it, they have to only do this with the online. I think Nick Rano is confused. Approximately 213 points were awarded to me in that event. Nobody knew about this error that affected mine and about 15 other players' player of the year score until after the World Series of Poker Europe leg in Razadov. It's, it's, it's an unfortunate situation, but mistakes happen and life goes on. I'm genuinely happy for Robert Campbell because I know how much it meant to him, and also I, know he, I feel he was deserving having won two bracelets this year. He's also a nice guy, which helps. Now, let me stop right here. Do you think he'd be writing this stuff about Sean Deeb if, this guy, if, this, if it went from Negranu to Deeb? You think he'd be writing this? There's no way. There's no way he would have such a positive attitude about this. Negranu, which, by the way, you'll hear as I go on with this that he seems very reasonable and very classy about this. So I'll give him credit for this blog, that it's a very nice blog. It brings up a lot of good points. It it does it does not come off it bitter at all. Probably privately he's a little bit bitter, but this blog was very well written. But I will say that I bet it would have been nothing like this if it was Deeb who got it instead, because he really doesn't like Sean Deeb, and this would have totally changed his attitude coming into this with with Campbell winning it. Negrani- I don't agree with that. I don't agree. Really, I, I, I think, think he. No, because I think I mean I don't think he'd say he's a nice guy and he deserved it, but he'd just say I think he'd still have the same attitude that they fucked up and they lost. I mean, what can he do? No, he wouldn't be screaming like he got cheated. I'm saying that he he would have had a much angrier tone here, and, and he may have even uh, had some criticisms for for Sean Deeb in this. I, I just it's it's fortunate for Negranu here that the person who got it is someone that he personally liked, so it was a lot easier for him to accept. It looked like the two of them got along very well, he and Robert Campbell, and that, uh, of course, DeGrande wanted it for himself, but uh, he also knew that he didn't really earn it. He was erroneously awarded it, so it's a lot easier to give up, too. It's a lot easier to say, okay, well, it just shouldn't have been mine, so, yeah, it sucks to think I had it, but th- this this makes sense. It's It's mostly fair to me, he's probably thinking. Anyway, going on. He wrote, when I got the news, I was oddly not phased by it whatsoever. I surprised myself. Not a single negative emotion or feeling of loss. Obviously, had I known the correct point totals, it would have changed my strategy in, in Razadov. 
There are several hands I can think of off the top of my head that it would have been played differently well before the closing Colossus event, which was also affected. One obvious example, in the 25k short deck event, on the bubble I folded pocket queens to a single raise because I felt the cash and points put me in a really good position to win player of the year. Had I known I was further from the lead than I thought by 213 points, I would have went with that hand, and who knows what would have happened from there. In the end, I have no regrets. I went out to Rosvedov clear on the goal ahead, strategized to give myself the best chance to win with the most points based on what I knew. I accomplished that. As far as the journey goes, I can only see it as a success. I left Rosvedov with a good feeling about my decisions that hasn't changed with today's news. About 90% of my call with Seth had nothing to do with this miscalculation. I wanted to take this opportunity to address the many flaws with the player of the year system that I've been discussing for a year. We wanted the stretch run to be about people chasing final tables and wins, not max late regging, meaning uh, registering, hoping to double once and then grab the points from a mint cash. It's silly, and I felt silly doing it. Now, I believe this. I believe that... I believe most of what he's written. I believe, first of all, that for whatever reason, he was able to take this well. That I don't think he's just making this up, that he processed it well and it didn't piss him off. He may be a little more pissed than what he was writing here, but I think he probably did surprise himself that he took it better than he would have expected. And I think that once this happened and Seth Polanski called him, he probably thought, okay, I've had an issue with the way this player of the year is calculated for a long time. And remember, when Chris Ferguson won it, he was really bitter about this. He felt that Chris Ferguson just min-cashed his way into winning it. And he, he wrote a lot of nasty comments on Twitter about this. So Negroni probably thought, okay, well, fine. This kind of sucks that I, I was believing I was ahead when I wasn't. And I could have played differently to maybe if there's an outside chance I could have won it if I had known where I really was. But, okay, I probably wasn't going to win anyway. And now that I have Seth on the phone and now that I have his attention over this whole thing, now... I can maybe have more ammo to convince him to change everything and to really degrade the value of the min cash and really reform player of the year to where it's more how Negranu's wanted it all along, both for his personal style of play and his likelihood in winning it and just for what he feels is right. So he, he probably felt he's going to make lemonade out of lemons here now that he's gotten extra attention on this from Seth, he can talk to Seth whenever he wants, obviously, because he's a big-name player, but to be taken more seriously. Because obviously, he bitched about this when, when Ferguson beat him out, and they didn't care, and they changed only a few things, and it still persisted as a problem. So now, now, now that he really got the attention, he's like, okay, well, you guys really screwed up this time, but if you make these positive changes, then this will really turn around the narrative for you. So now Seth has to listen more. So he goes on to say, I've been the most vocal about fixing the system for years, and to their credit, they did make some adjustments to improve it, specifically giving a lot more weight to wins, which count for double the points you get for second. This makes it a lot more difficult to win player of the year without winning a bracelet, and I think that's a good thing. For example, two second-place finishes would get you the same amount of points as one win. Obviously, it's more difficult to get heads up twice than it is to win once, but someone who wins multiple bracelets should be rewarded handsomely in terms of player of the year points. I agree with that. I, I agree that there was there were too many points for min cashing and too few points for winning events. That they just winning a bracelet wasn't getting you enough. So they fixed that somewhat, but they didn't really fix the min cash thing. So he goes on to write, I've discussed several of my ideas to improve the system on Twitter, but here are the cliffs. Number one, limit the number of caches to count towards your total to twelve. 
This gives more people a chance to win player of the year and focuses on player quality over quantity. It, is no, it no longer incentivizes people to chase min caches down the stretch. I don't know if they're going to do this because this disincentivizes play. If someone gets 12 strong caches, they may not find it's worth it to travel to Europe to try to get a few more points by uh, beating those 12. It's not a terrible idea. 12 is still a lot of... uh, It's hard to do 12 very strong caches. But it it doesn't solve as much as you think, but it it is a decent idea. Number two, decrease the value of a min cache in multi-heat large field re-entry events. It's not an accomplishment to cache in Colossus when you have nine heats with a re-entry in each. Totally correct. That uh, If you can enter over and over and over again and you're a decent player, you're obviously going to cache once unless you really run bad. Someone would, would not at a at a big field event where you can enter nine times and and you can re enter at least once. I mean uh, to go what like oh for eighteen there, not be able to min cash, that would, you'd have to really run awful to not be able to do that. Especially if you're trying to min cash, because uh, if you're just trying to min cash, it's not that hard to cash in these big field events provided you don't really re- run really bad. I know because there's been there's been min caches I've had in those type of events where I've I had like like one or two decent hands and the rest of the time I kind of just survive without really winning much and I cash and I go okay you know I, I min cashed here but I actually feel good because I I didn't really win much here I didn't win much and somehow I, I finished in the top fifteen percent of the field and I got paid okay good but I kind of walk away feeling like I didn't really do much here <laughs> so. He's saying this is, especially when you can re-enter over and over and over again, of course you're going to cash at some point. That shouldn't be given uh, many points at all. I agree. Number three, all min caches should not be treated equally. A min cache in a 3,000-player field is much easier than a min cache in a 100-player field 10K buy-in mixed event. I've been saying this for years. I'm so glad he brought this up. I've been saying for so long that this is true. It's significantly harder to cash in the latter, while the former is hardly an accomplishment at all, especially when you're playing, you're paying 15% of the field. Totally true. Totally true. These big field events, it's so much easier to min-cash those than it is the small field events. Why, if they're paying the same 15%? Because on the other end, it is much easier to cash big in a small field event or win a small field event than it is to win a big field event. So think about that big 50 with 28,000 entrants. You min-cash that, you you have thousands of people. You have like more than 4,000 people to get through still to win. To make the final table, you have to finish in like the, the 0.2%, the top 0.2% from the point of when you cash. Take an event with 100 people. With 100 people, you get to the min-cash with 15 left, you can final table that if you do better than average from that point. Huge difference, right? So it, it's much easier to final table and cash big if the field is smaller. It's much easier to min-cash in a big field. In fact, I, I wonder if at some point we're going to see a modification where they pay a larger percentage of the field for a smaller event than a bigger event. And I, I would be for that. If they made it 10% cash in the big field and 15% cash in the small fields, that would actually make sense. That would have to. That would make it to where you have to actually win more to cash more. Number four, decrease main event points awarded 
you would still have to you'd still make this the premier event when it comes to points and get a ton just slightly less than you do now this is important when decreasing the number of caches that count number five divide points by number of entries if you play in an unlimited re-entry event and use four bullets that point total should be divided by four so for example let's say you win an event and gets you a thousand points but you rebought three times now you would get a thousand divided by four for 250 points I'm less invested in this one, but many people seem to feel strongly about this one. Yes, I agree. I think that's a great idea. I don't know if they're going to do it because it discourages re-entries, but it doesn't completely make re-entries useless because if you've traveled somewhere or if you've taken the trouble to play and you have a deep bankroll, maybe you do want to fire to possibly get points even if it's reduced points. I, I still think my idea is better, though, that you just subtract points from people. See, all this time I thought they were displaying the points. But if, since they don't display the points and there's nobody to be embarrassed by having zero or negative points, then okay, just have people have zero or negative points if they can't see it. So I think that they should just subtract points for every busted buy-in. That would make it even simpler. Then people, every time they re-enter, they, they, it's, uh, and don't cash, it's a negative. So those are his five ideas. And he said, several years ago, I complained about the player of the year system, and many people said to me, why don't you just stop whining and adjust your schedule? I was faced with either A, giving up caring about player of the year and continuing to play a schedule that gives me little chance to win, or B, start playing the large field, smaller events, and pick up the free points you get in these events to give myself a real chance. I ended up choosing B, but never felt great about it. In Razvedov, dropping a stack to accrue points while I was in another event felt kind of gross, even though it was the correct strategy aligned with what others were doing. I was proud of putting in the hard work necessary to win, but when I win player of the year, I don't want to be any doubt in anyone's minds as to whether or not I was deserving. I hope for a system that rewards quality over quantity, and I do believe the World Series of Poker will work towards that and get it right eventually. Let me stop here. I have a personal experience with this. In 2005, there was no World Series of Poker Europe, so the World Series of Poker Player of the Year award was just based on the regular World Series. I actually was in the running there despite playing, I think, uh, what, four events? Yeah, I played four events in 2005, and I was actually in the running for player of the year. That's because I finished first and third in my first two events. And then I actually almost cashed again in the next event I played, a no-limit event. I just barely missed it by, like, three spots or something. I remember uh, Svetlana Svetlana Gromankova. Remember her? She knocked me out of that one. Like one or two or three from the... It wasn't one from the money. Either two, three, or four from the money. Something really close in a big field, no limit event. So I would have actually cashed my first three events. Probably would have been a min cash, but nevertheless would have been a cash. But I did not win player of the year. They actually gave away like a truck for winning it then. I think Alan Cunningham won it. But I did win card player magazine player of the year. Or card player, not player of the year. Card player magazine world series of poker player of the year. Even though Mark Safe, who I don't think very much of, but nevertheless, uh, he won two bracelets. And even though Alan Cunningham also did better, uh, I think he made, I think he had a first and a a third and a fourth. Just by the way they calculated the points, my first and third beat out both of them. It beat out Alan Cunningham, beat out Mark Safe, even though they had better finishes than I did, just because of the weird system card player used. Card player was kind of embarrassed about this. They didn't even want to publicize it because they knew I didn't really deserve it, but nevertheless, I won it by their system. They buried the story about me winning it 
in an issue pretty far from the World Series and kind of just stuck it in the fine print of Jeff Shulman's editor's notes, which I was fine with, actually, because I kind of felt like I didn't deserve the award. I didn't get anything, by the way. I got, I got nothing for it. But I didn't feel I really deserved to be World Series of Poker Player of the Year. I mean, I, I did something great that year. My first two events, I got first and third, which is the, no one's ever done that in World Series history, before or after. So I'm proud of that. But I didn't believe I was Player of the Year at the World Series because there were some who did better overall in the World Series than I did. Now, maybe if I played more than four events, I would have gotten there, but I, I only played four events. So I understand what Negreanu is saying, that he doesn't even want to win it if there's going to be questions of whether he really, really deserved it. And yeah, he was playing playing it for the system that it was and trying to maximize his potential on that system, but he'd rather that system is correct in the first place where he doesn't have to do weird things that he doesn't really believe in to win. Even if it's not cheating, he just he doesn't like what you have to do to win. He doesn't feel that's really indicative of who had the best series. And that I agree. He said it's difficult to create a system everyone likes, but I think my ideas would benefit the grinders who make deep runs in large field, small buy-in, no-limit hold'em events, as, as well as those who put out stellar results in the 10K championship events. What we need to do is start seeing min-caches for what they are, hardly an accomplishment at all when you look at the bigger picture. So what is my takeaway from this experience? Well, I always try to look for the responsible version rather than the victim version. The victim version looks like, oh my god, I got screwed, I would have played differently, and they screwed me with their mistake. I prefer the responsible version, if this is something I care about, I need to verify for, verify for myself that my point totals are correct as they happen. Double, triple check. I trusted the World Series of Poker to have it right, but I still should verify my point total to make sure they're aligned with what the website showed. I didn't do that, but I will make it a habit in the future. Well, first of all, it didn't really show the point totals, as Kessler pointed out. It showed the results. He could have seen he had a phantom result there, but uh, I maybe it does show it for him. I guess it shows it for him because he's one of the people. Who no, I, th- I think didn't he, I? Th- I think he said he did for like the, if you were in the top, right? The top twenty, yeah, he? the top twenty. Yeah. That's, right, that's right. So he he did have the totals, but yeah, I, you know, I yeah, think but he, he should be able to trust that. Number. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He plays a million tournaments. He shouldn't be. I don't think it's on him at all. Right. I was about to say that that he he should not be expected now. Now this has already happened. Yes, but before this has ever happened, you should just be able to trust it and not double check the computer's math. I mean, it's crazy. It's. Uh, it's kind of like when you get a bill at the at a restaurant that's com- like a computerized bill. Do, do you bust out a calculator and add all the things together to make sure it totaled it right? You don't you, because you, you assume a computer would add it correctly. One time it actually didn't. When, at Harris, New Orleans, the computer actually erroneously charged me $4 too much by totaling it up wrong. Never understood how that happened, but uh, it happened. But th- this is something you can't blame someone for not doing. Because there's just some things you take for granted that they should be correct, and it's not your fault for not verifying it. So he goes on to write, With age comes wisdom. I truly believe that. Had this happened to me when I was 25, I'm sure I would have taken the news the same way. I, I'm, I'm not sure I would have taken the news the same way as I do today. I can honestly say not a single emotion of loss or upset. Uh, my life is awesome. I love the grind. I love the journey, and I don't live in regret. Congrats again to Robert Campbell. You're an absolutely deserving champion despite this unfortunate error. There should be no asterisk beside your name in the record books. You put together an incredible World Series of Poker and World Series of Poker Europe, and no one can ever take that away from you. Okay, so good blog. Good attitude he has about this here. It's a little easier to have this attitude when, had they calculated it correctly, he probably still wasn't going to win anyway. He can say, oh, well, I would have played this one hand differently when I had queens and 
maybe I could have won that and maybe that could have led to me cashing more another one and I could have won it but that that, that becomes a bit of a stretch that that becomes like an outside chance that if if this was all correct that he would have won he probably still would not have been player of the year even if the, this error didn't happen uh he had a chance whereas here he just didn't get there thinking he did but Sean Deeb is the one who really got screwed here so it's it's easier for Negranu who only had an outside chance of having gotten there if, if this hadn't happened than Sean Deeb who had a very high chance of getting there and yeah something I, I still I agreed with a lot of what Kessler said when he came on the show here but I still don't understand his point that in the earlier and middle stages that you're going to play differently shooting for fifth than shooting for ninth you, in, in a big field event you're you're having if you're having to shoot for ninth you're going to have to play a pretty aggressive style it's not like it's a min cash versus fifth. So uh, I, I see his point that if he knew it was ninth, that maybe up till that point he would have played differently. Like once he gets down to the final 18 or something, that he'd really slow down and just try to fold to ninth or semi-fold to ninth rather than fifth where you really got to try to win hands. So I see Kessler's point somewhat that he thought that he was going to have to win a lot more than he did to get to fifth like once he was very deep but I still feel he really got screwed and he's the one who should and be I, angry and, and Kessler I think was also talking about the morning of I think like that morning like how many were left going into the last day do you know no I, I, I don't know I just know he was third out of 11th in chips out of 11 in chips and finished 11th because of that thing against Elkie and that had he known it was ninth at that point, he could have just folded to the money or folded to ninth, not the money. Right, 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 right. And did he have side action on it? I mean, is that I don't know. Do we know that? Because I mean, I would think that's the big deal. If yeah. not, he didn't get a pat on the back. Right? Well, right, it, it, and and Deeb and Negranu, there was a talk of a bet between them before all that, way before all this, but who's going to during a spat they had before the World Series about who's going to be Player of the Year. So it was funny that the they really did end up both very much in the running. And Negranu actually refused to do it, saying that he doesn't trust him. And that's why Deep's saying, oh, you didn't trust me, and look at you. You actually cheated. You knew you had those points and, and didn't say anything. But as Kessler brought up during the call, there's a, several pieces of evidence there indicating that Negranu didn't know. And I, I already felt that Negranu probably didn't know, but after hearing what Kessler told us, I, I really think Negranu didn't know. So I, I think Negranu did nothing wrong in any of this. I think his... Reaction to all of this has been very classy. And I actually think most of his ideas to fix player of the year are correct. There's various other ways to do it. Uh, like, as I said, the subtracting for bricks when you buy in and lose. That was one of my suggestions. But if we were to take the Negranu approach of what he suggested here, those five points he suggested, that would really, really make player of the year more meaningful and right now it's it's kind of a joke. It, right now it's it's become a contest of who can play every event they can and shoot for min caches and then win a few or get very deep in a few and and then you you've got a very good shot. So he's I I think a lot of this is going to be radically changed for 2020 because, because of the attention that this brought to it. Two things. Well, first Norman Chad brought up the issues he had with it. And 
everyone started discussing it. And now that this has happened, now it's like the one-two punch of controversy. First, people are just unhappy with the system, and there's a lot of groaning about this on Twitter. And then this happens. So now now the World Series has to do something to make everybody say, okay, people, uh, we've done something good that you're all going to like. So I, I could see a major reform coming here by the World Series as, as a way to kind of make everyone forget about this, or as, at least as much as they can. That'll be the one good thing that comes of this. And not that I expect to be one that could compete in this. I don't play enough events, but this actually does make it to where I, I would have a very outside shot of being player of the year. Like I f- came fairly close in 2005. If I were to have a spectacular world series where I do something like win two bracelets and nobody else does something like that, or win win two bracelets and get deep in the main. So, I'm not saying I'm not going to have a World Series like that, but it's, it's not impossible for me to have a World Series like that. Like, if if you look at this year, I had uh, several deep runs where if a few things went differently, I, I could have done a lot better. So you, you, you know, take, take a year where I'm just running really well at the World Series. If I did something like win two bracelets and then managed to get deep in the mania, I, I actually could be the player of the year without even going to Europe. I wouldn't chase it like this. It's not important enough to me unless, unless there is a prize for it. But even as a player who only plays the Las Vegas World Series and doesn't play a crazy schedule, even there I have the idea of like, okay, if, if I really strike gold here, then I could actually be player of the year. Whereas in recent years I've thought no matter how well I do here, I'm, I'm not going to be player of the year. I mean, yeah, if I if I played 10 events and, and, and won five bracelets, yeah, I'd, I'd be player of the year, but that's not going to happen. I'm talking about something that's, that's even, like, within a possibility to happen. Not something that's statistically possible, but, but so unlikely you, that there's no way I could ever even think it could possibly happen. So even for someone like me, this would make me feel better saying, eh, you know, I... What if I do this well? What if I went to bracelets and have a deep main run? Okay, I could be player of the year. That would be cool. I wouldn't even have to go to Europe. But I think we're going to see a lot of changes this year. That's the only good thing that came of this. But th- this is always going to be remembered. And Robert Campbell is going to be on that banner and it's going to be talked about. It'll be talked about a lot next year. And it'll be talked about for years to come. You'll probably be sitting at the World Series in, in uh, 2030. And looking up at the 2019 banner in one of the rooms going, hey, remember that guy? Remember that Robert Campbell guy? Remember how Negreanu won it and they took it away from Negreanu and gave it to him because they, they miscalculated points? And there will be people at the table going, what? I never heard of this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like, and then he, really that happened? I can see the whole table talking about it. Benjamin might be at the table when they're discussing that. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. There would be people in the field that were like too young to be playing in 2019. Yeah, someone like Benjamin wouldn't be able to play in 2030. He's going to have to actually wait till 2032. He, he's born after the World Series, so he won't even be able to play the year he plays uh, turns 21. He'll have to play the following year when he's closer to 22. So his first World Series would be when I'm 60 in the year 2032. And I'll be able to enter the Super Seniors that year, which I think is stupid, by the way, that it's 60 now. It should be 65. They they lowered it to 60 again just to make more money. But the Super Seniors, 
the whole point of that is to really have people at the table who actually are seniors, like not 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 like the quote seniors, which is for fifty year olds. And I just think it's stupid. The problem with the seniors event is fifty. You you can be pretty similar at fifty as you were when you were forty. There's not really that much degradation that takes place in your mind or your stamina. A little bit, but you're pretty similar. Between 50 and 65, there can be a lot of difference. Especially in your in your physical stamina with being able to sit there all day. So those, those years in between 50 and 65 are very significant. And to move 65 down to 60 already starts to make it where there, there's enough people in there that are still similar enough in, in their stamina at the table and play style to when they were 40. So to have a true, like, real seniors event, it really should be people who are quite old, or at least over 65. They can't make it too old, or there's, it's going to be a really small field. But 65 should be the cutoff. should not be 60. I still think the seniors event should be 55, but whatever. They just want more people. But Trader Risky, you said in, in, in the seniors event you've played that uh, the, the play isn't very good. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been hit or miss. I mean, I guess I've played two, or no, three. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's confusing because sometimes these guys, look, yeah, it's it's gotten better, I think, for sure. First year versus thirds. So I played 51, 50, 51, 52. Yeah. I mean, the problem is every year people who've been in poker, uh, like good players who are good in their 30s and the 2000s are turning 50. And they haven't really degraded very much, so you're up against them. And that's the more of those people get in the field, the harder it gets. Yep. Exactly. That's why, like, I'm going, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be there in, in 2022, but then so will everybody else who was my age the whole time. So <laughs> there's other players, like, I know who are exactly my age who will be in the field. And I'm like, okay, well, these guys are very good, and they'll probably be there too. And so it, it'll be easier than the average field, but I'm not expecting it to be like me and eight donkeys. By the way, about that Kessler call, I'm very glad that we found out something that I've been wondering about for a long time. We found out about the soda thief. I always assumed that was about him just pulling the old trick of saying, hey, can I have some water, and then secretly filling soda. I, I really thought that's what it was, not that he was invited to some party, and for whatever reason, the meal was comped and the soda wasn't, and he didn't know that till he was leaving, and they, someone demanded money, and he refused to pay. If that's really what happened, I'm on his side on that one. I would also get mad. That's very tacky to have a party and... You only include the meal and not the soda and not tell anybody and then try to collect the money for the soda at the end. If that's true, that's pretty tacky. He said there was someone else demanding it, not Todd Brunson. He was referring to a place called Roma Deli. I already mentioned the name there, but I just want to clarify for those of you that don't know what you're talking about. Todd Brunson and Max Pescatori bought a deli, an existing deli in Las Vegas called Roma Deli. It's like an Italian deli, and uh, it has a pretty good reputation now since they've taken over. I've meant to go. I just kind of forget it's there until after I'm gone from Vegas. I go, oh, I should have tried the Roma Deli. And then when I saw they, they posted this thing about Kessler's faces on the wall with wanted soda thief, I was like, oh, now i really got to go down there. I don't know how it's doing. I don't know if they're making money or not. Uh, poker players are not always good with investments. In fact, they're usually not good with investments. Usually when poker players are investing in something, they're going to lose their money. But I don't know how this is doing. It's very hard for restaurants to succeed. Most of them fail. 
because there's a lot more cost to it than people realize, and you're operating on small margins. The the food, for example, when you when you go to a restaurant and order food, they're not making that much money on the food. Where they make most of the money is on drinks, and also on things like more of the side items, like the the main dish is where they make the least amount of money. They make more on appetizers. They make more on desserts. They make a lot more on drinks. And if they can serve alcohol, if they have a license to do that, they make a lot of money on alcohol. That's, that's where the real money's made. But if they don't make enough in those areas, then the restaurant fails. Or if they if the rent's too high or the, uh, the staffing costs are too high and all the insurance and everything, there's a lot of things you got to add up together so that sometimes whatever profit they're clearing from the actual food and drink sales is just not enough to overcome the expenses. So it's uh, even restaurants that can appear to be doing well can actually be barely making any money, which is why you'll sometimes see that the owner is working there where otherwise he wouldn't be working these long hours, but he just is saving the money on a manager and manages it himself. Some of them feel they can't even afford a manager. So restaurants, it's something on the surface, which seems like, Oh, it'd be cool to run. And Oh, this, the, I bet this could make a lot of money, but most of them don't. Most of them either just make a little bit or, or lose and go out of business. So a small percentage of them are very successful and, and, and do really well. Just watch a couple episodes of Kitchen Nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> and then that'll, uh, you know, have you double-checking. Did you see, uh, Drop, David Goldstein did a report? You know who that is on Channel 2 News? Yes, yes. So he did a report on Grubhub and... Uh, Uber Eats, I think. So they're following these guys around with a hidden camera. <laughs> and they're getting the food, putting in the pasture seat. They're just eating fries, taking sips. Oh, wow. Oh, shit. <laughs> it was so brutal. I never used those things. and not, I wasn't even thinking of that stuff. But here's my nightmare with using these delivery services or even just their, their own internal delivery services is you order something and it comes and then there's something missing or wrong. And then what do you do? What do you do? Especially if it's wrong. If it's missing, you say, okay, I can just do without it, and I'll have them give me a, a partial refund. But what if something's wrong? Or what if they forget, uh, let's say you, you tell them to bring a lot of ketchup, and they don't bring any. Let, let's say you, you tell them to bring sauce on the side, they just forget the sauce. Well, what do you do then? Is, is the delivery person supposed to go all the way back and bring it to you, or just do without it? It's like it's very awkward. And and then you have to wait. Like let, Let's take the sauce thing. You, you order sauce on the side, and then just, it comes, there's no sauce at all. So now you've either got to like sit and wait for the food to get cold while they're bringing you the sauce or to do without the sauce. Like I, I just hate where if anything's wrong, I'm trapped. And for that reason, I just do not like these food delivery services, even though they would be convenient. There, there have been times – I remember when, when I would be grinding online and I would get hungry and I'd be putting off eating, putting off eating, and I don't have anything around the house and I really just want to go out and get food – and yet the game's good and I don't want to quit it. And sometimes eventually I get so hungry I have to just quit and go get the food and rush back and then the game's broken. Or there's a big waiting list I can get in. And I thought before I would be cool if I, if I could just get someone to get that food and bring it to me. But in, in practice, there's a lot of problems with it. And I didn't even think of the delivery person could just be screwing around and eating some of your food or drinking from your drink. Yeah, that's, a, that's another big issue. I, I don't like any of these things that these new app-based uh, service type uh, things that are replacing existing industries 
or new conveniences that are brought on by these apps where you can get people to do things for you. For the most part, I, I don't like or trust any of it. And I'm not just being like an old guy who's being paranoid. There's a, I see legitimate problems with all these things. I, I, I'm not a big fan of Uber or Lyft. Uh, especially, and if, if I were female, I'd be really scared to take those things. And every female I know has had bad experiences where even if nothing has actually happened to them, where they've, they've had creepy guys driving them, making inappropriate comments, or they're afraid, you know, they have in the back of their mind that this guy kind of seems like the type who might just take me off somewhere and rape me. Like in taxis, this won't happen because taxis, and I'm not going to, the, the taxi industry has a lot of problems, but in taxis, at least, you know, they put a lot of time, money, and effort into getting their medallion, and they don't want to get that revoked, and they don't want to do anything like that. So it's, 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 that's why in taxi, you don't have to worry as much. There's other crappy things that happen with taxis and shady stuff that goes on, but but as far as like the driver being dangerous, that's not really an issue very often with taxis because of the whole process that one has to go through to get a medallion to do it. Uh, Uber and Lyft, anyone can do it, so you're really just trusting a complete stranger to drive you somewhere. And if you're a female alone, that that can be very scary. And I, every female I know has had some kind of bad or semi bad experience in Uber and Lyft, and and then. Uh, and who knows? You know, again, you don't know who's driving. You don't know the, the the skill that the driving skill they have. If they're on any drugs or alcohol, you don't know. You're just having some complete stranger driving you, who really needs the money and will probably drive you whether they're in uh, the state they should be driving or not. I just, I just don't trust that. I I wouldn't use Uber Eats or Grubhub for the reason I just said. I don't like Airbnb. In fact, there's stories going around recently. You can Google them about scams on Airbnb. Some really nasty scams, and Airbnb's customer service is terrible, and doesn't take the the it usually doesn't take the side of the customer when these scams happen, which is terrible. Um, I just I just don't like any of this stuff. I just like doing these things myself. I usually, in in general, like doing things myself that I can do myself. So like I can't walk into a nice restaurant and say, hey, I'm going to serve myself here. That's not possible, so I, I have to have them serve me. That's fine. But like I get to a hotel, I always bring my own luggage in, never have the Belmont carry in. I park my own car. I don't have the valet drive it unless I have to. Uh, when I'm loading my own car at the end of a hotel stay, I will load and also unload my own car. I will never have them assist me. Uh, I always want to pump my own gas, so these days... For the most part, you have to do that. But even back when full serve is more common, I didn't like it. And there's some people who love these things. Some people just like handing off any responsibility to others to do things for them, and they just relax. I don't. I just, I'm always worried it'll be done wrong, and it'll create some kind of issue. I'm like, I, I feel I can do it faster. I can do it more according to the way I like it. I forget what's right and wrong. You know, I, I have my own preferences the way the things are done. I, I can do it the way I, lo- I want at my own speed. And I don't like having other people do these things for me. So that's these things don't appeal to me at all. And uh, Trader Risky, do you use this stuff? I mean, I you know Uber, I'll, I'll use in New York because like if I'm getting out of a meeting at four o'clock or something, it's awesome because trying to track down a cab is like ridiculous. Um, I've used Grubhub or Uber Eats a few times if I'm, you know, in like an online poker tournament or something, can't get out of the house. But there was definitely one time where I'm like, this motherfucker, this bag looks open. Uh, you, you know, so I was suspicious. And actually, I think that was the last time I used it. What, what are you and talking then, about? You what, know. Oh, which bag? For Uber Eats? 
No, yeah, the food bag. I yeah. think this guy must have taken a piece of chicken or something. <laughs> yeah, and, and Airbnb, that just seems weird Other to me. Than to, that, it, I tried, you know. Airbnb seems weird to me, just like traveling. I could not imagine that that would have worked. Could you imagine you're letting someone stay in your house, some stranger? Yeah. It's crazy. Well, yeah, and like I don't want to even be the stranger. Like it seems weird to me. And I, I told my girlfriend about this and she totally agreed. Like uh, there's some people who think Airbnb is great and you can you can stay in these nice houses on the beach and, and not have to be in a hotel and it, it's a, and the size of what you have is a lot cheaper than the same size place in a hotel and but but there's a reason that the hotels are more expensive. There's a reason you're getting a, a better deal for this much space and it's it's because it's somebody's house and there's a lot of uh professionalism that isn't there, maintenance quality that isn't there, uh, protection for when things go wrong or, or ability to fix things that isn't there. There's so many things that can come up, and it's just kind of weird just staying in someone else's house that there's some stranger. I just uh, To me, it's not totally. a, not appealing at all. I just want to go to stay in a hotel. That's, uh, that's not for me at all. So I, I was mentioning it to my girlfriend, and she said, oh, yeah, I'm so glad you don't like doing that because I take that too. So she's totally with me on that, and... Uh, it was funny, like one time I was considering trying Uber instead of a cab, but she was very anti it. And this is with me there. It wasn't like she was scared. She was just like, no, 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 this isn't regulated at all. I don't, I don't want to do this. And so she, she hated the idea of Uber even more than I did. I've taken Uber a few times, and the first two times were a bad experience. They just did, I got no-showed on twice, two different times. Uh, the next two times were good, but I think I've taken it four times in my life, but... Uh, I, so I, I'm not totally against it, but I, I'm not someone who would who really thinks that highly of doing it. And if possible, I always like to drive my own car or or a car I rent. I, I always want yeah, to drive I, it if I, possible. I, I did use it twice in LA because actually my car was in the shop. I had to go to the dentist, and actually the you know it's a good experience both times. So, but like you said, it's hit or miss. You know, the people driving, I mean, who the fuck knows what position that they're in? Yeah. yeah Financially, or, like, you know, if you're, if you're a rapist or a fucking robber or something, it's like, oh, wow, I can what? I can just go pick random people up? Perfect. One One problem here is that I think a lot of the people in Silicon Valley these days who create these apps that, that uh, do all these things, these are mostly younger people, and they, they think they arrogantly think that they're smarter than generations before them who had all these needless regulations. Why, why have all these needless regulations bogging down the service and the customer when we can just connect people who want to do services and people who want the services? And then there's all these problems. And you go, oh, well, that's why the regulations were there. That's why my grandfather – people of my grandfather's generation uh, put these in place. They, they, then it starts to make sense why – we have all these, and I'm not even like a big regulations guy, but there were, there have to be some regulations in certain industries, or everything goes crazy, and 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 a lot of bad things happen. And uh, sometimes the what seems to be the most efficient, cheapest way is not always the best because it, it lacks so many protections that are sorely needed. And just because you can sometimes have a good experience where it's cheaper and and uh, and easier, that doesn't mean that you're always going to. And there can be problems that you're not going to get fixed when when they occur and then you go crap I, I i wish that i used the other service which was more regulated i just i i i think a lot of this needs a lot of reform and i like reading all these airbnb scam stories i actually am on the side of cities like san francisco and others which have been clamping down and requiring 
those who rent on Airbnb to get a license to do so. And normally I think of this as just the city being obnoxious and, and just trying to make extra money. But I go, you know what? There's so many scams, and so much bullshit going on. I, I actually applaud them. I actually think this is necessary. And Yeah. And I think like if I like, think there were people at a house they just use for Airbnb or the place. Actually, I didn't tell you I moved up to San Luis Obispo area. But the place in L.A. I lived, it was like a townhouse that had 14 units, and one of them was just Airbnb. Ah. You know, so something like that, and they have people coming in and out, and some students staying there. For UCLA, that's different than like, oh, it's my house, now I'm leaving and letting some stranger come in. Like, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that, that, so I don't, I don't like any of that stuff. And uh, sometimes what seems to be a good idea and seems to be the best and seems like something that you'd want to do and seems so much better than – you discover later there's a, there's a reason things were done the way they were originally. I'm not saying that always the first idea is the best or the established idea can't be approved upon. I, I think it's gone too much the other way. And I, I've always said I'm, I'm someone who's more of a believer in what I call lighter touch regulation than no regulation. Because that no regulation allows for too many scams or, or, or bad things to take place. Let's talk about Mike Postle now. Small update here. Not what you were hoping for, not what you were really expecting when I say Mike Postle update. But nevertheless, something happened today. There is some action on the Quiet Stones Twitter account, which hadn't said anything in quite some time. The last time the Stones Twitter account was active was on October 11th, where they talked about where they, they, they quoted an article from the Sacramento Bee that this attorney who's a supposed independent investigator, that's really their own attorney, who's investigating what happened, that, quote, computer forensics will give us the definitive evidence needed to reach the ultimate conclusion we have been and will continue to totally cooperate with the Bureau of Gambling Control from day one. They're, they're putting that out there like this is a good thing. That was on October 11th. Well, November 8th now is four, year, four weeks later. feels like four years. It's been four weeks. And they finally tweeted again. As a result of our decision to suspend broadcasting, Poker Star's Moneymaker's Road to PSPC stop at Stone's Gambling Hall has been removed from our schedule while we are conducting our investigation. We thank Poker Stars for their understanding and cooperation. So Poker Stars had some kind of event that they do there. And they're not done with their, quote, investigation, so they, they can't open up the live stream again without looking really, really bad. I mean, they, they can, but they don't want to because it'll just make everything worse. They want to come out with something that'll satisfy at least some people. So they, they haven't completed this, quote, investigation. I think they're just wringing their hands as to what they should say and do. There, there's a reason it's taking this long. They, they, really, the, the investigative process should not be that long. This should be something pretty simple. They should be done long ago. But they're, I think they're letting time pass on purpose. The more time that passes, the more this falls out of people's minds. Like, look right now. Look at today. What is everybody thinking about today regarding poker, who's on social media? They're all thinking about Daniel Negreanu got his player of the year taken away and it was given to someone else and Sean Deeb got screwed. Like, everyone's thinking about that today. Like, Postle's not even entering your head, right? That's what they want. They want a bunch of other stories to 
start taking up space in your mind, and this starts to become more and more a distant memory, and then at some point they'll drop the results of the investigation, which will be favorable to them, and, and then they'll make some claims about reform they're going to do so it'll be safer in the future, and okay, we're done. That, that's what's going to happen. So I, it, there's a good chance that this delay is intentional. So in the meantime, they happen to hit on a schedule where they have to have, they're supposed to have this Poker Stars Money Makers Road to PSPC event, featuring Chris Moneymaker, and they're like, well, crap, we can't hold this now with a, with a live, live stream and everything because that's going to open up old wounds when we're not done with the investigation yet. So they, they had to cancel it. The, as you might expect, they got clobbered on Twitter. <laughs> Rick Fuller wrote, 10-year-old cold murder cases get solved quicker than this. What the fuck are these investigators doing right now? What did they do yesterday? How about tomorrow? Someone else wrote, uh, Rapids Chris wrote, incentives are not aligned for them to investigate this. They would essentially be assisting in making a case for the lawsuit that's been filed against them. Very good point. Uh, Someone wrote, y'all need to repay everyone that was cheated. Another person wrote, Mike Possel approves of this message. Another person wrote, "As as a result of our incompetence and absolute ruined integrity. Uh, someone else wrote, uh, seems like you're stalling, still investigating, gee whiz. Someone else wrote, you're stalling. Another person wrote, so the, lo- so the locals get screwed, awesome. Another person wrote, hurry up with the investigation, you muppets. Another person wrote, took Joey Ingram one week, what's taking you so long? Spill the beans already. And someone's asking, is this account still run by Justin Caritas? The answer is, I think, no. I think he hasn't been around. I think he's been either suspended or fired. Someone simply wrote, LOL. Someone else wrote, he cheated, plain and simple, end of of investigation. Someone else wrote, shame on you. Someone else wrote, what the fuck is taking so long? Should take about five minutes. Someone else wrote, disgusting that you're even still operating. I hope the law catches up with you. You don't deserve to be here. Someone else wrote, the longer this takes, the more obvious your incompetency is. Someone else wrote, uh, what the fuck? Hurry the fuck up. <laughs> so, there's not like one good response. There's not even a single response. They're saying, hey, thanks for the update. Or I'm glad you guys are, are, are doing work on this. I'm glad you guys are trying to figure out. What... None of it. Like, nobody's fooled. Every single Twitter response is negative. Every single one. They don't have like one gullible person saying, oh, "Okay, guys, I see you're handling it well." Like, like that's how poorly they're handling it. That not even like a, a single Stones fanboy is there thanking them for this or, or giving them a positive piece of feedback over this. That's that's hilarious. Any, anything they they put out there just <laughs> just results in this. Here's one other response. How dare you? So anyway, that's the update I have. Not much more. Still waiting. I don't think we're going to get much more until they come forward with what their results were of their investigation, which they're going to have to do at some point because they want to resume the, the live stream. They want to resume everything as it was. They've just, they're, they're waiting for the right time to do it. That's my opinion. And I'm assuming no one came out because I think at one point a few weeks ago, the investigator hadn't interviewed any of the players involved. Not the players' players, but, you know, the people. Veronica, is that her name? Yeah. Or anybody else, right? So, I mean, Joey Ingram, if I'm the investigator, I'd be like, okay, you know, he did so much work on it. I would think he'd be the number one person to talk to. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, no, no but I, I mean, maybe there was a real investigation. You're right. I don't even know if that's a good question. If they talked to Veronica, I don't think so. I think Veronica would come forward and say so. I don't think she, like why would she even be protecting them? So I, I think they probably haven't gone to anyone like Veronica. That's I think they're doing this like supposedly from a forensic standpoint that they're going to be inspecting their equipment and who accessed the server at which time. And I, I think when we get an answer, I think when we get a conclusion, it's going to be. Well, we found uh, a few security measures which could have been better. It's inconclusive whether someone accessed the stream or not. Uh, we're not saying it didn't happen, but uh, we don't see any evidence that it did. We, we've taken such and such measures to prevent this from ever possibly happening again, if it did happen in the first place. And that, that's, that's all we can do. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Or it could just be a complete denial. Like, we went through it. We can't find any evidence. Sorry. It could be that, too, just to protect themselves from any lawsuit or anything or any kind of uh, problems with their license. It could be that, or it could just be like a middle ground, like maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. We didn't find any evidence there was, but we, we see we could do a few security measures better, and we're going to do them in the future. It's going to be one of those two. It, it will not be, yes, we found Mike Possible was cheating. Yes, we found Justin Caritas was an accomplice. Yes, we found this other person was an accomplice. Yes, Mike Possible ripped everybody off for a year and a half. Like They're, they're not going to put that out there, because as someone accurately said on Twitter – this pretty much hands the lawsuit to that uh, to Mac Verstandig and all the clients. This pretty much hands them a win and may even put their license in jeopardy. So they're not going to come back with anything that helps the opposition. They're just going to come back with whatever the minimum is they can say to partially satisfy people and make it look like this is never going to happen again. And, and is there any shot of a criminal investigation or one of the authorities getting involved, or is that not even a possibility? Well, there was that guy who told uh, Chico Loco – or not Chico. It, was, it, was, uh, it wasn't Chico Loco. It was that, that southern character I made the call with. The new character, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, that they had the DOJ down there, but then there's some believing that that was really the Bureau of Gaming Control and the guy just got confused. But that still may not mean a criminal investigation. I don't know. It's possible there is one, and we'll find out when someone gets arrested. It's also possible that it's a very weak one or just like a minor probe by the Bureau of Gaming in California, which is not, it's, it's not a very strong gaming commission in California. It's a very weak gaming commission. And they, they don't really care that much about the integrity in gaming, which is sad, but that's the case. Nevada cares way more. I wish California's gaming commission was more like Nevada's, which isn't perfect, but it's a hell of a lot better than California's. So that's – I'm afraid there may not be much done criminally unless something is found really conclusively that were to make it easy to make a criminal case against Mike Possel. I, I think if they were to – if some law enforcement body were to take this seriously and start hauling people in and scaring them, like just haul everybody in who was involved with that stream – and bring them in the in the uh, the windowless room and uh, put a bright light in their face and, and tell them you know, we've got the goods on you. You better admit it, or it's going to be terrible for you. And then see if someone cracks. But uh, obviously, I'm exaggerating a bit in the windowless room and the, and the light in their face. But you know what I mean. Just bring somebody and really put the pressure on on everybody who could possibly be involved, and and see who might crack. 
So you might be afraid that, hey, if you don't know. Oh, they'd, they'd be singing immediately. Right. I, like if I, if they said, hey, if, if you cooperate with us now, well, we, we can even make it where you get a suspended sentence or, or maybe nothing at all. We'll, we'll put in a really good word for you. If you don't, you'll be facing 20 years in prison. Some of them may panic and go, shit, I better say something. And, and you know, think about yourself. Think if, if you did this and then the FBI or the police pull you in and, and tell you this, you, you may want to say something if you weren't the ringleader. Now, Apostle's not going to say something, but – uh, the people who are accomplices, maybe they might. And all it takes is one person to start spilling information, and then the whole thing can, can fall apart. And and then everyone can go down. So if they really wanted to put the effort into it, I think they could probably get someone to crack, especially if multiple people had knowledge of it, even if not everybody was all that actively involved. But if, if they're not going to approach this very aggressively, then there's a good chance no one's going to get in criminal trouble for this. But there's still the matter of Stone's reputation, and there's still a matter of this civil lawsuit, and I – like, I, for example, I don't think Mike Possible will ever play in there again. I think they're just going to tell him – I think they're going to quietly ban him. Maybe they won't even – maybe they'll do more than quietly ban him. Maybe they'll, they'll actually ban him and tell everybody he's banned that they they don't know for sure, but they're, to, to, to protect the integrity of the games, he's not welcome back. Maybe they'll just quietly tell him he can't come back. I, I can't ever see they allow him to come back. I, I bet Justin Caritas probably will not continue his employment there. They may have already fired him, but I, I now that's less certain to me than Possible never coming back. I'd really be shocked if they let Possible come back and play poker there. Justin Caritas, I think, could come back, but probably won't. Probably he's going to be fired. And the, it's possible to fire other people who were under suspicion here. But I think when it's all said and done, it's going to be disappointing as to what consequences people face, unless this lawsuit is successful or semi-successful and at least some money is squeezed out of them there. So that's the update I have for now. Any news on this, I will present to you guys. As you see, this is not a huge development, but I it's the first movement in this in almost a month, and I felt it was worth telling you guys, and it just happened today. Just like the thing with the World Series Player of the Year. All the things happening today, except for the next thing we're going to get to. A meltdown by a vlogger named Mark Ari. I hadn't really heard of before, but some people have heard of him. He's not one of the huge vloggers, but some people had been watching him. And he's always been, from what I can see, kind of... uh, just blurt out what he wants to say, brash, kind of crazy-seeming vlogger. He's kind of just like a guy who's entertaining because you never know what he's going to do next or say next. But this really took it to the next level. He actually live-streamed a weird walk he was taking through the neighborhood with his dog. And his his dog was damaging someone's vehicle or climbing on someone's vehicle and it caused a confrontation. And he was acting really strange and aggressive. And the police were either called or just happened upon him. And you actually got to watch and hear his arrest. And when I say hear, at some point he was forced to put his phone in his pocket. And you could only hear what was going on. And the entire video that was live streamed ended when the police had him in the station and forced him to turn off his phone, which he objected to, but then they forced him to, and they it, it finally just abruptly went off, and that was that. 
This occurred in New Jersey. Some people thought this was in Vegas, but it wasn't. It was in Summers Point, New Jersey. And so he started off doing a video, and I, I admit, because the video is over an hour, and I was told that the good stuff starts about 30-something minutes in, I watched the video. He just kind of seemed unstable and weird at the beginning of the video, but like not that entertaining. So I never even watched that part. I, I just skipped past it, and I'm going to skip past it for you too. So we're going to jump to like the 34-minute mark, and I'm going to play some of this to you. Don't feel bad. You can only hear it because the video isn't that good. It's kind of jumping around. Sometimes you, you, you can't see very much. Later in the video, it's actually going to be in his pocket where it's all black. So it's more of a thing you listen to than watch. Watching doesn't give you much here. I'm going to speed up here to the 34-minute mark or so. Now, if you want to find it, the best way is to go on Poker Fraud Alert. If you go to the Flying Stupidity Forum... There's a thread called Poker Vlogger Mark Ari is a Wreck, Live Streams Arrest. And, yeah, that's, that's him walking. He also has these weird bubbles. He has like a fake bubbles thing in the background, which is kind of annoying to watch. It's like a kind of video effect. I don't know why he has that going. That's the least of his problems here. I also saved a copy of this just in case it were to disappear before radio. But fortunately, I don't have to worry about that because it's still here online. The video is actually called Chillin', and it's on his channel. But you can just find it embedded on the Poker Vlog Mark Ari is a Wreck live streams arrest thread on Poker Fraud Alert. So I just jumped to the 34-minute mark. Barked in these boys. Like the, video, the video was frozen there, so you can hear it, but you can't see it. So that's what I mean. You're not missing much by not seeing it. This is actually perfect for radio. Barked in these boys. By the way, did Janice ask you before she... Did Janice ask you before she put these signs on your property? Uh, I don't know. Look, sound bite, I don't want them here. Okay, all right, calm down. Get them the fuck out of here. Hey, easy, buddy. They, they get agitated. They got leashes. You want to get them off the property? I do, but they get yeah, agitated. He's in your truck. <laughs> so his dogs were jumping on this guy's truck. Mark walking with these dogs, and they're jumping on – it's either one or two dogs, I'm forgetting. Jumping on his truck – on this guy's property, the guy's going, what the hell? You bring dogs on my property. They're jumping on my new truck. Get them out of here. And then the guy's getting pissed. And, and Mark's like, hey, what's the problem here? Like, he's doing nothing wrong. I mean, I'd be pissed, too, if this was happening on my property. I'm going to call the police. Call them. Get them yep. out of here. Right, just, just get them out. Would you just don't make Well, wait, is, don't he calling make a, is he calling the cops or what? No, we, listen, we don't want to call the cops. No, come on. We're not going to call the cops. I talk to them every day. Yeah, no, we're not trying. Listen. Yeah, just we don't call the police. I know, I know. Fuck the police, am I right, Mo? Wouldn't you get them out of here? Well, of course. No, they're not, they're sweethearts. But if you get agitated, they get agitated. Yeah, well then don't bring them in the yard, all right? Yeah, That's yeah. what we're asking. I hear you, brother. All right, all right. I'm out of my truck. All right, Jax, come on, buddy. Jax, champ. Don't worry about champ, he's, they're both Listen, sweethearts. don't tell but... me what to worry about. I know somebody was bit in the face by one, so, you know. Well, wait a minute, not by these Listen, guys. I'm not here to debate. Yeah, well, I mean, we're having I'm a trying, I'm trying to fix the problem I got here. What's the problem? Panic. I think these might be pit bulls, by the way. <laughs> Imagine having pit bulls on your property, like climbing in your trucks, and he's like, oh, don't worry about this one. Only why you want to wipe it this one. If he gets agitated, you're like, no, get these off my property. Get them away from my truck. So Mark's already acting like a complete asshole here. I, I totally can sympathize with a guy who's unhappy here and why he's being, like, nasty with Mark because Mark's deserving it here. And Mark totally being dismissive, too. Yeah. 
Listen, could you be kind of the dog out of my truck? <laughs> okay, let me get the dog. Jax, get out of the fucking truck. Jax, come on, buddy. Jax. Jax, get out of the... Champ. Okay. Jax, come on, buddy. Come on, come on. Jax. Jax. Come on, buddy. Jax. Jax, come on, come on. We gotta go. It's not yours. Jax, come on. Come on, baby. Hey, you want to open that door and I'll get him out that side? He's a big boy, you know? Hey, hey, come on, champ. Come on, champ. Good boys. Good boys. Just open the doors and I'll get him. Champ. By the way, the cutting out audio is not on my end. You don't have a problem with this show. You don't have a... I don't have a problem broadcasting. It's actually the audio quality is not that good. He's walking around the neighborhood on his cell phone and live streaming. So there are little cutouts that's on his end, not ours. Hey, buddies. Come on, buddies. All right. Champ, champ get the fuck out. Jax. Okay. Get the fuck out. Champ. Come on, buddy. Good boy. Do you guys have food in here? Is that what it is? Oh, did you call the cops? I didn't call them on the cops. We're asking nicely to get your two dogs out of my truck. Well, who called the cops? I, I don't know. Nobody did, and I know. See, he sees the cops. But, but Trader Risky, can you hear this, by the way? I can't, but I'm kind of watching. I'm a little behind you. I was just okay, watching. Okay, okay. You know what? Close. I'm going to turn it off and back on. It should uh, probably make it so you can hear it better. Apologize about that. Yeah, Skype is. But so uh, he still hasn't gotten his dogs out of the guy's truck. And then so he sees the police approaching. He's like, oh, man, he called the cops. Now, I still don't know if this guy called the cops or somebody else called the cops or if just the police happened to be coming by and saw something was going on. That was never made clear. But you'll hear the police make their appearance in a matter of seconds. All right, good. We don't call the cops. Jax! Come on, buddy. Hey, good boy. Jax, come on. Come on, buddy. Jax, get the fuck out of here. Jax, come on. You can actually see the dog is in the guy's truck. Like you actually can see he's trying to pull the dog, and the dog is actually stubbornly sitting. You can't really see the dog that well, but the, you can actually see he's pulling a leash that's le- leading into this truck, and there's a freaking dog in there. Come on, boys. Hey, how's it going, brothers? I don't know. They wanted to go for a ride. Did someone call you guys? Uh, yeah, but we're here. Who called? Who called? Oh, you're in the... Yeah. Hold on, give me a second. My mother might have heard there was something inside. This is her house. You don't call the police. Listen, you don't... Your daughter... Your pit bulls... Hey, 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 Mark. They want to go for a ride. What do you want from me? Mark, they didn't call the police. Who called the police? Uh, We'll explain everything. All right. Another police department called us. Oh, for something else? Okay. Easy, big fella. Easy, buddies. You know, now that I'm hearing this again, I don't think I believe the police's story. I think they're just trying to get Mark away from all this and not blame it on the people who called. He said another police department called us, and later they're going to say that there was a warrant for him in another county, which which is true. And it was over something uh, – well, you, you'll hear what that warrant's about. But I don't believe the poli- like another police department called them right then coincidentally to go pick him up. I think that – 
probably someone there called up and then they they probably already knew Mark from dealing with him before. And they they went down there and said, oh, we'll just we'll just say we're coming to pick him up for a warrant. And this way it makes it look like it's the other police department's fault that they're right there, not the people for calling it on him and then having him retaliate. That, that's, now that I'm seeing this again, that's what's making me think what really occurred. All right. The reason why we're here is... Uh, Something else, right? Yes. Okay. Very good, very good. Why'd you pull over? I'll explain. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. We're here because uh, there is a uh, woman from, I guess, Atlanticare uh, that wants to do a mental health evaluation on you. On me? Yes. Who, who's this woman? I'll, we'll, we'll I, your house. She's waiting for you there. We can explain everything. Uh, I don't consent. Okay. Sorry, sweetheart. You can absolutely do that. Okay. All right, we're gonna, Anything we're else? Get the yeah, we're going to get the dog in the house. Well, wait a minute. I'm at a lot of I'm on a leash. Okay. I, you're not doing anything wrong with the dog. That's right. Okay. Very good. But well, right now, you have a As warrant. As you are, officers. You have a warrant out for your arrest. For who? Township. Okay. For what? For oh, the, for the... DUI. Yeah, well, that was bullshit. But it's a DUI, not, not a DWI. It's not bullshit. It's the warrant exists, and it's for fifteen hundred dollars. Okay. And so, you- I like it. No, it's a it's a DUI, not a DWI. Like it's the same thing. Who cares what the way you call it? Driving under the influence or driving while intoxicated? It's the same thing. <laughs> He's correcting them. Uh, by the way, Trader, can you hear it now? I can. And this guy is an obnoxious prick. I hope it ends with the uh, nightsticks coming out. <laughs> but you can hear it though, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I mean, you 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 hear this, and you got you you really do kind of. This is one of these cases where you're actually rooting for police brutality, but uh, that he's just being such a dick, and he'll continue being a dick as you hear this. You will be placed into custody for that. Okay. So I have to pay fifteen hundred bucks. So what we're gonna do right now? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. What we're gonna? Okay. Do right can I go to an ATM? Listen. What we're gonna do right now? Okay. Is we're gonna. I'm a dangerous the sergeant, man. The sergeant's gonna grab the. Uh, Grab the dogs. Okay. No, no, no. I wouldn't take these dogs. Well, you're under arrest. So, yes, they are. Okay. Well, can we put them back in the condo? Okay. Or do they come to the no, station? We're going to bring them back to the condo. We can okay. do the station. No, Whatever you guys want to do. Yeah, can okay. Can I put some boxers so, on? Hold on a second. Can you, can you give the leash to the sergeant? Uh, are you promised we're going to bring them back yes, to the... Yes, we are. Okay. No. So what's, the thing about the boxers is that he's walking around like a bathrobe. So, he must not even have underwear on. Yeah, I was going to ask what the hell he's wearing. <laughs> It looks like a bathroom. You know, and did you see the part where he was like tearing the signs off the lawns? No, no, I, I skipped past that. I, I, so yeah, well, there was like there were like signs for political candidates, like ah, oh, fuck her, like taking the signs. Oh, you know what? I did lawns. see that. I did. I you know what? I did go back and see that. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, he was doing that before this point. That may have been also who called the police on him. There could have been a lot of people who called the police here, but. Uh, so as you can, he's getting very flippant with the police, and he's he's doing all he can to try to convince them to just let him go. The the, the DWI is it's a or the DUI it's it's bullshit. It's it's a bullshit DUI. And uh, let me go to the ATM to get the money out to pay the warrant. They're like, no, this isn't how it works. There's a warrant. When we encounter you, then we arrest you. That's the police do have the discretion to not enforce minor warrants, but usually it's for like very minor things. Uh, usually if you have a warrant for a DUI or DWI, then yes, they're, they're taking you in if they have contact with you. Even if you're doing nothing else wrong, where here he clearly is. On your word. Yeah. All right, well, hold on. Let me get out of this this thing there. So you guys are coming anyway. 
They didn't call yeah. us, Mark. Yeah, you're they coming were, anyway? Yeah, you just happen to be over Because I have a, what, a warrant? Because yes, of the Hamilton Township that pulled me over when I was taking a nap and accused me of a DUI that's fallacious okay. and took my car. Hold, hold on, before you put the cuffs on me, bro. Wait, wait, wait. No, you're under arrest. Easy, buddy. No, I'm allowed to keep this running. You're under, you're under arrest. Keep it running. I'm going to keep it running. Let me put it in my pocket. Can I put it in my pocket? Can you put it in my pocket? It's my property. Hey. Okay, so now it goes dark for us. Uh, they, they actually took it and put it in his That's why, hey, it's my property. And he got softer because it's no longer right, like right up to his face. Now it's in his pocket and it's all black. But you're, you're going to be able to hear. It's not quite as loud, but you can hear. And, uh, and they're putting him in handcuffs. And they're going to take his dogs and presumably bring him back to his condo and leave them there. Hopefully there's someone else who can come take care of them or he'll find uh, piss and shit all over the house. <laughs> and also, I guess they'll die if there's not someone to feed them after a while. But uh, we, we don't find out what happens there. I'm easy, I'm easy, bro. But what are we doing here? For the warrant. Right? Yeah. Okay, well, what is the warrant for? Hamilton. Can I have a point? No, you missed your court date. Can I put a warrant on whether it's 10.30? So I missed my court date? Yeah, I'm going to put a warrant on for you. All right, can I just do this? I don't know. Are you going? No, no, not here, buddy. He's going. All right, well, what, I thought they were going, they're going to the condo. Can we go to the condo first, drop yeah, them off? We have to talk to the ladies in the mental health. I have my, house, my walking we're, stick we're, for the dogs. Can I get it to you? Where is it? Right on there. Hang on in, pull it. It's right on the street. Can you get my phone? Can John, I didn't lock it. Do you have the phone? Yeah, the phone. Oh, yeah, it's in your pocket. It's in your pocket. Oh, okay. Can we grab my stick, please? It's my grandfather. Where's your stick? It's right up here. Well, they walk with you easier than they walk with me. Of course, of course they will. They're on their own. Of course. Yeah. Whatever you like. You don't like drugs? I like them, but I feel like they're going to be... Well, yeah, they will. They don't want to walk with me. Can I get my stick, please? It's right over there. You can, we got to walk. My place is right there. My stick's there. The dogs are going to take them to the condo. Then you guys give it back to me. You know. So let me stop this for a second. It's, it's, it's kind of cutting out and not all that clear here. But this walking stick actually becomes uh, a big thing here. There is some walking stick that he claims his grandfather gave him that is missing. It, it fell somewhere. And he's very insistent that the police help him search for it, which... Given the way he's acting, they're not required to help him search for a stick he lost. They, 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 they're arresting him, then they just take him away. That's how it works. The, the police were surprisingly nice to him here the whole way. And you'll you hear more about this walking stick as more time passes. I may skip ahead a little bit here if this quality doesn't improve. Let me stop a while. I'll get a cup of coffee. Mark, jump in here for me. Wait, 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 wait. I want to get are we going to get the stick? You promise? That's my grandfather's stick. You promise? I promise. You promise? Promise. Thank you. I don't want to lose that stick. It's my grandfather's stick. Don't worry, boys. He's in the police car now. He's in the police car now. Which is going to make it quieter. Because it... The outside noise is gone, so maybe we can hear better. Right now, it's just silence. That's him kind of stretching out as much as he can in the back of the police car. It's all black. You're seeing as much as I am right now. Totally, totally black in the video. But that's how it works in What do you think, Kurt's going to hang out with you? 
I'm not sure what that is in the background. How's it going, brother? What's going on? So I'm allowed to record? Oh, you guys are recording. Can I get... Yeah, that's my grandfather's sticks. Very important. Okay. The dogs are also my pro my responsibilities. Yeah, so. no, we're going to put them in the place. Very good. Talk to this lady real quick. Which lady? The mental health evaluation. I'm not talking to her. Well, listen. No, 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 no. I, don't, I don't, I'm not obligated to Mark. talk to her. Mark, let me, let me finish Turn back. left. My stick left. Hook no, left. No, they're going to get your stick. All right. Are you sure? Yes. Let me finish my sentence before you, before you cut me off. I go right ahead, brother. We're going to pull up this lady. If you don't want to talk to her, then simply tell her you don't want to talk to her. I already told her over the phone. And she's trespassing on my property. She's not on your property. Uh, she's within the vicinity of my property. Uh, the vicinity of my property. He's already like just getting really nasty with them. They, they wanted, they wanted him to do a mental health evaluation with some woman that works for the department or with the department, and he's refusing. And says he's trespassing on his property, and then well, she's not on your property. Well, she, he's, she's in the vicinity of my property. Like she can be in the vicinity. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. And he's still obsessed with the stick, as you'll hear. Uh, not, possession is nine-tenths of the law. My dogs have urinated all over this, so we've marked our territory very clearly. She can get the, she can go kick rocks. You heard he just said that that's also his property near where, uh, near his property also counts as his property because his dogs mark the territory by pissing near his property. Therefore, it becomes his as well. He's actually telling this to the police while he's sitting in the back of the car. That she can't be on the property that his dog pissed on, even though it's technically not his, because once once the dogs piss on it, it becomes their property. They're marking the territory. Oh, also my bicicleta. That's your bike? Yep. My bike, my sailboat, my rug, and my walking stick. Hey, sweetheart. That's my neighbor. What's my favorite word? Why you gotta play me like short? You can't fall on my corner. I have her phone number. Do you want me to give her a call? Ah, never mind. She's uh, she's walking up right now. I'm not talking to her. You better keep her on a leash. Listen. You better keep her on a leash. Keep her on a leash. What's up, Playa? Andrew Neem, fake account. You're blocked. I would block you, but I got handcuffs on. Fuck you. Here. He's actually talking to people who are watching this live. <laughs> I got a warrant because of the DUI from Hamilton Township. Apparently, I had a court date on the 30th of October that I missed. So now they're claiming that I'm in violation of their faggot fucking arrest. He's telling this to the people he's live streaming. He can he can see them like in the chat room or something, but he can't touch the phone because he's in handcuffs. No. Hey, I told them I didn't want to talk to you. Why are you here? I just have to hear you say that. No, you don't. Lee, you can go. I told them over the phone. Oh. Bye, sweetheart. He don't kisses, come back now. He kisses her goodbye. Goodbye, sweetheart. Well, I'll be home in 15 minutes. I got to pay 1500 bucks. Big fucking deal. You know, it's a bullshit DUI. I blew a 0.00. .00. And you got cash, you say, right? Well, I got to go to the ATM. I'll get cash or a bank. Yeah. 
I mean, we can hang out all day. I, I've got nothing to do. You know? Uh. Mm, 10-4. Uh, we got a white male uh, suspect. Uh, white male. Uh... Hey, you didn't, you didn't shut the door, did you? Good, because I don't have my keys. Let's get the dog safely up to the condo. Did you grab my stick? Oh, come on, guys. That's my grandfather's stick. It's on that street. Why am I in this fucking car? Can I get my stick, please? So what? Can I get my stick? Well, it's my grandfather's stick. It's very important to me. And I, you said you would get it. You didn't get it. It's No, it's on that side street right there. We'll take a look for it. We'll have him drive you to it. If, right. if I lose that stick, I'm going to be very upset. Don't shut those doors. I don't have the keys, all right? The front door. Keep it open. Yeah, but don't. Oh, I'm talking about the front door. Yeah, keep, yeah, but don't lock it. Make sure it's not locked. All right. Yeah, just put them up there, and then we'll get my stick. And then uh, if, it'd be good if I grab my ATM card. You want to grab my ATM card for me? Actually, I don't want you guys in the in the condo. Good. Just put the dogs in there. He probably realized that there's drugs in there. <laughs> get my ATM. Actually, no. Don't get the. Don't get anything. Just just put the dogs in there. Don't look at anything. Fucking losers. What up, player? Woo! What was that? <laughs> How you doing, officer? Wonderful. What's your name, officer uh, Canava? I know. We'll probably I'll probably see you tomorrow in the next and the next and the next. I, don't see that. I didn't know it was illegal to be five two white man. It's not illegal. What am I a pa- the patriarchy? What is the fuck is this? Yeah. You have a traffic warrant. You didn't show up for court. Yeah, it was a bullshit DUI. I blew a zero point zero zero. But you still have to show up for court. Fuck them. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna sue the whole fucking Hamilton Township Police Department. Yeah, good. Yeah, good luck there. It's an expression. It's a figure of speech. Well, they charged you. For they, what? For terroristic threats. Ooh. So, they'll explain everything. Ooh. Little we're pussies. Leave, we're going to leave here and go to Hamilton Township. Yeah. Do they know that I'm an actor? Do they know it's a comedy channel? I don't know. The fucking faggots? I don't know. You'll have to explain that to them. Nah, they can go fuck themselves. How about that? They can talk to my lawyer. Okay. Sammy Davis Jr. Ever heard of him? I did. He's not my lawyer, but you've heard of him. I've heard of Sammy yeah. Davis. Listen, I want to get my stick. That's Andy. my grandfather's. Candy man. Candy man. Can't. Mixes right, it with love. Grab my stick, please. So they're going to be taking him to Hamilton County after they bring him to their station. And I have a feeling in Hamilton County they're not going to be as tolerant of this whole act. They already had him charged for a terrorist threats for saying he was going to burn down their police department for that, quote, bullshit DUI. I don't think they'll enjoy being called a bunch of faggots either. The candy man can cause he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. I'm a dangerous man. Oh, forget the bike. I just need my stick. Okay, very good. Don't We're worry still about trying the bike, to find the stick. Still trying. All right, very good. You All want right. me to get my uh, debit card while I'm here? 
Can you imagine how much time they're putting into finding the stick? Like any other police department would just say, screw your stick if you don't see it and go find it later. Or go have somebody you know go track it down. They're actually trying to find a stick for him. Oh, yeah, you like to laugh? Ha-ha, motherfucker! Anyways, you guys will call my dad. Uh, I guess he's going to have to bail me out because they're not letting me get my card. 609-374-0907. That's 609-374-0907. He's giving his dad's number out on his stream. Sure, his dad loves that. No, I'm not going to call it. I feel, I, I feel so bad for this guy's dad already. Obviously, this guy's dad probably is at his wit's end. He's probably supporting Mark here. Probably used to bailing him out of all his bullshit. And at the same time, can't abandon him because it's his son. And people who say, oh, you should just disown your son when he's like this. It's easy to say until you actually have a son who's like this. And you have to turn your back on him, even though you know he's a piece of shit. It's, it's, it can be hard. It can be hard. I've, I've thought about, like, if Benjamin turned out like this, I don't think he will, but if, if he turned out like this, like, I don't know how much I would put up with. Like, I, I might have a problem just turning my back and then feeling, like, really awful if he's found dead somewhere and I felt like I could have done something to prevent it. It's, it's very hard when you're a parent and your son is screwed up. And sometimes the parents blame themselves. Maybe they could have raised them differently. Like, it's it's very hard. It's very, very hard on a parent. And I really feel for the parents who have to deal with having kids like this. And I even try to think about this. I don't want to get too much on a tangent here, but, like, my parents are old because, you know, you know, you know how old I am. Obviously, my parents couldn't be young. And even when I have stresses in my life, I sometimes avoid telling my parents about it because I don't want to stress them out and, and place a burden on them. I, I took a little time to even tell them what was going on with me last year, those health issues and mental health issues. I, I was hoping it would just get better and I wouldn't have to tell them and then, then it, it didn't and I knew I had to say something. And uh, you know, I, I actually felt a little bit bad of how this might be affecting them, knowing what was happening to their kid. And that wasn't even something I could control. So anyway... Uh, when you have a kid like that that just doesn't even care about the way it affects you as the parent and only really calls you when they need you to uh, get them out of their problems, it can still be hard to walk away. So I I wouldn't uh, call the dad there and hassle him anymore. And I hope you guys don't either. Tell him to bring 1500 bucks. You can also call my girl, Alicia Sanchez. Find her on Facebook, Alicia Sanchez, out of Marfa, Texas. You can call Ball Mower. You can call the Ghostbusters. Or I'll just hang out for a while. I don't give a fuck. Doesn't matter to me. Relax. Oh. Help! Help me! Help me! Help me! Golfers are caught over! Help me! Uh, change the plan. Well, are we going to get my stick? We're going to get your stick. All right. Uh, then I don't care about the rest. 
scholarship apparently uh, ROR. What's an ROR? Meaning uh, they don't need the fifteen hundred. Okay. They're just going to give you a new court date. Oh, okay. Well, that's and, nice uh, of them. What about the terroristic threat? Uh, they're going to process you on that when you show up. For court Sounds time. dangerous. So. Oh, so I don't. I can get out of these cuffs. Well, yeah, we have to take you down to our station. Why? It's a different yeah, municipality. They don't do their own work. Are they too fucking lazy? What's that? To do their own fucking job. This is a different municipality. You'll have to uh, talk to them. Fucking losers, bro. That is the most corrupt, inept department I've ever met in my life. What, uh... Where's the stick at? Hook a left on... Cliveden. So, what's happening here, at least so they claim, we, we don't... I think the guy's being honest with him, but we don't get to find out because the thing just ends is that the Hamilton department actually decided they're not going to uh, arrest him right now, that they're just they're going to have him go down to this police department at Summers Point and just get uh, paperwork done, establish a new court date, and then once he shows up for the court date, he'll answer for the DUI and the terroristic threats, which is surprising that they're just going to let him show up at his, at his own leisure. Like, what if, he, what if he runs off? But that's what they're claiming is happening. But they're still looking for a stick. Hook left. We've got about yeah, like jewelry, 11 minutes left. These silver bracelets are of something else. All right, hold up. Let's find it. Uh, go straight. It's somewhere around here. Did you leave it, like, on a lawn, or...? Yeah, the, well, the dogs, you know. But uh, that's all I care about is the stick. It's my grandfather's stick. If I can get out, I'm yeah, sure I right Is it wood? It's, brand, it's like, It looks more like a brand. Yeah. That thing right over there. I don't know. I can't see. I'm in a cop car. Hold on. I'm back up. By the way, why am I required to be in a police car? Yeah. What if I want to walk to the station? Am I required to be in this car? I don't know if this is it over here. I'm trying to show it to him. <sighs> on the lawn here? I can't see, bro. Hook a, hook a J turn. Does it have a face on it? How many sticks could be lying out there on the street? No, that's not it. That's a stick. It's got a face on it. It's a cane. It's a walking stick. Can I get out of this fucking car and find my stick, bro? No. I'm in handcuffs. What's the issue? What are you afraid of? I'm not afraid of anything. Then what, what is the issue? That's against our policy. All right, well, then find my stick, please. You promised. No, it's, it's somewhere between here and the bike. Boy, that, that officer must be regretting right now that he committed to find this stick. He, was, he should have just said, F you and your stick. You can come find it later. No one's going to steal it. She grabbed the stick and beat him over the head with it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you better be yeah, a man. He says it's somewhere between here and the bike. You're a man of your word. You guys gave your word. Yeah. Yeah, so we better we'll get that. Come on, bro. Let's not hold up the process here. Well, you got, how are you going to find ISIS here. if you can't even find a stick? We're trying to help you out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys are helping me out. Oh, with the friends like this, who needs enemies? Where's my stick, bro? Don't drive too far. You gave your word. That's my grandfather's stick. Anything happens to it, I'm be very upset. Why'd you abandon it? I didn't abandon it. You arrested me. You didn't have it on you when we arrested you. That's because I was dealing with the fucking dogs and that fucking loser. See, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, if he really dropped the stick when he was dealing with, quote, the fucking dogs and the fucking loser. But the fucking loser is the one who's had a new truck that the dogs were jumping into. But uh, the stick would have been, like, right there. Instead, like, it, it's just somewhere where you can't locate. He, he must have dropped it at some point and realized he didn't have it anymore 
and now is trying to claim that first he tried to claim it was them that made him drop it, and like no, you didn't have a stick when we arrested you. Oh well, it must have been by that loser who was making my dog get out. I think he probably dropped it a while back and realized he didn't have it, and now wants the cops to go on a stick hunt with him. Man, the mean streets of Summers Point. Goddamn, good thing you guys are a hell of a troop. Hell of a troop. All team, all American, top-notch, top flight. I could see better if I wasn't in a fucking cage. See, see, look how he's acting. They're still helping him find it. Like, if I was this cop... I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I would have said, okay, if you're going to act this way, we're, we're taking you right down to the city. You, you can find your stick later. One more word out of you. That's one more flippant word out of you. There's no. We're not finding the stick, regardless of what I said. We're going to do. He's not required to find the guy's stick. Why am I in this fucking cage? Okay, can we take me to the station? Take these fucking cuffs off me. I'll come back and get my fucking stick. Okay. And if it's gone, then shame on all you people. Why don't you have your fucking search team find it? You got (laughs) ten men on patrol. You can't find a stick. (laughs) The search team. Is it in the carpet? I don't know. You have ten guys. You can't find a stick. Come on. No, you guys get it. You gave your word. Don't be so, don't be like the Hamilton Township. Come on. You guys are the laziest fucking people I've ever met in my life. You can't, you can't find a stick, bro. You can't find a stick on a block. You're trying to be nice. How are you being nice? You gave your word. You gave your word. You're not required to follow your word. Then you're a fucking loser. All right, let me have this fucking car. I'm over. I'm done with it. Officer, let me have this car. Uh, I'm done with you guys. I'm done with you guys. Shame on all of you. You give your word, your word means nothing. You're a fucking loser, bro. Well, you're, you, know, you know what's not nice? That's my grandfather's stick. I asked you repeatedly. It was with an eye shot. You gave your fucking word. Oh, uh, fuck you, bro. Fuck you. Keep, keep fucking... Ah, fuck you. <laughs> Reported stolen. You're a fucking disgrace. If I lose my grandfather's stick, it's on your head, bro. So you have to live with that. You think the cop's going to have a hard time sleeping that uh, the stick wasn't found? It's on your head. You're going to live with that. You lost my grandfather's stick. Actually, you didn't lose it, but you didn't help me find. You didn't send 10 men to find my grandfather's stick. That's on you, bro. Hope you can live with yourself. Hope you can look yourself in the mirror. Shame on all of you. Fucking disgrace to the badge. Arresting innocent people. Losing my fucking grandfather's stick. He fought in World War II. What the fuck do you ever do? Non-emergency calls? My grandfather's at day two of Normandy. What are you doing? Patrolling Summers Point? Harassing innocent people? Fucking. You guys are a bunch of losers. Did you know you are going to be a loser or did you grow up to be a loser? Officer Conover. Conover or Conovan? Conover? Yeah, did you know you were going to be a loser or did you just grow up to be one? Why don't you join a real armed force? You didn't know what? You didn't know what? Well, somebody asked him, you're a fucking loser, bro. You're wearing latex gloves. What are you doing? Why don't you join a real army? What's that? So what? I got, that's why you got glass, to protect you. Yeah, I'm fine. How you doing, brother? Why don't you guys join a real fucking armed force instead of fucking making non-emergency calls for old grandmas and dumb bitches with their fucking yappy dogs. I mean, is this what you want to do with your life? 
What a waste. Waste of taxpayer money. Waste of your fucking time. You're an able-bodied man. You're driving Miss Daisy. Don't you ever want to do something with your life? Besides non-emergency calls? Or you just want to collect that paycheck and go home safe and sound? Fucking faggot. You guys are all a bunch of faggots. See, at this point, they should find any excuse to make like life as hard as possible on this guy. To hold him as long as possible, to charge him with the most things, to run up the most legal bills. That's, that's what I would want to do if, if I was one of the cops here. Because, like, this is just... And for those of you that, that like, hate the police and always think the police are evil, look at what they're dealing with here. This, this cop is too patient, actually. He's actually too patient. But they deal with people like way himself. too patient because yeah. he's telling everybody it's okay. Yeah, and and uh, you know this. Unfortunately, police they they deal with mentally unstable people like this all the time. But this is you can't just say, oh well, Mark Mark Ari's crazy, so whatever. Like he, he's being a dick. This isn't just a matter of being crazy, which he is, but uh, he's also just being a dick because he feels like being a dick. Shame on all of you. You know, when I grew up, you call the cops non-emergency, you go to a jail. You faggots are fake cops that they have a non-emergency line so you can get called every time a bitch with a yappy dog meets a real dog. You know what I'm talking about? That's not why we were out there. Uh, what are you out there for? Something else? You have a warrant. Ooh, a warrant. I have a warrant for a fake arrest. Ooh, I'm from a different township. But it's a real Who warrant. are you serving? You. No, no, that's not what I mean by serving. Who's your master? Who's your master? Yeah, who pays your bills? Me. Who who gives you your paycheck? Me. You get you write your own paycheck. Yeah. You live, write your own paycheck. I live in town. I pay taxes. I, I pay myself. Okay, good for you. Pay more. Hire somebody better. Someone more qualified. You're not qualified to have a gun. I don't even know if you can shoot one. Can you shoot? I'm not. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm, What's that? I'm, I'm like I'm good. I'm not the best. I bet you're not. No. You're a Summers Point non-emergency cop. Why don't you step up your fucking game? You're fu- what are you, 45? 43? 38? 37? I don't know your age. What? How old are you? How, what, what, I'm 33. Are you older or younger than me? Okay, so what are you, 39? Okay, you're 42. I said 45. What's the big fucking difference? Okay, so you're 42. You got half your life left. You want to do something with your life or you want to go on non-emergency calls all day? You think I'm living to 90, you don't know me at all. What's that? I said, if you think I'm living till 90, you don't know me at all. <laughs> Dude, with this attitude. But I don't want you guys to accuse me of terroristic threats. Like those faggots up in Hamilton. So I'll, I won't say what I was going to say, but you'll be lucky to live to, you know, with... What's your body fat percentage? 30%? Well, probably. Yeah, so is mine. What are you doing about it? Get your act together, bro. You want to drive Miss Daisy for the next 20 years and then collect a pension? Normally I don't because I'm, I'm, there's somebody younger than me working. They're usually doing What are you doing, paperwork? Just cruising around. Dude, do something with your life. Isn't that funny? The, the guy who is probably being taken care of by his dad and looks like his whole life is a mess is telling the cop to do something with his life over and over again. Like, like he's higher up. Uh, social standing than this cop here. You're an able-bodied man. This is a fucking joke. Use your body, use your brain for something valid. 
You want to be retired at 60 and going, why didn't I do something with my life? You don't want to do this shit. This is a joke. You didn't sign up for this when you went to the police academy, did you? I'm non-emergency calls? Come on. What a joke. Can you step out? Can I, can I sit here? Well, we gotta go in and process you. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable here, actually. That's not what we're gonna do with that. We're gonna go to the police station. Am I required by law? Yes. To be processed, yes. Am I required to get out of the car right now? By law? Yes. Okay. Wait, he just thinks he's gonna sit in the car? Ah, if you see my nuts, it's because I'm in the bathroom. Oh, Don't get excited, bro. I don't want to see him. That's, yeah. that's gross. Well, you've never seen him. That's why you say that. <laughs> if you've seen point? them, you might have a opinion. No. I, I nuts in any form are disgusting. Trust me. Not even women want to say it. Come on. Can I come Absolutely. Come on. Is it safe? Yes. You say so. I trust you. Trust me. Do something your fucking life. This is bullshit. You didn't sign up. Did you sign up for this? You didn't sign up for this. Is this what you want to do for the next 20 years? He's in the police station now. Have a seat there in that black chair, please. Can I stand? No, I'm not camera level if I stand. No. Yeah, you gotta sit down. Come on. Come on. Ah, I'm just flexing a little. Alright. He's nuts. Come on, sit down. Why do I have handcuffs on? I thought they already did this. They're under arrest. Sit down. For what? Can you sit down, please? That's ah, tough with these bracelets. Sit down, please. Ooh, they're kind of itching my wrist. Sit down, please. Oh, if you're gonna be nice, I'll sit. I've been nothing but nice to you, man. Oh, you didn't get my stick. That's pretty. <laughs> you need your word, bro. You can't to. find a stick. Then look, sit down. You can't find a stick. Sit down. How many excuses are you gonna make? Sit find down. the fucking stick. Sit down. Yes. How you doing, brother? How you doing? Good. That's a deep voice you got there. No, no, no. no. Okay. All right. Yeah, she's on it. Okay. All right. Oh, why do you think they relented? Maybe because it's a fake DUI to begin with. What a surprise. Stand up. Nah, do I have to? Nah, where's your phone at? Why? Why do you want my phone? Stand up. What do you want my phone? Because it's recording. So what? I'm allowed to record. That's my phone. Not, not in the police department. Uh, no, that's not true. Yes, it is. Show me where. Show me. You're getting recorded right here. Yeah, that's and I'm recording. It's my own recording. Why? You can't find a phone? You can't find a stick? Come on, bro. Step up your game. I'm not sure you're allowed to do that, FYI. They're saying you can't record inside the station. Yeah, you're under, uh, you're under uh, arrest. Uh, 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 I'm allowed to record, bro. Yeah. I don't know why it's quiet here. It just, it abruptly disappears at some point. It, the video only has like a minute left. You can disable my phone all you want. How do you turn it off? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> you can't figure it out? Go back to school. Step up your fucking game. You can't find a stick? You can't turn off a phone? What is the matter with you? What do you do all day? Read the funny pages? Conover, come on. You don't know how to turn off a phone? This was your first day on the job? It's locked, dude. It's okay, locked. it's locked. So unlock it. I'm not gonna lock it. I'm not gonna lock it. I am at the uh, Summers Point Police Station. You don't like it? No. You don't have face ID? You can't ID figure it out? You don't have face ID? Look it up. Google it. Google, how do I turn off iPhone? Come on, bro. Yeah. Come on, you're losing. Your, your, your stock is going down by the minute. <laughs> it's still recording audio, bro. Hello! Oh!
Say it's still recording audio. All right, well, mind your P's and Q's, buddy. This is live stream. This is on the internet. This is on the internet. Yeah, I got 2,100 subscribers watching this. Hey, hey, Justin, you know how to turn off the iPhone? I guess it's 2101 20, now that we're playing on this, this show. IPhone? Hey, Justin, you know how to turn off an iPhone? iPhone? Can we get, how many Polish people does it take to turn off an iPhone? Polish too. Nice. So funny jokes. That ends there. I guess they finally figured it out. So that's it. I, I don't know if he's made another video. Let's see. Let's see if he's made another video since then. Let me see. He does have 2,100 subscribers. He's being honest about that. Hold on. Let's go to videos. No, that's the last one. Interesting. So I wonder if... I, I even tried to see if there was a way I could look up if he was arrested. and Well, he was arrested, but if they let him go and if he was still in jail. and I couldn't find much. Maybe you guys can look this up for Summers Point. This S-O-M-E-R-S Point, New Jersey. You can also look up uh, Hamilton Township, which is the other one involved. But that was the last video four days ago, and he hasn't been back on since. And he was doing videos about every one or two days before that. So you'd think that if he was out, that he would have done more videos since then, but it's possible he's in a mental institution right now. I don't know who's taking care of the dogs, I have to imagine they probably sent someone down there to get the dogs. But uh, who knows what's happening? He does seem to be... I mean, I would not be surprised if, like, some, like the sergeant or somebody saw that and said, this guy must have found the one cop that was going to take that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> now, I mean, I can't believe how that guy was reacting. He should have said, what, motherfucker? Yeah. You're going to keep cursing and using gay slurs? Shut the fuck up. You're going to jail. I'm putting you in with Bubba. Yeah, and, and, uh, and we're not looking for your stick. In fact, if, if we see your stick on the way back, we're going to drive over it. That's what exactly. I would do. I, I, I drive over the stick. Of, Oops, it was just sitting in the road. Oops. I, I guess mm-hmm. I guess it just that accident's happened, you know? Oh, well. T- tell your grandfather we're sorry. I bet his grandfather's not even alive anymore. He, he said his grandfather fought in uh, World War II. If, if that's true, he's probably not alive anymore. So. Must be so proud. <laughs> I mean, what a mess here. And he has other crazy videos. I think the one before that was up, and that's where he talked about he's going to burn down the police station. Now, despite his 2,100 subscribers, which on the surface sounds like an okay YouTube following, the subscribers are not necessarily watching his videos. I'm looking at his videos, and the one that has gotten the most views is the one that uh, I just played you. And that's because it was posted on 2 Plus 2 and also posted here on Poker Fraud Alert. But the rest of his videos have in the neighborhood of uh, 100 through about like 260 views each. Actually, there's a few with like 300, but that's it. So this is not a a really popular YouTube channel by any means. And it's, it's nothing like these YouTubers who are getting tens of thousands of views. Or sometimes even over 100,000. He's, he's no Chicago Joey is what I'm saying. No Doug Polk, not even an Andrew Neem. This is a a guy who who wants to be a YouTube star, but really isn't that well known. I also don't think Mark Ari is his real name, and that was why I had a hard time finding anything about him. 
on these websites is because uh, I think Mark Ari is probably his first and middle name. I can't find any Mark Ari tournament results anywhere. And I cannot find really anything about a Mark Ari in that area of New Jersey. So it must be Mark Ari something last name. With a lot of effort, I could probably track it down, but it wasn't worth the effort at the time. Thought it was entertaining to play to you guys. Kind of entertaining and disturbing. And kind of the look into the mind of a crazy slash assholeish person and their encounter with the police and their encounter with their neighbors and boy poker really attracts some real winners sometimes <laughs> that's all i could say and this is why whenever people are trying to judge the police i say you don't know what they deal with every day you know they, they really have to deal with the craziest of the craziest the worst of the worst just some really really awful difficult people that the rest of us usually don't have to deal with. And if we do, we can just walk away. The police actually have to handle these people and in some cases have confrontations with them that can go violent. It's it's a very tough job. It's a very difficult thing to deal with. And yes, there's some bad cops out there and ones who abuse their power, who enjoy being uh, brutalizing people. There's, There's bad apples out there. I know that there's racist cops who do bad things and, I'm aware of that, and those people should be off the force and prosecuted. But police in general, you have to cut them some slack because they deal with things like this. And I I know whenever I've been pulled over or something like that, I always make sure that police understand I'm no threat and that uh, I understand what they're asking and I understand uh, where they're coming from and and all that. And I I try to de-escalate the situation. I think I've talked before on this show, I've had a few many years ago, but I've had a few bad situations with the police that weren't even my fault, where I was wrongly assumed to be drunk or on drugs because of my age, and you know, they were and when I was pulled over, and they I had some experiences that weren't good, but I de-escalated them. And they didn't turn into anything. Moving on, we play a different video, but this one is a video that I have to read to you. I'm really playing a video to read you what it says, because it's a video exposing a bot ring. But it's it's a different type of bot ring than we've talked about before. And it's it's actually over several sites. It's a Bulgarian bot ring at Sit&Go's. And it's using what's known as the Sit&Go Dream Machine, which we've heard about before. There's been talk about this, uh, this Dream Machine. But its use was not known. It, w- it wasn't known if this thing was uh, actually in practical use or if it, the thing was even a myth. Or if, well, Anyway, it's real, and it's been used. And what this dream machine really is, it's a bot that is operated manually. And the reason for this is that it's operating on sites that do have bot detection methods. And some of these methods are believed to be looking at the processes running on computers and and looking at other things uh, from a technical standpoint on the computer running the software and figuring out if if automated programs that that are manipulating the controls are running. And once that's found, then accounts are closed and balances are confiscated. So 
these Bulgarians came up with a good idea, and that was to create a bot that does everything except move the mouse and click the buttons. It comes up with all the right strategy and all the right advice, but it's a human who actually does the actions, and that takes away the ability for these poker sites to be able to detect the way the bot is moving the mouse or whatever and, and use that as, as criteria to ban people. So they have humans actually making the mouse movements and clicking. And this has been made in a way, which I'm going to explain shortly, to where there's actually two computers involved. And the software that's running on the first computer, the, I'm talking about the poker software, cannot detect anything wrong because all the work's being done by the second computer and then relayed over back to the first computer without being able to be detectable. So there's a very complicated scheme, which apparently has been working, and the reason this is known is because someone who was involved in it, who was probably hired to do this mouse, the, the mouse movements and everything, they're actually hiring other Bulgarians to sit there and do this all day and run as many as like 28 tables at once using the bot's instructions. And these are all at sit and goes. And for the few of you that don't know, a sit and go is a one table tournament. So the, the sit and go is a tournament that has at most nine players, a, or I guess 10 players could be, if it's only one table, you never move tables and just you play down to one and it's over. A multi-table tournament, also known as an MTT, is a tournament that has an unlimited number of tables where you're moved around everywhere until you finally get to the last table known as the final table. So sit and goes, some people like, because there's not as much time investment. It's it's a tournament, but it's a one-table tournament. It's like you're placed right at the final table, and then you try to win. So these, these sit and goes are somewhat solvable by bots, and this dream machine is known to be a solver for these uh, these sit-and-goes, and it has the added aspect of being a semi-bot in that it's not actually doing the mouse movements and doing the clicking, and there's a human operating it, but the human is making no decisions. A similar controversy came up on PokerStars when software that was running regarding heads-up sit-and-goes um, that actually, this may be for heads up, sit and goes too. You know what? This this actually might be heads. I'm not sure if this is heads up or not. I'll have to look at the video again. But there was some that was a, a less sophisticated piece of software that was being run on Poker Stars that was also giving people advice. But it was, and we talked about this on the show a few years ago. The author of the bot actually got Poker Stars to agree to allow it to be used claiming it was just a chart based upon, uh, you know, you have this, you have this many chips, and what should you do with it, with this with these hands? And that's it. It was like a chart, but it would be a chart that would take off like a football field to print out. So it was a chart in electronic form that you could look up what to do. So they got PokerStars to approve it because it was, quote, a chart, and then, of course, the operator of the account would be doing all the motions himself. The, this piece of software would not be moving the mouse or clicking the buttons, but it was telling people what to do with regarding like and these heads up sit and goes when they sh- how much they should raise, whether they should shove, and it was very very helpful. 
and it was very, very successful. And finally, there was outrage about this thing, and PokerStars changed their mind. After first, PokerStars defending it, uh, defended allowing it, then they changed their terms of service to where any, quote, chart that would take more than one page to print out was disallowed, which should have been the way it was in the first place. It was ridiculous to say, oh, you can use charts, even if the charts would be like a million pages. That's not a chart. I mean, really, any bot could be described as a chart. You could say a, a bot that uh, makes very complex decisions could be a, a 10 billion page chart. A 100 billion page chart. I mean, you, you really could. A trillion page chart. Anything could be described as a chart. If it's really a bot, it, 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 it was very stupid. So PokerStars realized their error and disallowed it. But this is more complex. It's it's more than just if you have this, then do this. This is actually giving a little more, more complex instructions. It really is operating as if it's playing the whole thing. You're just actually the one moving the mouse and clicking the button. So you you could almost hire a monkey to do this. And you definitely could hire a human who doesn't understand poker at all who just understands poker terms. So you explain to everybody what, you know, what bet means, what check means, what folds means, and anyone could operate it. Like my mom, who knows very little about poker, I could teach her to operate this in a few minutes and she could operate it correctly. So one of the people who was operating this made a YouTube video exposing this whole thing. The person who did this does have more knowledge in this than just someone who'd be clicking buttons. So this is someone who had some knowledge and they actually call out a lot of these screen names that were behind this. So I'm going to read you what it says There's a video, but it's mainly like there's some things that are printed and some things that are quickly shown, but I'll read you the print. It says XRAB is a cheater using GTO. That's game theory, optimal software with Humafia, I don't know what that is, to steal millions from innocent people in the Euro poker community and heads up hyper sit and goes and spin and goes. The video will explain exactly how he does it. And this says he uses two computers simultaneously at the same time. One, a playing PC, meaning that's where the uh, poker software is, and two, the application slash dream PC, and that's the one that is the bot. On the Number two, on the playing PC, he runs only his poker sites, maybe some custom themes he has for each room, and then an important program called UpTo on Dream 3, uh, number three, on the Dream PC, the second PC, he streams his screen from the first PC and then uses OCR, which is known as Optical Character Recognition, to read the cards, read the chip stack, the flop, the turn, the river and the current blinds. Number four, he runs the application on the second PC, the Dream PC it's called, to, that looks up the, the files in the server for each spot that he's in. Basically, the, the bot's figuring out what to do based upon that information. Then he's showing a, a website that with his UpTo software. And I, th- I think that actually is the, actually that the bot so says, as of one year ago, he was running custom themes as well as on, on Winning Poker Network, which is America's Card Room, Microgaming, another network, iPoker, another network. He also ran iPoker Tools with iPoker. Here are some pictures of the software in use with the custom themes. I'm not sure what he means by custom themes. I don't think that's that important for this. 
I think this might be. So, so what he's showing here, I think the custom themes might be just the, the way the screen looks that they kind of, uh, uh, they have a picture of what to do and that, that looks similar to the poker site screen. But you can see here it says flop check. It shows it shows the player with with his chip stack. He's holding ten three offsuit. The board is a queen seven nine, and the instruction is flop check. So this is to the person operating it. They're just told exactly what to do by this bot. There's, he's showing a picture of this. Then he's showing the turn. It says turn uh, call, and this is parentheses eighty nine percent. Now the percentage. What that's trying to say to the person doing it is it's saying that in the, in this identical spot 89% of the time we're going to say to call you're, you're going to be calling 11% of the time we're going to be telling you to fold so even if you get in this exact spot again we, we may be telling you to do something different if it falls the other way this is where it's randomized in order to both make the play less predictable and also to make it tougher to figure out it's a bot by any kind of detection software they have so it doesn't always play the same so they and this is just done with random numbers, where really exactly 11% of the time it does this instead of this in this exact same spot. And this is a, a hallmark of bots. Bots, in order to not be uh, figured out by those playing against it, if someone suspects something is a bot and, and figures out that the bot makes certain moves in certain ways, then the player, the human player, can take advantage of the bot's predictability. So the only way the bot can combat that is by having a certain percentage of the time where it's unpredictable. So that's what's happening here. Then showing the river, check 99% of the time in this spot. Doesn't really matter what the spot is, but then, again, it's, it's telling them to check here, but that uh, 1% of the time in this exact same spot will have you do something else. And showing the same theme on uh, America's Card Room. Looks very similar. So they're showing examples here. So then they explain further about how they, how the computers communicate with each other and how it avoids detection by the poker software. So th- this is their custom theme on microgaming. They show that. So they say next they'll need one or two, uh, a one to two HDMI splitter with EDID protection. EDID protection makes sure their, their playing PC display settings also show they're connected to a monitor as normal and not a streaming card or HDMI splitter. So that what they're trying to do here is, just in case the poker software can tell that they are sharing their screen with other computers, uh, they, they with this HDMI splitter, which is what allows an HDMI cable to go off to two different screens, uh, so they're afraid the software could detect this. So this EDID protection is something you can get to where it tricks the computer into thinking that it's just connected directly to one monitor. So that will mean the software also can't detect it, that it's going to two places. This is where it starts getting more advanced. He says, the first HDMI cable will go from their PC or laptop into the end of the HDMI splitter. The the first out port will go to the playing PC monitor. The second out port will go to the streaming card that connects to their second PC, the Dream PC, which we'll discuss later. So they're being very detailed here, this person who's putting out this video. And then he actually shows on Amazon one of these HDMI splitters with EDID protection that you can buy. He's not saying this is the one they use, but something like this or something similar. Just showing that this really exists and very easy to get. 
So this person's really just exposing the whole theme here, saying this is the equipment you need, this is how you get it, this is how much it costs, this is why we need it. It's a very thorough video. So the last uses this streaming card called DVI to USB 3.0, and he actually has the URL to this. This product makes a complete copy of the playing PC, the first PC's monitor, with his poker tables in real time, and sends it to the second app, the, the second PC, the Dream PC. So this streaming card just grabs the entire stream and, and sends it over. Once once he is this complete copy to the Dream PC, he uses that optical character recognition, the OCR, to read all the information, such as the stack sizes, blind the blinds, the current pot size, the actions that have happened so far, the preflop cards, the flop turn, the river. So now the Dream PC is is reading what it's seeing. He then uses this information to retrieve from a database his GTO solutions he solved, simple post-flop or PIO solver previously. This will work in real time. So he's basically saying once it, once it reads it, it figures out what to do. And he's showing how this is all connected from some website explaining how to connect all this together. This is actually an unlisted video, by the way, but you can find it. it, it it's embedded on Poker Fraud Alert on the thread in the Poker Community Discussion Forum. You won't. The, the video is called Scammers GTO, but you won't find it on YouTube. It's, it's not searchable. But again, if you if you look up cheating in HS SNGs using Dream Machine, you'll find it. Anyway, getting back to this here. I'm trying to explain this as much as I can in kind of semi-non-technical terms so you can get it. Now, now he's showing the way it looks like when it's running. And with like six screens going at once. By the way, Trader Risky, can you see this through my screen? Um, I was not looking. Let me see if it's coming through. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot you can see, you can see all my screens here. Forgot to, I forgot to close the porn. Sorry about that. Now I can see. <laughs> so, uh, so it's it's showing these things wor- working, and it's it's actually saying pre-flop, flop, turn on the sides. You can see very clearly what what action you're taking when you're taking it, and has little instructions popping at the top. And this is it's it's basically telling the user on the first PC what to do. It's coming back from the Dream PC, saying, "Okay." Do this now, do that now. And he's just giving examples. Let me see. So let me get to the next thing it says. What's, what side are they playing on? I'm not sure. He's, he's talking about these are custom themes where it, it can look the same no matter which side it is. And he said, that, that is some live footage of how this bot works in real time. He just, what he just showed. Then there you have it. This is how XRAB cheats in all the Euro poker rooms for hits up sit and goes, playing 10 to 14 tables at once on one site. At certain times, he plays up to 30 tables across all sites at the same time. And these are on, on Party, on the Winning Poker Network, a.k.a. America's Card Room, on iPoker, and on the Microgaming Network. So four different networks that he's doing this on. His team is composed almost exclusively of Bulgarians, yet they play from Germany and Malta on party poker. I'm not sure why they do that. 
they run an advanced VPN to do this. If the sites were to check, though, all their ID documentation will be Bulgarian. So he's claiming that they actually play from um, – oh, I see. They, they're actually in Bulgaria, but they're, they're using – he didn't explain this well. But they're using IPs from Germany and Malta using a, a, a VPN, but the documentation as to who they are is actually in Bulgaria. So that would be one way to show – if you look up people suspected of this and they happen to be from Bulgaria, that's very suspicious. And often in these bot rings, all the accounts are from one country, sometimes even from one city within one country, which really makes it easier to catch. But sometimes they don't have a choice because they have to present ID and they have to have, present banking info that matches, and they sometimes don't have accomplices in other countries they can trust. Here He, he is playing another six tables on 888 here, so I guess they do on 888 also. And t- another 12 tables on party. This is happening at the same time, so he's playing at, at 28 tables right now, but I've seen him playing more. So someone actually was taking video of this guy doing it. I don't know if this was someone over his shoulder doing it or what this was, but uh, when he's saying he, he's referring to one of these players. And then he goes on to list all the different screen names, and I, th- I think that's it's a 17-minute video. We're about five minutes in. I'm going to stop it here because it's it's really pretty much exposed everything. I'm not going to bother reading all the screen names, but you can go find that video on that thread I told you to go find if you're interested. Very interesting, and it shows you how these botters are constantly innovating to get around detection. So that's apparently been happening and these have been successful. The microgaming network, I guess, has clamped down on some bots recently and has even posted a list of, uh, or, or not a list of bots they've stopped, but they, they show how many accounts were confiscated and how much money was confiscated from each one, et cetera, et cetera. You can also see in the second half of the video, which I'm not going to bother reading, private screenshots between this guy and the developer both debugging the software and discussing strategies. Also, apparently, they would modify this a little bit to play against the various regulars on these sites. So there's a mode to play against fish, and there's a mode to play against regulars where it's a little bit more uh, tweaked and modified and maybe randomized. And this is so the regulars will have a harder time uh, comparing notes and have a harder time feeling comfortable reporting them. And if they do, then, then then they're looked at. It'll see, like, it looks a little more legitimate. And also, they are hoping, you know, the regs don't compare notes so they can figure out how to beat these bots. Basically, they're trying to not only uh, beat the regulars, but also kind of scare them off. Because they, once the regulars feel like they can't beat these things... They're hoping they're just going to leave, and then it'll leave the fish all to them. So that's an interesting strategy as well. So this is going to be something that's tough to detect, other than the Bulgaria thing. That really, the, the Bulgaria where they're playing from other countries' IPs is a huge red flag. And I would think that. A lot of these sites could really nail these rings by just looking at 
similar play patterns. I don't mean play styles, but play patterns. So like if if a bunch of Bulgaria registered accounts are playing from other countries and are all playing the same thing. They're all playing these same sit and goes for around the same stakes. Which I'm seeing they're pretty high stakes, like $500, $1,000 sit and goes. So these are pretty expensive. So you can imagine they're winning a lot of money. If you have all these Bulgarians from other IPs, from other countries, only playing sit and goes, you'd think this would be something that would be easy to jump on and, and ban these accounts. And I, I don't just mean after someone reports it. I mean, even you should just look for patterns like this. Like you should, like if I were designing the security of, of these sites, I would have it say, okay, first of all, look for look for people who are all in the same city that are always playing the same thing, or all within a certain uh, distance from each other, always playing the same type of stuff. Uh, also, look for people within the same country that are showing up from different IPs uh, from d- other countries, but are yet always playing the same stuff. And then once you find suspected accounts that might be bots, then start looking at their play patterns. How much are they winning? Are they all winning at approximately the same rate? Even if their play style is a little bit different, are they all winning around the same rate? Are they uh, taking? Are they all taking on all comers without being afraid to play certain better players? Like there's. A lot you can do to work, and remember, these sites pretty much decide for themselves. They're pretty much judge, jury, and executioner, so you, you can pretty much say, okay, I, I think this is a bot ring, F them, they're gone, and just kick them off. Either pay them and kick them off, or, or don't pay them and kick them off. Depends how sure you are. Because remember, you, you can kick them off without confiscating their money. If you're like maybe 50% sure, but not sure enough to take their money, you can say, okay, well, just to be safe, we won't let them play here anymore. They can cash out what they have, and then they're gone. At least you end the problem there. I don't know what these sites are doing in response to this, but this has been exposed. There's an interesting video. So you may you may want to see that. You may want to go, and this was posted by a Gamblebot Chafed Penis on Poker Fraud Alert uh, about, uh, let's say, about 36 hours ago. So it's in the poker community discussion forum. I may actually move it to the scam scandals and shadiness, but I'll have a link to it. But very interesting stuff. Here's something which is more stupid than interesting. The Free Rolls Poker Club, which is in Texas, and it's kind of a misnomer. It's just what they call it. It's not really about free rolls. The Free Rolls Poker Club, which has been losing money hand over fist by their own admission. They are actually seeking investors. <laughs> yeah. That's worth a lot of laughter. This was brought to us by A. Hoosier A., who knows a lot about the Texas uh, cardroom th- uh, scene. He, he lived there at one point. And if you remember... We did a, an episode in September where we talked about their embarrassing $250,000 crack the vault promotion where they didn't understand how the machine worked, where they were trying to, uh, quote, crack a vault and win a $250,000 prize. And they awarded the prize to someone who hadn't actually won because it's 
they, they thought the display on the screen indicated he won when it really indicated that he lost, but it wasn't clear to them. And they fortunately didn't give the 250K away by the time they discovered the issue. But it was very embarrassing because they had promoted him as the winner and they had to take the whole thing back. So this same free rolls poker club, which also had a bad reputation even before that of just uh, not acting acting ethically all the time. They don't have the best rep. They have posted something on WeFunder.com. That's W-E-Funder, F-U-N-D-E-R.com. If you go to WeFunder.com slash Free Rolls Poker Clubs with an S, Free Rolls Poker Clubs, then you can see this pitch. Invest in Free Rolls Entertainment, Inc. Poker meets advertising. Over $1.24 million in 2019 revenue. Sounds exciting, right? Over a million dollars in revenue. And you can invest in it. Isn't that exciting? That Put in your money because last year, or in, in this year, which is not even done, they've made... One million dollars. Even more than that. They even have a little video up. Even this, even this music is funny. It says 2019 Free Rolls Poker Club Company Introduction. And then it says investor. The, the little animation that actually looks like they spent money on. They actually, they, this little opening, I think, was not even cheap to produce. My name is Nick, and I am one of the virtual advertising characters that will be featured on the Free Rolls Poker Club. Oh, you got to be kidding me. So a cartoon character is doing the sales pitch. This looks like it was expensive to make. ...house advertising system. Over the next few minutes, I'm going to give you a crash course education as to why we believe an investment into Free Rolls Poker Clubs will be a smart move for any investor. Mm. The first thing you should know as a potential investor into Free Rolls Entertainment is that, for the first time ever, you now can invest into the play of poker in places where there are no casinos available. This is where Free Rolls Entertainment subsidiary, Free Rolls Poker Club, comes into play. Free Rolls Poker Club was created to offer live poker play to large groups of people who want to play but do not have any options other than taking a long trip to the nearest casino or playing in an underground illegal game. The first reason we believe Free Rolls is a great investment opportunity is because in just our first nine months of full-scale operations since December 27, 2018, our flagship location in Katy, Texas, has generated over $1 million in revenue and had a net operating profit of over $43,000 in August of 2019. Okay, that sounds good so far, right? They, they've, they've taken in over the, a million over a million in revenue and profit-wise, even just in August... That August had just passed, they've made uh, $43,000 in profit. Sounds good so far, but wait till we get to the rest. It should be noted that over 500000 of that $1 million was generated in just three months. The club has held a consistent growth trend of 17 to 22% each month. The second reason behind making an investment into free rolls is our ever-expanding list of what we like to call first-evers for poker in Texas. Our philosophy at Free Rolls is go big or go home. And we know that to truly scale this concept quickly, we must always make a big impression. I don't understand this whole cartoon character thing. Like, I don't, I don't understand how this really connects to 
the poker club they're running and why this is a smart use of money. But, okay, let's go on here. A good example, a first-ever accomplishment of ours, is that we were the first poker club to ever bring a major tournament to Texas. It was at WPT Deep Stacks Houston they're showing. By partnering with the World Poker Tour. In September of 2018, we successfully hosted a WPT Deep Stacks event that had over 455 players and generated a total prize pool of over $790,000. This truly was history-making and eventually led history three making. roles into the first-ever marketing partnership with a major casino in the... Okay, a major casino. A marketing partnership, a first-ever marketing partnership with a major casino. Um, which one? Was it Bellagio? No. Was it Borgata? No. Was it Caesars? No. Was it the Aria? No. Was it Mandalay Bay? No. Was it at least something like Harrah's New Orleans? No. Now, it was the Cushada Casino Resort in uh, Kinder, Louisiana. <laughs> That's the major casino partnership. I've never even heard of that thing. The Cushada Casino Resort in Kinder, Louisiana. Okay, let's move on. Louisiana. As well as being named as the official host of the Ladies International Poker Series in October of 2019. Simply put, as an investor in free rolls, you are putting your money into a model that has proven itself as a strong revenue generator but you would also be investing into our expansion as opposed to startup projections. So let's talk about the future and what we intend to do with your investment. In it's not like Superman's going to just break through the wall there any second. To free rolls. By the Trader Risky, you hearing all this? <laughs> this, is, this is unbelievable. You hearing all this, Trader Risky? I, I am. The cartoon character's hilarious. <laughs> our target fundraise through our partnership with WeFunder is $1 million that will go into four primary use of fund classifications. Number one, debt elimination. At current, Free Rolls carries just over $680,000 of debt from construction expenses and capital loans to the business. Oh, that's all? Okay. That's 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 nothing for a, a small poker room. $680,000. Oh, that's pocket change. We are committing a hard time. stopped hearing it for some reason. Oh, I stopped hearing it. Oh, boy. Skype, how dare you. All right, let's, let's put this back on for you. Sorry, Jeff. No, 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 I wanted you to hear it. ...used $500,000 towards reducing this debt from this fundraise. But we would prefer to eliminate the debt completely, as we intend to take this company public in early 2020. They, they intend to. They intend to take the public. It's not that they're going to, they just intend to. I intend to be a billionaire by 2020. I want you guys to know that, so please invest in me. And we want to be debt-free at the time our stock begins trading. Number two, we will invest up to $150,000 into the development of our in-house advertising system that will enable us to license our interactive poker table advertisement system to other card rooms and casinos across the globe. I guess this is where the cartoon character comes in. They're, they're claiming there's an in-table ad system, which I presume is going to be this obnoxious cartoon dude, uh somehow doing advertisements on the poker table. Can you imagine how tilting this would be? You're playing poker and some crap is flashing in your eyes constantly of different ads? I mean, maybe if it was rake-free, but 
talk about annoying to have something in your face like this at the poker table. They, they, I, this sounds like it's innovative, but to, to me, this sounds like something players will hate. Number three, we will invest $100,000 as operating and expansion capital. Number four, we will invest $50,000 to cover the expenses of taking the company public. So now that you understand what we will do with your money, let's discuss how we will make the money. Okay, let's discuss it. Go ahead. Go ahead, Cartoony. Tell me how we're going to make the money. The income model of free rolls has multiple revenue streams, including but not limited to membership fees, security access fees, food, drinks, a cigar lounge, and more. So what they're not telling you is they can't take a rake. This is, this is how they make their money. It's not like, oh, we, we have uh, the, all these fees that, that help us with our revenue. No, this is, this is their revenue. This, this is all they can do <laughs> by Texas law. I'm going to focus on the new revenue streams we will be implementing over the course of the first quarter of 2020, the advertising. Now that Free Rolls has a viable customer base of over 4,000 members, we offer a great value to advertisers through implementation of our in-table digital advertisements. The ads will be sold to businesses and agencies wanting to purchase 15 to 30 second interactive ads. Each of our poker tables will be retrofitted with 10 7-inch touchscreens at each play position. And this is where our interactive advertising will be shown to players. Freeroll's initial approach to the marketplace has been to build the audience and revenues first, then generate more revenue by pushing in-table digital ads to that audience. See, I see what they're going for here, but this is one of these things that sounds good on the surface until you really think about it. Uh... So, so they showed a picture of, of course, a cartoony picture, but of a, a, a poker table with little screens in front of each player. And first of all, it can't have any sound, or it would really be imagine like <laughs> a constant commercial running in the background. They they can't. It would have to be silence. They don't say that, but I it would have to be silent. Uh, but also, I would think this would become distracting, especially with nine of these running at the same time on the table. And I think players would hate it. I, I just can't picture wanting that just constantly flashing at me. So this is something they think, oh, it's a captive audience. They're stuck here. But they're really not. They can go to a different room that doesn't have this crap. Or they could just kind of not want to come back because it's, it's, it's annoying and obnoxious. Industry leaders such as Google and Facebook use this very same model. No, no they don't. See, that's, that, that's a big stretch. Uh, advertisements on the side of web pages, it's a lot different than sitting at a table with ads flashing in your face. And a big difference is that on Google and Facebook, you're already on a computer or already on a phone. You're, you're, on a, you're looking at a digital screen of some sort. So having a certain portion of the digital screen being devoted to advertising is not the same as something that is not supposed to have any screens on it having screens flashing in your face. So it's, it's a totally different model. They first got the people, and then they monetized their use of the platform. At Free Rolls, we understand the value of leveraging people. And with our proven model of getting the players, the next phase becomes viable and easily obtainable, just by introducing interactive advertising as a revenue stream. So there you have it. I hope I have given you a good understanding of how oh, the you have. Poker Club is a game changer. Oh, yeah, I understand. Believe me. Pun intended. 
and a revolutionary way we bring live poker action to places where poker has never been legally available. That's all, folks. Yeah, that's an appropriate ending there. All right, so that was the uh, the the cartoon presentation, and uh, but there's a written part too. Don't worry, don't worry. There's more detail here. There's the the non-cartoon portion of our presentation here that we're going to talk about. So it says why you may invest in us, or may, why you may want to invest in us. Over 1.24 million in revenue in less than 11 months from December 2018 to October 2019. Number two, held the largest poker tournament in Texas history with a record-breaking 790,000 prize pool. Number three, over 4,000 customers in nine months. Uh, that's not <laughs> that's not very impressive if you break that down. That, that sounds like 4,000. That's that sounds like you're getting. I mean, I they I guess they're counting. Separate people, as otherwise that would mean they get like ten people in there a day. That's really what the four thousand people walking through the doors in nine months is nothing. I guess if they count different people, that's a little more impressive. But still, the four thousand customers is not huge by any means in nine, over nine months. Uh, number four, over sixty-three k in profitability by the end of quarter three, two thousand nineteen. But we'll get back to that. That's a little bit misleading. Number five, compliant with Texas state laws. Also, again, a little bit misleading. Number six, lead investor. Private equity investors invested 525000 Okay. Our team. Charles Potter, CEO, he's really the one behind this whole thing, uh, co-created and founded a multicultural toy company that sold product to 3,000 Walmart stores. That's all he brings to the table, that he made some kind of toy that sold to Walmart. I don't think that's very inspiring here. Uh, D. Michelle Rapond, Director of Design and Marketing, and uh, Joanne Melton, CFO, former VP of Collateral Services at J.P. Morgan Chase. I hope Joanne Melton didn't leave J.P. Morgan Chase to go do this. I, I wonder if D. Michelle Rapond is the one who made the cartoon character. Some of our investors, Alexander Clarence McIntosh, investor and entrepreneur, David Brown, skilled in nonprofit organizations, research, design, and public health education, holds a doctoral degree from Columbia, and a master's in library science from Wayne State. And Paula Myers Waterman, I like this one, my nephew has type 1 diabetes, so I'm particularly interested in technology that can treat children with life-altering diseases. Okay, why are you investing in poker? <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry for your nephew, that's, that's sad. I don't want to laugh at a kid having type 1 diabetes, but why are you... So your, your nephew has type 1 diabetes... You want to invest in technology that can help children like that. Okay, that's very noble. So, so I'm going to invest in a poker company that's, that runs ads on poker tables. Makes a lot of sense, Paula Myers-Waterman. Uh, then you can download a PDF, which is called the Free Rolls Investor Deck 2019. <laughs> the Free Rolls Investor Deck. But it's not actually a deck. It's just a lot of uh, a lot of kind of graphics about how the how the whole business works. Maybe I'll get back to it. Maybe I won't. Scroll down. They they keep showing this card player cover that they appeared on. It's even in the background of the of the cartoon presentation. 
And it has the, I see the CEO on there. It has that woman who I said might have created the cartoon character. And there's two other people in there I don't really recognize. But it says, the game changers have the team at Free Rail Poker Clubs innovated the legal poker room scene deep in the heart of Texas. I'm sure that was an advertorial, by the way. Card player. I mean, they, they ran lock ads for nine months while they weren't paying anyone and they knew it. So that shows you their standards. It says, the Free Rolls Poker Club business model is based on a twofold premise. Go big and go fast. Free Rolls Poker Club has attracted poker players from all over the world for its big events such as WPT Deep Stacks Houston and the Texas Showdown Ladies Poker Series. As we have continued to offer a fun, safe, and exciting venue for the play of poker, we have seen our numbers increase consistently since our launch in December of 2018. Uh, the chart below shows our progression of our flagship location in Katy, Texas in 2019. Uh, is there even a second location? They keep talking about their flagship, flagship location. But uh, the, the September revenue numbers are, are after the reopening of a, of a location in Houston that it closed down. I guess, I guess there's two locations. That's what it is. For three months. Once the club reopened on September 5th, displaced players who lived closer to the location migrated back. Okay. So they're showing, I guess, two bars. But it, I, I don't completely understand what they're talking about uh, there's two bars with every month, like a tall bar and a short bar. I don't understand what the shorter bar is. Maybe it's the second location. But, uh, yeah, the, re- the September revenue is down. Like, it kept going up, 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 up every month. And then after August hit a peak, then it went down. They're saying something about how they it, got, it closed down for three months and reopened on September 5th. And then, uh, oh, I see what they're trying to say. They're, they're trying to make the excuse that their revenue is significantly down in September because... Uh, they had a second location that was closed down during those three months, and that when it reopened in September, people went back over there. So that's why the flagship location in Katy didn't do as well. <laughs> I don't know if I believe that. All right. Uh, our plans for the future, while we cannot guarantee any specific results for our business plan, we're focused on the achievement of the following goals over the next 18 to 24 months. Add new revenue streams through advertising, sales, and licensing of our in-table ad system. Open at least five new clubs. That's pretty aggressive. Take the company public, also very aggressive, and sell the company to a major casino or gaming entity. Yeah, good luck. Our flagship location in Katy, Texas, is a 10,000-plus square foot facility that spans the entire second floor of the famous Roberts Carpet Building. <laughs> How is that famous? Our club, other club amenities are full bar, food, shuffleboard, and game tables, as well as full-service cigar lounge aces at free rolls. I don't quite understand all that. I'll just skip past it. We monetize the presence of people through digital advertising. Our revenue model is very simple and extremely effective. On top of revenue generated from membership and security access fees, we will generate new revenue for advertisers who want to put a message in front of our members because those members will have some very important things in common. One, they have disposable income. Two, they spend a lot of time at the tables in front of the ads. And three, they love to play poker without it costing them anything. But that's not true. It is costing them. That's the whole point here. In Texas, you can't charge a rake, so they have to do these stupid membership and security access fees, which I'm not blaming them for this. If they want to operate in Texas, they have to do it that way. But they're not playing for free. They're, this is just the backdoor way of charging them rake. Anyway, one of the things every advertiser is looking for is to get away in front of an attentive audience, and they're looking for repetition. Interactive advertising at the poker table across our establishment does both. By the way, do you notice that you don't see very much of this in casinos. It's not that nobody's thought of this. Like, like, why don't you see this running in, in slot machines where constant ads in front of your face or, or video poker machines? Why, why are there not ads running in the corner? 
Um, sometimes there's little things running on that little screen, that tiny screen where your player's card goes in, but, but really you're not seeing any significant advertising while you're at the machines in regular casinos. Why is that? They can make a lot of money selling ads. Why don't they? Players don't want it. it it's, it's busy. It's annoying. It's, uh, uh, they, they don't want the players distracted. This, this is something that he thinks is innovative and he thinks is original and it's just something everyone's already decided they don't want to do. Investor Q&A. What does your company do? We are one of the largest and fastest growing poker clubs in the state of Texas. Where will your company be in five years? At current, our plan is to open five more clubs in the state of Texas over the next two years and sell the company to a major casino chain, gaming or entertainment chain. While we cannot guarantee any acquisition of the company, we will be hiring mergers and acquisition specialists to focus on our goal. Mm -hmm. You can do that all you want. If if no one has an interest in your club, it's not going to happen. Uh, like it's too small time. There, I can't see major casinos getting involved with with grabbing one of these small Texas rooms that's operating in kind of a legal gray area. Uh, why did you choose this idea? We chose this business not only because we understand the incredible revenue generating potential of poker in Texas, but our team also brings a vast knowledge of how to develop a simple poker club concept into an internationally appealing brand, very similar to the World Series of Poker and the World Poker Tour. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You guys better watch out, Caesars. You better watch out. Your, your days of screwing up the player of the year are numbered because the Free Rolls Poker Club is coming for you. What makes this concept legal in the state of Texas? The Texas Penal Code 47.02 on gambling states, a person commits an offense if he plays and bets for money or other thing of value of any game played with cards, dice, or balls, or, or any gambling device, but stipulates that it's a defense to the prosecution under this section that, one, the actor engaged in gambling in a private place, Two, no person received any economic benefit other than the personal winnings. And three, except for advantage of skill or luck, the risks of losing and the chances of winning were the same for all participants. In order for our clubs to be legal, we are a private members-only club. We do not charge any money for play or seating. We do not take any money for gameplay in exchange of play, product, or services. Okay, this has been the thing going back and forth in Texas for a long time. Not just with them, but with every club in Texas where they're getting around this law about that was meant to protect real home games. Basically, it's saying you can't run a casino, a card room for money in Texas, but if you want to have a game in your house with your buddies and don't charge a rake, then that's cool. That's what the law is basically saying. And as always happens, people try to go around the law. So what's happening here is these clubs start up and say, well, this is just a a members-only club, which is legal to have. And then while people are in our members-only club, they just happen to play poker with each other. And they're doing it for no rake. That's what they're trying to say, but of course... The government knows what's going on. The police know what's going on. They, they know this is a card room that's just uh, skirting the law in this way, and it's, it's questionable whether this is legal or not. There's been a, there were busts that just happened earlier this year that ended up being dropped because uh, basically the prosecutor's office just screwed up and there was a corrupt person involved, and we, we've gone over that before. But this is not out of the woods. This could easily become completely illegal anytime soon, and look, they even admit this. Can the laws change to make this concept illegal? Yes, the laws could change, but that's not a process that would happen overnight. It would have to make all forms of poker gambling illegal, even if they took place in a private setting. False. That's not true. See, this, that's just absolutely not true. They could put a law on the books. See, he's saying, look, they're not going to do it because then they'd have to outlaw all home games. No. They could say something like, uh, it's illegal to play poker for money unless it's only at one table. That, that, that's a simple way to kill all these card rooms. No one's ever going to open up a card room with one table. 
or uh, it, it's it's illegal to run a card room to, to play poker for money in any place that it costs money to enter. It's or or, or for any other fees that are required that, that everybody playing the game has to be able to come in and, and sit for free. That w- that would kill these clubs too. I mean, yes, they could sell food and drink and other things, but that wouldn't cover the costs. So they could just say that. They could say, if it, you, you cannot have this in a members-only club. You cannot have it where you pay a security fee. That the only way a game can be legal is if uh, if either it if, if it collects no rake and if there's no other fee involved with entering the premises or playing the game. That would kill this too. They could easily pass that law. So there's, there's a lot of creative ways they could do this to crack down on this. They, they haven't done it yet, but it could easily happen. They go on to write, if Texas were to ever crack down on poker, it's our opinion the state would not make gambling in a private setting illegal. They would make charging for seat rental at a poker table illegal, and that's why we don't charge for seat rental or any other fees beyond the cost of membership and security access. Well, maybe, but they also might make this illegal to have membership and security access or limit the number of tables. There's a lot of things they can do. So I'm not saying they will, but it could easily happen, and then any investment in this will be down the tubes. How does the ad pricing work? The core in our in-table ads rate card will be established on a four-table baseline, meaning that even though the advertisements will play on all tables in the club, the only ones the advertiser will pay for is four. The reasoning behind this approach is that not all tables will be full for a full eight-hour period, but an average of 2.5 tables will have players on any given day, so we discount the pricing down to two tables. The exposures and time of ad runs is calculated on a seven-hour day, even though the club will be open for 12 hours during the week and 15 hours on Fridays and Saturdays. So under this approach, the advertiser will actually be paying for fewer hours than the ads will actually run. The advertiser would pay $25 per 15-second spot multiplied by the number of tables. Therefore, they would pay $50 per hour on an eight-hour basis, which would be $400 per day. See, that's a lot of money, actually, when you think about it. $400 per day is a lot for a local business. It really is. That's uh, 2800 a week. That is $12,000 a month. And they'd have to be convinced that this would translate into that much business or more. And that's going to be hard to it'd be a hard to sell to local businesses. Now, bigger businesses, they could afford it without worrying about the direct translation to revenue, but big businesses are probably not going to want to bother advertising in a small card room in Texas. That's it's too small time for them. So that's that's a big problem with this this model. And I've seen a similar problem with people trying to sell ads on the pay for time radio stations. There's a number of radio stations out there. In fact, there's been some poker shows and gambling shows on these type of stations where these are real over-the-air stations, but uh, you actually pay for your time on there, and then you are allowed to run your own ads and collect 100% of the revenue from those ads. So these spots are sold on the station to people who really believe that they're going to make a fortune. Say, look, you, you, you pay some minimal sum of money for the hour, $250, $200, $150 for an hour on the station, and you can sell all the ads you want, and keep 100% of the money. It sounds like a wonderful deal. It sounds like a way to just make bank on your radio show and also become maybe a famous radio host that you've always dreamed to be. So why isn't this something I'm doing? And why is this something you don't hear about a lot of people doing? Be- because the truth is that it's very hard to sell ads like this 
It's hard to get the local businesses to pay for regular ads running on something that's unproven. And big businesses don't want to touch it. So you, you, you think you're going to get a lot of ads running, and it's very tough to do. So people, they, they go into this believing that they're going to just walk into local businesses. Oh, wow, your radio show? Oh, wow, only this much per day? Okay, sweet. No, they, they don't want to do it. And then you go to large businesses, they ignore you. So that's what ha- these pe- people end up with no ads, and, uh, and they give up pretty quickly. Sounds like the same thing would happen here. How does this model create recurring revenue? The basis of Free Rolls Poker Club not charging for seats at the table and using advertising is to create a dynamic revenue stream. By relying on an advertising-based model, we ensure the club potential for growth by offering the players the ability to pay for to play for free, and we do not limit the earning potential of the tables by setting a flat price for seat rental. But you're charging for the the security fee and the member. It's the same thing. Who calls? Who cares if you're calling it seat rental or? It's it's all the same thing. This is a second form of revenue, true, but that's misleading what they're writing here from what I can tell. With advertisers paying for the exposure to the players, as more players attend, more tables will be in play and the ad rates can increase if we begin to charge more in-play cash tables on which the advertiser can get guaranteed exposure. There's also a law of diminishing returns, by the way. You you think that you're going to get... Uh, like Look what they're saying. They're, so they have 4,000 people that have come in in nine months. That's That's a big problem right there. Because you're going to have uh, – they, they probably have a lot more than 4,000 seats filled total in nine months. But it's the same people a lot of the times, which is why with every person walking through that door in nine months, it sounds like they've only had 4,000 people. Well, advertising exposure to 4,000 people sucks. It's not useless, but it, it's not that great. And there's also, also a big law of diminishing returns that once someone's business is known – to what is a, a fairly static group of people. That is, it's not a constant stream of different people. It's just the, the same people over and over again. Uh, they'll know about your business. They're not. In fact, it's going to bother them these people to see the ad over and over and over again. It's not going to make them any more likely to use your services. So the, the, the first time someone sees or hears your ad, it's, it's when it's the most valuable. Some repetition can help, but, but past that, the, the value is very low. So it's, that's something else that these businesses will realize, that there's just not that many unique eyeballs looking at it over time and that they'll, they'll quit pretty quickly. Of course, they don't mention that here. What makes free rolls different than the other poker clubs in Texas? Our revenue model is very simple and very effective. On top of the revenue generated from membership and security access fees, we will generate new revenue from advertisers who want to put a message in front of our members. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to comment on that. How will we win? We will win simply by doing more of what we've done, but faster. Free Rolls has already established itself as a pioneer in the industry. With our hosting of the first WPT event in the state to our recent $50,000 free entry tournament, we've proven ourselves as an industry leader who is the competition. As with any casino or gambling establishment, the competition is made up of other card rooms, typically within a 10-mile radius of our club. One of the reasons we chose Katy, Texas for our flagship location is because we're not in direct competition with Houston clubs that are fighting for the same customers. At Free Rolls, we believe in developing new markets instead of fighting for a share of established ones where there are people, there is poker. Okay, so that's also not true. I can tell you, being from Southern California, which is full of card rooms, some huge like Commerce and some small and some medium, that it's not always about who's the closest. It's, it's who is good and within drivable distance. Is a closer one better? Uh, if all things are equal, of course. But 
a lot of people will opt to drive the 50 or 60 miles to get to Commerce, even if they're quite far from it, than go to a local card room, which is uh, within 10 miles. If the local card room sucks or doesn't have the limits that they want, or uh, there's a lot of reasons people would want to go something very large with a lot more variety, like Commerce or, or the bike, in Southern California, so they won't just always go to the closest club. And that's also true, even though Texas does not have anything like Commerce, if there are bigger and better clubs than free rolls, yes, people will drive more than 10 miles to get there. So their competition is much more than a 10-mile radius. Now, here's the part I really want you to hear. Financials. Remember, you kept hearing about the money they made in August, that they had $1.24 million in revenue in 2019, or since December, actually. And all these great things they're saying. So let's get some hard numbers here. Financials. Free Rolls Entertainment, Inc. has financial statements ending October 1st, 2019. Our cash in hand... It's a lot of cash they have in hand. Trader Risky still with us? I think we may have lost him. I was going to have him guess how much cash they have in hand. But okay. This is how much cash they have in hand. $100 billion. No. They have $43,000. That's how much cash they had on hand on October 1st. (laughs) $43,000 cash at hand. Wow. That is not good for a business to have $43,000 cash on hand. Uh, Over the three months prior, revenues averaged 180K a month. Cost of goods sold has averaged fifteen thousand a month, and operational expenses have averaged one hundred twenty thousand a month. At a glance, from January first to December thirty first. Now I'm not sure what they're doing here because they they were claiming they were. This is from December. Maybe this. I don't know if it's two thousand eighteen. I don't know what this what period is talking about because two thousand nineteen we haven't gotten to December thirty first. But let, let's ignore that. Let's just go over the numbers. Revenue. Net loss, not net, not net gains, not net profit. Net loss, six hundred fifty-nine thousand one hundred sixty-one dollars. Short-term debt, three hundred two thousand six hundred ninety-nine dollars. Two hundred fifty-one thousand dollars raised in two thousand nineteen, and then there's the forty-three thousand dollars cash on hand. Wow, that's that's what you're supposed to invest in. Um, so it shows income sixty-five thousand, profit minus six hundred fifty-nine thousand one sixty-one. That's oh, this is two thousand eighteen. Okay, that that's why I'm seeing it right here. It's more clear. Balance, they're showing the cash, which is like a, a small thing, then uh, other assets, short-term debt, long-term debt, equity. It's a, I won't bother to even read all that. And let's see here. Overview. 
We are one of the largest and fastest growing poker clubs in the state of Texas. While we cannot guarantee this, our plan is to open five more clubs in the state of Texas over the next two years and sell the company to a major casino chain. We already heard all that. Free Rolls Entertainment was incorporated in the state of Utah in September 2017. Since then, we have over $1 million revenue in less than 10 months, held the largest poker tournament in Texas history, over 4,000 customers. Anyway, we did all this. Okay. A lot of repetition here. Okay. So they're, they're, they're seeking investors. You want to invest? I think the only thing I'd want to invest in is uh, that animator. That wasn't a bad animation. I was semi-impressed by that. A Hoosier A, who brought this to us, calls them scam rolls, and said uh, that they've never shown a profit, is what he says. And he, he said it was very amusing to see this page that we just looked at. Um, let's see here. He said he was personally involved with Free Rolls Poker Club as an employee. He says, Free Rolls Poker Club is the same club that held that WPT event in Houston and didn't pay their employees. I personally was involved in this as a traveling employee, and they have refused to pay me $608 that they say have already been paid. So he claims they still owe him 608 bucks and won't pay. So I, I think you see what's going on here. <laughs> A lot of snake oil being sold here. Now, you may wonder, though. They're trying to raise a million bucks on this webpage they set up, this wefunder.com. So how much have they made? How much has been raised since they put this up? Looking for a million bucks. How much did they make? Here's the answer. Um, Hold on, where is it? Here's the answer. They have made $42,064. A little bit short of a million. A little bit short of a million. From 43 investors, it says. It's funny. The way these things are presented versus what they really are is is always really amusing. I, I always wondered some of these really dumb poker ventures that people sink their good money into and lose their shirt. And I say, what made them think this was a good idea? And this type of thing is why. They'll see a slick presentation. It'll sound good on the surface unless you really think about it, unless you really know the industry well. A lot of times when someone is presenting you with what appears to be an innovative idea you sometimes have to think about why has this not been thought of or tried yet? And how likely is it that someone thought of or tried it prior to this person? And if you think it probably was either tried or considered and not done or or failed, there's a good reason for it. Once in a while, someone stumbles on something obvious that people just didn't develop. Like Here's a good example. Those ring doorbells that are everywhere now, that, that just everybody can have a, a video doorbell now and, and other video cameras around their property that they can connect to through an app on their phone. And the things aren't perfect, but they've, they've really changed home security to some degree. And this is something that 
really should have been out a long time ago. In fact, I I even thought of this. I I even thought that this would, you know wouldn't it be cool if I just had like cameras around my house that were to broadcast to uh, my mobile device. Like I thought about this before Ring even came out. I never. I'm not going to say I I actually thought of the business idea, but I, it was kind of like oh this would be cool if this existed, and then it was kind of fall out of my head. And then when it came out, I'm like oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that didn't exist, and now it does, and it makes a whole lot of money. I think it came from Shark Tank, actually. So once in a while, one of these obvious things staring you in the face just doesn't get done, and then someone finally does it, and it makes a lot of money. But but often these innovative ideas are not out there for a reason, and that's because there's a big flaw in them, something that can seem really cool on the surface but then doesn't really have any practical use. And I pointed out the flaws. Like, they, they're really, really pushing hard this ads at the table, but I, I mentioned the problems, the uh the law of diminishing returns, the relatively few number of eyeballs that will be watching it over time, the the fact that it's distracting and bothersome to people, the fact that this you know, a poker table is not a screen and people don't want a screen just artificially there bothering them. These these are all things you have to critically think about before you say, Oh wow, yeah, they're captive audiences at the poker table. Why didn't we think first about advertising to them? And there, there are ads at poker tables. Like, notice at the World Series, it's ads all over the place. But that's – and that's already kind of distracting and annoying. I've had it where someone bets – someone, like, raises pre-flop and it folds to me and I think it's just been folded around. And I think I'm the open raiser and it turns out someone's already raised and it's just – I can't see it because of the busy advertising background on the World Series tables. I, I really have had that confuse me before. And then I end up putting chips in when someone's raised under the gun and there's no way I would have put my chips in with Jack-8 offsuit where I think I'm still in the blinds. So, like, I've had that happen before. But uh, imagine <laughs> imagine a table with nine of these screens on there. Oh, my gosh. That would be the worst. All right. I've had my fun with that. You may wonder why are we doing that segment. It's, it's just for fun. I like playing these, these videos and commenting on them. Trader Risky, do you ever come back or are you gone? We lose you? I think we lost Trader Risky. He's here in spirit, but not in consciousness. Former World Series of Poker main event champ Bobby Baldwin is going on to a new job. I believe he won the main event in like 78, and he's been a high-stakes poker player. He's been involved in the gaming industry in a lot of different ways over time. He's had a pretty impressive career. He wasn't just a degenerate who stuck to poker. He really... Uh, branched out and probably made a lot of money and got a lot of respect in the gaming community. And he had a very influential position at Bellagio and was said to personally be involved in the operation of the poker room there as well. And also the Arias poker room. So it's been announced that Bobby Baldwin is going to be the gaming director for the Drew. And you may wonder, what is the Drew? What is the Drew? The Drew is a hotel currently being built that will be ready in early 2022, supposedly. It's a little bit weird that they've hired a director of gaming two and a half years before the hotel is ready, because there's not much he can do. I guess he can come up with some things in theory. And come up with some plans, but I think it's a little bit early. But nevertheless, let me tell you something about the Drew. 
the Drew is on the former site of the El Rancho. Remember the El Rancho? That is North Strip. It's it's fairly close to Circus Circus. The El Rancho was once a big deal a long time ago, but it became a has-been, eventually closed. In the late 2000s, it was going to be called Fountain Blue. They wrecked the El Rancho, and they were rebuilding it. It was supposed to be a high-end hotel, and it was supposed to open in the late 2000s, called Fountain Blue. So what happened to Fountain Blue? Well, Fountain Blue became Fountain Ooh because it was an unfinished building. It sat, partially constructed, and not touched for many years because it ran into major financial issues during the 2008 real estate crash, and they stopped construction. This happened to various properties around Vegas, various large properties, large developments, which just halted because it just ran out of money. Everything changed from that 2008 real estate uh, crash. So it sat unfinished for many years. There was some question whether it would ever be finished or if it would have to be torn down at some point. Then it went through a few ownership changes. And finally, construction began again. And the current owner of the Drew called it the Drew because he had a son named Andrew who died at age 22 of an OxyContin overdose. So that's the reason it's called the Drew. I hate to be dark here, but it seems kind of like you know, when you're honoring your son who passed away at 22, which is, of course, very tragic to have a person die at that age. But uh, and and I don't know what the circumstances were, but obviously the kid had some kind of a drug issue. I, I doubt that he just accidentally took too many pills because his back was hurting. Was, he had an oxycontin issue, as, as many people did in the early 2010s and still do. The uh, Andrew Whitkoff was his name. Died in uh, 2011. But sometimes this will occur when the child is neglected, I don't mean neglected like to where they're not, their basic needs aren't met, but where they, uh, the parents are kind of absent from the child's life because they're, they're too busy with other things. And this uh, Steve Whitkoff is the name of the president of the group that owns uh, the Drew. It's called the Whitkoff Group. His name is Steve Whitkoff. And I do have to wonder if uh, Steve Whitkoff was so busy with his group and with his work and with making all the money he was making that not enough attention was paid to the issues that his son was having. And you'll, you'll see this type of thing with the children of celebrities too. Sometimes too much success can be bad for the family. If you don't take care of your family like a normal, non-successful, non-famous, non-super rich person would do. Now, it's possible that they were great parents and just the the son had problems that couldn't be solved and eventually uh, ran into an oxy overdose. I won't... See, I know everything, but uh, if it really was a case like where maybe if they had paid more attention that they could have saved him, that naming a hotel after him is... It's kind of too late. Like, if, if... 
if he had been in a car accident that wasn't his fault and was killed, let's say a drunk driver hit him and he was killed at 22, and then you name a hotel after him, that's, that, that can be touching. Uh, a drug overdose, uh, if, if there was something that could have been done and maybe not enough attention was paid, then, uh, I don't know, just feels kind of weird to call it that. But whatever, I'm just, that, that's a side note here. I, I'm sure that Steve Whitkoff was very devastated by this. I'm not saying he didn't care about his son. The fact that he's naming after his son is, uh, shows how much this affected him. But it's just, it, I don't know, to me it just seems kind of weird, given the circumstances that uh, his son died. But th- there are people who are just predisposed to drug addiction that it's it's very hard to solve. Sometimes the parents can be great and do everything right, and the kid just is attracted to doing that, and there's just no stopping them. And there's only so much you can do for your child if uh, if they're one of those people. So it could have been that situation. I don't want to cast judgment without knowing the full story. Anyway, that's getting away from that depressing development. Getting back to the story of the Drew and its history. So uh, Carl Icahn had control of it at one point. And I think in 2010, he had part ownership of it. Then he auctioned off the furnishings in it, and uh, then Icon put it up for sale in 2015, and it, it it bounced around. Finally, it was in 2017 when the property was bought for $600 million, and it was going to be renamed. It wasn't going to be called Fountain Blue anymore. And then Marriott International got involved as well. They had a partnership in the Drew and claimed that it would be opening in late 2020, which is no longer going to be the case. But construction is continuing. If you drive by it, you will see that. And the plans for the Drew are to connect it with the Las Vegas Convention Center, which is also currently under construction. It's expanding. It'll end up... uh, Supposedly finished sometime next year in 2020. So long before the Drew is completed. And then they move in April of this year, they moved the opening to the second quarter of 2022, saying that this would give them better certainty regarding the construction budget. And they are saying that Quote, a substantial amount of the resort's profits will go to a family foundation that fights drug addiction in honor of his son, Andrew. So that's nice if that's really what they're going to do. Of course, it has to make money. We'll see about that. So this is going to be yet another high-end or at least semi-high-end hotel in the North Strip, which may really become relevant within the next few years. Resorts World's going to be there. The Wynn is going to be there. Or the Wynn's already there. The Wynn and Encore are already there. Then Resorts World will be there. And now the Drew. And who knows what else. So it may eventually become a very happening place. That's not like a, a lower end sort of 
I wouldn't say slum, but it's not the best area, and it's it's more like cheaper stuff aimed at working class people. It's anyone who's a higher end customer is not likely to go. This also would probably help the Sahara, by the way, which is also North Strip. So it's possible that that whole area will be very different in the 2020s than it was in the 2010s. So the Drew will be part of that. And Bobby Baldwin will be the director of gaming. Now, Bobby Baldwin abruptly left his high-level position at MGM Resorts in October of 2018 under mysterious circumstances. Because he had uh, a number of high-level positions there at the same time. And he just left, which is weird. And it seems like he's not retiring because he's going on to this Drew job. Some people blamed Bobby Baldwin for the situation at the Aria Poker Room, that whole private game situation where they would run private games which were technically against the law, but they found ways around it. So they kind of went against the spirit of the law, but were technically following the law. And that really angered poker players, and rightfully so. At the Aria, and supposedly, I've heard rumors that this was at the direction of Bobby Baldwin to operate this way. But it still was not ever really known why Bobby Baldwin left so abruptly in October 2018 from a job he held at MGM for a long time, a very high-level job. And there were rumors. Let me say there were rumors. There were some rumors that there might be a Me Too situation that was potentially going to happen and that his quick departure was to prevent that. See, he has a long history in gaming and with MGM. All the way back in 82, he was a consultant for the Golden Nugget. In 84, he became the president of the Golden Nugget. He was the head of the Mirage in 87, which hasn't even opened yet, similar to the Drew right now. He was the president of the Bellagio in 98. He was the CFO of Mirage Resorts when Steve Wynn had that in in 2000. That was before the Wynn actually opened. And once Mirage Resorts and MGM merged, he became the CEO of Mirage Resorts, the subsidiary of MGM Mirage. Then once uh, MGM Mirage acquired the Mandalay Resort Group, he became CEO and president of the Project City Center and continued being CEO of Mirage Resorts. And in 2018... At that point, he was, I don't know when he took this this position, but he was the chief customer development officer of MGM Resorts and CEO and president of City Center. These, these are huge positions bringing in a lot of money. He also has four World Series of Poker bracelets, though he has not won one since 1979. He won two in 77, one in 78, and one in 79, obviously with much smaller fields than we see today. The Bobby's room in Bellagio, the high-stakes room, 
the nosebleed stakes room. I've never played in there. It's named after him. So for him to abruptly leave these super high positions at MGM was very weird. And yeah, he'd been part of this group to some degree for over 30 years. So he leaves that and then eventually joins this other hotel that's not even built yet? Why would he do that? Why would he, why would he start over at this age? Obviously, he's not a young guy. His exact age actually is not even known, but he's close to 70, probably a little bit younger than 70, but you know, 69, something like that. That sounds like a good time to start a new career, leave the company you've been part of for over 30 years and had such a big part in, and go start something new with some new casino? And, and delayed, too, like with a year in between? You think Bobby Baldwin said, you know what? Time for a new phase in my life at, at age 68. Time for a new phase. I'm going to start do my next 30 years at another hotel. Like, that's crazy. You, you either retire or <laughs> or keep working where you are until you're ready to retire. You don't start fresh at that point when you've ascended so high. So something weird happened. And I remember hearing those rumors. The rumors were that it had to do with uh, subordinates, but that it was consensual. So it wasn't as big of a deal as like what Steve Wynn was doing. But these are just rumors. Who knows? This could be made up. I don't know. That's what people are saying. But it could have been that with all this Me Too stuff happening... They may have they may have proactively done this before anyone even complained, or maybe some people got paid off, and that was that. I don't know. I'm just I'm just making things up that are possibilities. I don't have any more information than you do. But it, it does sound like something precipitated them getting rid of him, and he wasn't fired. He just announced he's leaving. Just Bobby Wal- Bobby Walden's leaving. That's it. He's gone. Tell a friend on Poker Fraud Alert posted on the thread about this. It's miraculous MGM somehow got that swept under the rug like so much else. So I could I could see that hypothetically here. Let's just talk in hypotheticals. Let's say he was having consensual relationships with subordinates there. And let's say MGM said, crap, we've known about this for a while since... Since everybody was okay with it, we we let it go. But now that we see all this Me Too stuff happening, uh, this is not a good look anymore. We better get rid of him before this becomes an embarrassment. And they go to him and go, look, you know, you shouldn't have done what you were doing before. We, 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 we didn't stop it at the time because no one was complaining. But uh, the times have changed. You've got to get out of here. And if you're not at the company anymore, it's probably less likely anyone's going to complain. So he's probably, okay, you're right. Or maybe they said, you need to leave now, and otherwise we're going to have to get rid of you, and it'll be much worse. Something happened. It's, it's, it's hard to believe he just get up and leave and then look for another job. Just doesn't make sense to me. Possible, but it doesn't make sense to me. 
I'm talking about Poker Stars, Pennsylvania. So there is a new version of Poker Stars that has opened up and is now running in Pennsylvania. And the question is, is this going to be something that really matters? I mean, it's going to run. It's going to attempt to be successful. It's going to attempt to make money. But is it going to be a major player in online poker? Is this going to be a game changer to where there's a lot of people on there and then maybe they'll merge with other states that have poker stars and it'll even be bigger? Will it start to resemble the poker stars we once knew prior to Black Friday? That is the question. Will it even remotely resemble it or will it be pretty much a fail site that's fairly dead. For the answer to this, we need to look at some things. First of all, let's take a look at how PokerStars is doing. Regular PokerStars, which does not serve the U.S., according to PokerScout.com, which tracks these things, says that there are 55,000 people online right now. Pretty good. That of cash players, there's 6,064 sitting at tables. Also pretty good. That at the peak of the day, 10,567 players sitting at cash tables, pretty good. And over a seven-day average, about 6,600 people are sitting at cash tables at poker stars. Okay. I'd say that's pretty good. Not what it once was when it was in the U.S. in all 50 states, but in this day and age, pretty good. All right. Let's move on. Let's look at poker stars, New Jersey. Because remember, PokerStars is in New Jersey. How is that doing? PokerStars New Jersey currently has, uh, and right now, of course, it's it's, it's probably the lowest time because it's uh, about 5.30 a.m. there. So I'll be fair about that. But currently, PokerStars New Jersey, according to PokerScout, has a whopping 10 cash players sitting. Okay, but what about during more peak times and more average times? Well, 24-hour peak, 193 players. (laughs) Average number of cash players, 75. (laughs) That's that's a disaster. That's that's barely worth keeping running. It's got to be losing money. So... The question is, can this be any better in Pennsylvania? Now, Pennsylvania has a bigger population than New Jersey. See, the requirement to play on PokerStars Pennsylvania is you have to physically be standing in Pennsylvania. Just like in PokerStars New Jersey, you have to physically be standing in New Jersey. Pennsylvania has a bigger population than New Jersey. Pennsylvania has a 12.81 million population as of 2018. New Jersey's population is, I think, about three-quarters of that, 8.9, probably 70% of it, 8.9 million in 2018. So Pennsylvania is bigger, but it's not even 50% bigger. So how will that translate to traffic? Now, I will say that at some point, just because you're – Less than 50% bigger, you may have more than 
additional traffic because poker games go because existing games are going. People play because they see existing players playing. A poker site will be completely dead if people come on and nobody's playing because most people are not going to just sit around and wait for a game to start. If someone comes on and sees a game running they want to play, they sit. If there's no game running they want to play, they don't sit. So it's very important to have games running when people open it. And there is some point where the traffic is high enough on the site to where games get going and stay going. And that's the most important thing. So Pennsylvania definitely has an edge over New Jersey regarding how it's going to do. But how much of an edge? Well, it's running at the moment. It's up. It's up and running. Now, I will throw something in here that this is a new site, so people are excited about it and playing probably more now, or maybe more now, than they're going to overall. And also, there are... This is also a bad time, because again, it's 5.30 in the morning there. So right now, PokerStars Pennsylvania has 126 cash players, a lot better than the 10 at New Jersey, but still not killing it. The peak... Over the last 24 hours, 897 players. A lot better than New Jersey, but still not destroying it. And an average number of players of 375. Now, that looks a lot better than New Jersey at the moment. Now, there's also something to consider in that I don't know how many Pennsylvania... They may be the only Pennsylvania room running right now. Let me see. This I can sort. Um... I don't know if it may be only poker stars. Yeah, I think it's only poker stars at the moment. I think they're the only ones. So they probably have no competition. New Jersey, there's a lot more competition. WSOP.com is in New Jersey, and they have a player pool that's combined with Nevada and Delaware, so that already makes them more desirable player pool wise than poker stars, uh, New Jersey. There's also uh, a party poker, New Jersey. So there's there's competition in New Jersey that I think is fragmenting the market. So PokerStars Pennsylvania is not dealing with that. The fact that they have gotten almost 1,000 cash players at the peak is a good sign. But they're still less than half the size player-wise of Bovada. And that's not terrible, but it's it's not that great. And it's not a huge game changer. Like a with an average of three hundred ninety seven people on there, that's not gonna really mean very much. I mean, think about it. Three hundred ninety seven people average. Nine hundred people the peak. That's not really a major thing happening in, in a state with with almost thirteen people thirteen people thirteen million people. So this may be the most successful online poker room in the US legalized market. But that doesn't say much. It will be viable. It will continue running. It's not going to go down. But it's not going to anywhere resemble even the present poker stars, the mainline poker stars that runs in the rest of the world. Right? Look, they have 6,000 people sitting right now playing cash, and Pennsylvania poker stars has 126. So that's a long way to go. What this does say 
is that if you combine a lot of big markets together, especially one like California, California is what really needs to show up for online poker, and then it needs to combine with other states. Then we'll have something. Then we will have such a potential player base of such a large number of people. Like you combine New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and California, and we're looking at, like, I think 55 million people. Just those three together. And you add Nevada and Delaware, we're, we're probably looking at close to 60. So that's that's a lot of people. And California has a lot of people who like poker. There's a big poker scene in California, so that'll help too. And that'll help the other states too. When there's existing games running, a lot more people are not going to just open and close it. That's what we need. I still think Pennsylvania is not a big enough state population-wise to really get things going for online poker in a legalized market. California has to be part of it. If we get California on board, Texas on board, New York on board, Pennsylvania is already there. Combine all those, you've got something. Probably not the old poker boom back, but at least you've got something. Then you'll probably have several thousand players on at once. And we will have some good games going. But this is a while away. California, just because of all the Indian tribes fighting over this, I I don't know when we're ever going to see it. It's kind of stalled. I don't know where New York is with this. Texas, they don't even have legalized brick-and-mortar poker, as we just discussed. So I I don't know what we're going to really see with this. And poker stars, they're not going to make much or any money on this existing traffic. That's just not very much for them to make, but... And there's a lot of licensing fees in Pennsylvania. But what they're doing is they're biding their time. They're, they're hoping that eventually enough states do legalize it and they have enough presence in these states and that they will be positioned to take a dominant stance in the market that will come to exist. They want to be there for it and they're going to take some losses in the meantime. They're not doing all this to have 397 people on on average. That's not, that's not why they've spent all that money to end up in Pennsylvania, but they're hoping this will pay off in the long run. Will it? I don't know. It, it really depends a lot on California. California is really, really going to be a big factor here. Until then, the game selection is going to be limited, especially high stakes. I can't look at what stakes are offering right now, but I have to imagine there probably is not all that much high stakes action on there. Because there can be a lot of players on, but if they're all playing microstakes, it's not very useful. You know, let's say there's 500 people on, but most of the games are 5 cent, 10 cent. Are you going to want to play that? I'd probably not. I'm not going to want to play that. Unless you're a very casual player, you probably don't want to play that. So it's not just about number of people. It's about number of meaningful games for money that you'd prefer to play for. And it's not just about hard numbers of, of butts and seats there. So we will see. I will let you know if there's any further development of note. But I, I don't like covering all the state stuff with online poker because it just it, it doesn't uh, excite me too much. And there's too, much, too many false alarms with it, too. Oh, it's coming to such and such place. Oh, no, now it's not coming. Now it's been stalled. It's like, you know, whatever. 
Here's some texts we got from various places. From the 765, Free Rolls has a custom-built tables where they have tablets that will be built into the table in front of where a player will sit. Yeah, I see. He sent me some pictures of these tables. Um, also says that Free Rolls has an ongoing courtroom battle with the former poker room managers. If you go to Harris County, Texas court records and search the court case as plaintiffs – and the plaintiff says free rolls that shows up. They're claiming the former managers stole from them, although the former managers are listed listed in part of their debt. <laughs> what a mess. For the 916, the guy with the dogs, referring to Mark Ari, we played earlier, sounds exactly like Steve-O from the Jackass show. It kind of does. From the 773 offline. Yeah, we went offline. Regarding Negranu, the same person wrote, seems easy enough to tell if Negranu knew of the discrepancy. Didn't he sell hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of pieces? What percentage did he pay out? Am I wrong in this thought process? I, I can't answer that. I don't even – I remember he sold those pieces and he oversold, but I, I didn't watch the whole thing closely enough. So, I want to talk a bit about Seven Stars and an unfortunate thing that was discovered by – Someone who posts on VegasCasinoTalk.com. VegasCasinoTalk.com is one of my other forums. And it's kind of a sister site to Poker Fraud Alert in some ways. It's been around actually before Poker Fraud Alert, run by somebody else, but I took it over. It's run actually from the Poker Fraud Alert server. In fact, it was running on the Poker Fraud Alert server before I was the owner of it, before it was... uh, Transfer it over to me. But now I am the sole owner of it. And this person named Skyscanner created a thread called Denied Seven Star for Being Overcomped. Now, I don't know this person personally, but uh, I believe everything they wrote is true, especially because coupled with another story, it makes sense. So Skyscanner showed screenshots of his Caesars Rewards account showing that he has earned 158000 396 tier credits, which should qualify him for 7-star because you only need 150,000. He's past that. But it shows his status is diamond, not 7-stars. So what's going on here? Why doesn't he have 7-stars? He wrote, today I got denied 7-star by one of the, of the directors because, quote, my comps are not in line with my play. After just earning 100,000 tier credits in October from gaming in Atlantic City and after being ranked 40th in the October leaderboard. I'm still Diamond, totally disappointed. Um, and then he posts his email exchanges with uh, this uh, director who uh, denied him. He said, I was informed this morning by Caesar's Rewards Supervisor at Paris, Las Vegas, my dominant property. Dominant property is uh, they assign you what they call your dominant property, meaning like the main property you visit. At Caesars, and you have no choice. It may not even be the main main property, but that's just what they they assign it to you, and that's kind of like your home base. So at, at Paris, which is his dominant property, he wrote the, that despite me reaching more than the required 150,000 tier credits at Caesars Rewards this calendar year, having no casino credit lines and no casino markers, and also no security issues, you have actually disapproved my invitation to Seven Stars. It took a lot of time and effort and six figure coin in. That coin in is referring to how much how many credits he played total. 
uh, that doesn't mean how much you lost, but how much was at risk at one point. But uh, like, a, like for example, every time you run a video poker hand that's five dollars per credit for five credits each, that's twenty five dollars in coin in. So let's say you won, you run the first hand and lose. You run the second hand and you win back what you lose. So you're even. You are even in win loss, but in coin in you've you've done fifty dollars in coin in twenty five plus twenty five. Okay, so moving on. It took a lot of time and effort and six-figure coin-in to reach this incredible amount of tier credits. I've had gaming days at 5,000 tier credits playing from 6 a.m. to 2 a.m. the following day. Out of the millions of people who visited the Nine Caesars properties in Las Vegas in October, I was ranked an outstanding 40th on the Las Vegas leaderboard, and then he showed that he was. That he earned the 40th most tier credits in Las Vegas in October 2019. Uh, the, the Caesars Rewards supervisor at Paris was incorrect to say that, quote, most of my tier credits this year came from hospitality. Hospitality meaning like uh, non-gaming things. You can earn tier credits by staying at hotels or whatever. He says, while investing a five-figure sum in hospitality charges such as hotel room and dining, the, in fact, two-thirds of the credits, that's more than 100,000 tier credits, came from my play. She also said that, quote, some of the tier credits came from five-time promotions, implying that Caesars is denying its customers the benefits of its promotions. I'll get back to that in a second. I do hope that you will change your mind. After Caesars downgraded the benefits of seven stars, he's referring to they took away the guaranteed free rooms. That's the reason I stopped being seven stars. Remove the two aspirations levels, which is another benefit they had and uh, for Diamond members, uh, and me being denied the seven star status for no valid reason will create additional disappointment within, within the playing community. And then the person wrote back, thank you for your email. I believe during our last correspondence, I explained our player review committee. We have observed that your comps are out of line with your casino play. Joey Ingram would like that out of line line. He, he likes saying people are out of line. So <laughs> this director is saying to Skyscanner, you're out of line. Or at least your casino play is out of line. We appreciate the hospitality points you've been accrued, but would not be able to upgrade your tier level. It has become necessary to do, to do this to stop any further comp abuse on your account. Comp abuse would be a disqualification of the seven-star status. So then Skyscanner wrote back, Please explain what you mean by comp abuse on my account. I always pay for my rooms. I never use parking. Sometimes I use the Diamond Lounge, where I never order any alcoholic drinks, and prefer to go to the buffet, for which I also pay. I have more than 150k in coin into the casino. How can my comps be quote out of line with my casino play when I was ranked 40th just last month? Can you please provide me with a detailed list of the comps I have used? And then this director wrote back to Skyscanner: You have redeemed casino offers with minimal casino play during a 20-month, 24-month period. A decision was made by our committee to suppress further offers. We won't disclose comp information as it falls in, in line of uh, proprietary information. And then Skyscanner wrote back, I would like to have those records, please, as I do want to make sure that I was the one who used and benefited those comps that you have records for. I was told at Caesars Rewards today that someone could have simply fraudulently used one of the player cards I have lost in order to benefit from free parking, as no picture ID is required of the garages. For example, just this year in September, a stranger fraudulently used my credit card information to pay for resort fees at the Flamingo, police report attached. So under new Nevada Senate Bill 220, of which you may, may or may not be aware, since it only recently came into effect on October 1st, 2019, I am officially asking you to please release to me absolutely all the records that you and Caesars Entertainment Corporation have on me, including the list of received services from Caesars Entertainment Corporation for which no pay was required from me, commonly known as comps. Thank you. Okay. 
lot to take in here. Let me break this down for you guys. Even if you're not familiar with Caesars and their total rewards program, uh, I'll, I'll try to make this so everyone can understand it. Because I see exactly what happened here. By the way, this director was later revealed to be Kent Houston. And what's interesting about the name Kent Houston is that he was said to have denied somebody else in 2018. And there was a discussion on VegasCasinoTalk.com of whether the Kent Houston emails that were posted on another forum were legitimate or if somebody had made them up. I had thought they were legitimate. Others were arguing that the Kent Houston emails were fake, even though Kent Houston's a real person, that someone had fabricated them and was not actually denied seven stars or or redacted some things that may have explained it better. So it, it turns out that, yes, Kent Houston is just denying people seven stars. So because the Skyscanner is a poster on this forum, and, and everything he's written up till now is, seems very trustworthy and straightforward. I don't think he's lying about any of this. Can't prove it, but I, I think he's telling the truth about everything, and I think all the emails that he's posting are real and legitimate. So why did he get denied, and what does this mean for everybody else? Well, let's look at a few important things here. To earn 150,000 tier credits at Caesars Properties, at Video Poker, the absolute minimum amount of coin in is $500,000. Why? Because if you optimally play to earn daily tier credit bonuses, you can earn two times the tier credits, or actually three times the tier credits, that you actually have earned if you earn exactly 2,500 or exactly 5,000 tier credits in the day. So if you earn 2,500, you get 7,500. If you earn 5,000, you get 15,000. Anything past that, like if you earn, say, uh, forty nine ninety nine, you would get, you would get ninety nine ninety nine because you'd get a five thousand bonus instead of a ten thousand bonus. As soon as you get to five thousand, you get a ten thousand bonus. That's why you should always earn either twenty five hundred or five thousand in a day exactly, and then stop if you want to optimally earn tier credit. So if you if you do it optimally, you'd still have to put in a minimum of five hundred thousand tier credits at video poker. Half of that in slots, but slots have a much higher loss rate, so we're, we're going to ignore that. So in video poker, it would take 500,000 in coin in to get 150k tier credits optimally. Skyscanner said that he earned 150,000, not earned, he, he put $150,000 in coin in. So how did he get 150,000 tier credits with less than one-third of the minimum coin in required? Well, it was explained that he earned $50,000 50, tier credits through hospitality expenditures, which, which is pretty crazy. I, I don't exactly know why he spent so much at the casinos. Like this, If he's really spending his own money to stay at the hotel and eat all these restaurants to earn seven stars, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But nevertheless, that seems to be what he did. And he earned – maybe there was some trick he was using, but whatever it was, he earned about 50,000 tier credits – by spending money on property, the other hundred thousand, some it still would have been like two thirds of five hundred k coin in, so still way more than one hundred fifty thousand. But the reason he only put one hundred fifty k coin in is because he was taking advantage of what was known as a five times tier credit promotion. So he he played something I don't know where, but he played something with a five times tier credit promotion where for every tier credit he earns, he actually gets five times as many as he normally would. 
That's not how he earned all his tier credits, but he must have done this in October. And he probably put in a lot less coin in than one normally would have to do to earn the over 100,000 tier credits. He, yeah, 103,000 he earned in October in Las Vegas. He did it on some promotion he was offered of five times. That's why he disproportionately did it in October. So he probably put in the equivalent of play in October to uh, earn probably, what was it? Normally 100,000 tier credits would be, uh, let's see, for every 50,000 coin in, you get uh, get 15,000 tier credits. So, yeah, it looks like he, he mainly did it on this five times promotion. So it looks like, uh, well, he said 150,000 coin, which normally wouldn't earn all that much. They would normally earn about 30,000 or 45,000. They would earn about 45,000 tier credits normally. So Kent Houston, the director there, looked this up and said, okay, this guy wants seven star. But he only really earned 45,000 base tier credits. Not even base tier credits. 45,000 normal tier credits. The rest he got on this stupid bonus. And he also earned the rest of his tier credits through hotel expenditures, which is kind of nice for the hospitality side of the company. But for gaming, you know, the, you have to understand, Caesars, is, it's, it's very compartmentalized. It's it, Everything is, is separate there. Every department is almost independent. So Kent Houston in gaming doesn't give a crap how much he spent in hospitality. It's, it's a little bit of a factor, but it's not much of one. Kent Houston is looking for what he's doing in gaming, and Skyscanner just didn't do that much gaming. He did about uh, 45,000 normal tier credits worth of gaming and wants seven star, which would go to someone who, who spends 150,000 tiers. So that's that's where he had his issue, that he got his tier credits from a combination of this five times promotion and also from spending money at the hotels and restaurants. So he also complained that Skyscanner was getting offers in the mail and was just redeeming them and barely playing. So And, and that I kind of understand that because it looks like almost all the, the play occurred in October. And for the rest of the time, he was just showing up, redeeming offers, and uh, not playing. So that, that was another problem. So this went through its review process. Ken Houston looked at Skyscanner's play and showed that every time he came to the hotel, pretty much, he just he didn't play. He redeemed offers, redeemed free play, whatever he was offered, and, and didn't play. Then in October, put in this bulk play because there was this five times promotion, played just enough to get to seven-star, quit and said, okay, where's my seven star? So he's like, uh-uh, you're not getting it. Now, he's not the first one who got denied. Uh, Ken Houston denied that other guy last year who posted his redacted email. So Ken Houston's obviously a hard ass when it comes to awarding seven star. It, it really is up to, he says a committee, but it may just be him. Seven stars has always been promoted as an invite-only club that they have to approve you, they have to invite you, but it was BS. 
They said it, but it wasn't true. If you earned 150,000 tiers, and if you didn't have any negative history, meaning you don't owe the money, you don't have security issues with them, basically, if you if you haven't been an asshole and a problem there, and you don't owe the money, and you earn the tier credits, you're getting seven star. That used to be the way it was. So the the approval process was BS. But starting last year, it seemed like there was an approval process. It seems like what they've been claiming they were doing all this time, now they actually are doing. Now they're really doing what they said they would have been doing the whole way. And they're starting to drop the people who are finding the cheapest way to 7-star with playing the least. And it doesn't take a whole lot of review to separate who who are the type of gamers they want there and who are the ones they don't want. So they don't want the guy who, for two years, shows up and never plays, except when there's some great tier credit promotion, and then he plays the minimum to get seven star and says, okay, hand me the seven star. They don't want that guy. It's obvious. You you look at the guy's history. Oh, bang, he plays a whole lot in October. What was going on in October? Oh, he had a five times tier promotion. Oh, well, isn't that convenient? And, and then right when he gets there, he says, give me seven star. Like, no, they, they don't want him. They know once he's seven star, he's not going to play again until he needs to earn it again, and he'll probably do it through some promotion again. So they, they don't want that. So they reject it. I, I'm not saying that – I'm not criticizing Skyscanner for this. He he tried to do something and get 7-star for the minimum play, and it just didn't work. And that's a risk you're taking, unfortunately. And it kind of sucks that you, you're at the whim of the casino to decide once you've earned it whether you've actually qualified. There's no, That's the problem. They're not saying, okay, well, here's the absolute minimum you have to do. They don't want to tell you what the absolute minimum is because they're, they're trying to get you to compulsively gamble. So they want you to do way more than you really need to. They're not going to say – this is the absolute minimum way to get there, and, and then we will give it to you. What they say is just earn this, and then we'll let you know. MGM, with their no R card, is even more difficult. They don't even tell you exactly what you need to do. They just say, we'll let you know when you get there. And then they actually do have a committee there that goes over each player that to be approved from Noir. And basically, to give you Noir there, they have to believe that you're a degenerate. They have to believe that you are, you're a casual gambler who, who's going to shoot off a lot of money there and that you're not trying to advantage play them in any way. You're not trying to earn it just to take advantage of the benefits and all that. And their benefits aren't even that great. Seven Stars used to be a better set of benefits. They were the best one of core benefits, but that's been degraded, so it's not even worth that much anyway. The truth is, now there really isn't that much reason to be Seven Star. Because Diamond is good enough in most cases. Seven Star used to be way better. Uh, now it's not so much anymore. Now Diamond will get most of the things Seven Star gets, and it's much easier. It takes 10 times fewer tier credits to get Diamond. And there's no review process. That's automatic. So once you get 15,000 tier credits, it doesn't matter how you do it. You're auto-approved for Diamond. The computer approves you. There's no Kent Houston who gets in the way. You you get Diamond. They don't kick you out of being Diamond. You, you, you make Diamond, you're Diamond. That's it. So... I would recommend being Diamond. Now, if you want to use the Diamond Lounges, then you've got to get up to 25,000 tiers instead of 15,000 tiers, but I don't really care about that crap, so I'm happy with 15,000. I actually have plans to earn my Diamond in January, which will be good for two years, more than two years, actually, two years and one month, and that's as far as I'm going to go. It's good to have Diamond during the World Series. There's many things Diamond get you to the World Series. You, you don't pay resort fees if you stay at the hotel. You get to cut in lines. You, you, there's a special room to register for the World Series events. You get to be first in line in the cash games. There's a lot of nice things to have for Diamond. And uh, they'll make exceptions for you for things. It's, it's, you you want to be Diamond if you're going to spend significant time 
at the World Series. That's the truth. But seven star, not really necessary anymore. If I can get there easily, sure. But see, like an opportunity came up back in December where I could have gone to Phoenix and played at a with a tier credit, like a big tier credit multiplier and gotten to seven stars fairly easily. But I chose not to because I had a feeling I was going to run into Kent Houston. I, re- I really thought Kent Houston was going to be denying me. Him specifically. I really thought Kent Houston was going to say no. So I said, forget it. I said, okay, that's the end of my Seven Stars career. In fact, Seven Stars is not even that good anymore. So why, why am I going to do this? So I didn't. And now now that I see what happened to Skyscanner, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I passed up and just became Diamond, and that's what I'm going to be from now on. And this is important to know if you want to earn Seven Stars. That if you're going to try to get there in some sort of cheap way or shenanigans way, they're going to catch it and say no. Not for sure, but uh, especially if it's approved through Las Vegas. Through another market, they may be less difficult about it. But in the Las Vegas market, then there's a decent chance that you're going to run into Kent Houston and he'll deny you. Because it really is up to each individual director. So some of them may rubber stamp it, but Kent Houston is, uh, is looking at it closely. Now, what can be done if this happens? What, what can Skyscanner do about this? Well, he was trying to demand things through this new law that was passed that I didn't even know about either, or something about uh, being able to get all your records the casino's holding on you. And that's an interesting law, and it's worth looking into, but this is not going to help him here. Nobody has a right to seven stars. So what's Kent Houston going to say back to him? Uh, oh, wow, okay, well, if you want to see all your records, well... That changes everything. Okay, we're going to give it to you. No, they'll probably just ignore him, and maybe they'll send it to him. And once he gets it, what's that going to say? I mean, he, he can try to take his record and claim that someone stole his comps, blah, blah, blah. It's not going to matter. They That was just one of several reasons they denied it, that he was showing up and not playing. I mean, he admits that he was coming to the hotel and not playing. So regardless of the redemption of comps, they don't like that either. They don't like if even if you don't redeem cops, you just show up and and you don't play. The the gaming side doesn't like that. The gaming side gives you a metric called ADT, average daily theoretical, which means for every day on the property, the average amount that you would be losing if your luck was exactly average based upon the amount you're playing. And Skyscanner's ADT looks like it was pretty low because he showed up a lot of times, spent a lot of days there, and didn't play. So. Forget the comps he redeemed. That doesn't even matter. His ADT probably sucked too. Again, I'm not criticizing Skyscanner. I see why he was trying. I see what he did. I see what he's trying to do. And that's fine. That's totally fine. I don't hold that against him. That's perfectly a valid way to try to earn seven star. Just you have to understand there's a risk to it. And he actually then posted in the other thread about Kent Houston and said, crap, I wish I saw this before. I wouldn't have tried this because Kent Houston's the one who denied me. So just keep that in mind about seven star. It's really not worth that much anymore. And also, something else to understand: the comps you're going to be getting are are not the same as the comps that uh, they're not going to increase. Is what I'm trying to say. When you hit seven star, it's not going to give you way more comps. You're not going to get these amazing offers and baller suites and and lavish meals. All it does is it triggers a few guaranteed benefits that are finite, like $500 worth of free food. 
that you can use 100 at a time. Okay, nice to have, but not spectacular. Uh, one trip where they reimburse you in rewards credits for uh, for the airfare you spend, up to $1,200. Okay, again, nice. And you, you also get 500 worth of free food on that trip as well. Okay, but 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 that's pretty much it. There's no more free rooms anymore. That was the big that was the big benefit with Seven Star. You could spend spend four or five nights straight with no blackout periods in in free rooms at any Caesar's property. That that was big. If if you stayed in Caesar's properties a lot, you could save a lot of money on hotels. Just in the World Series itself, I was saving a lot of money. But that's when Seven Stars was good. Now Seven Stars has, has gone to crap. Mumbles is saying that uh, the audio is still doing this thing where it. Uh, it's, it goes loud and too soft, depending on uh, whether someone's on Skype or not. Now, yes, I know. I haven't fixed it yet. I'm aware of that. I just turned myself down a little bit because I, I think I, I was looking at my level. It looked like I'm going a little bit loud since Skype disconnected. All righty. Moving along. I'm going to talk about something that was brought to my attention by uh, a, a listener who sent me a DM on Twitter. And uh, it's something we've talked a little bit about before, but now th- this crappy thing has made its way to Las Vegas. The crappy thing that I am talking about are the changeless ticket machines that were found initially at Encore Boston, the new Encore Boston. One of the complaints, in fact, there was a lawsuit involving it. I don't know where that lawsuit went, was that there are ticketing machines T- ticket redemption machines, not ticketing. Ticket redemption machines where, let's say you play at a slot machine or video poker and you get, uh, you, you cash out $73.58. In the past, you'd bring it to a machine and the machine would spit out $73 cash and then drop $0.58 cents in change in the little change compartment that you'd take and you, that would be that. That's a way to cash out. You didn't have to go to the cashier. Very convenient, very nice. Well, the Encore introduced machines that did not have change, that they would spit out 73, and then you get a second ticket for 58 cents. So let's say this happens to you, okay? So you have the $73, great. You have now the second voucher for 58 cents. Well, that you have to take the cashier to redeem. So you walk over to the cashier, and there's a line uh, seven people deep. Do Do you wait seven people to get your 58 cents? No. What do you probably do with the voucher? You probably throw it in the trash. How often do you think that happens there? How many people do you think throw these vouchers in the trash either because they don't feel like walking over to the casino or walking to the cashier or because they don't want to stand online at the cashier? Probably a lot. And what happens when you multiply that by a lot of customers who keep throwing their change vouchers in the trash and don't redeem them? And by the way, it's illegal for somebody to take your voucher and redeem it themselves. Sometimes hard to catch, but like I don't even think that a lot of people are getting these. Some I don't think people are getting each other's vouchers. I think they just throw them away, or they take them home and lose them, and that's that. So think of all the people who are not redeeming their change because of that whole situation. Uh, it reminds me of this. Actually, it's probably more like $143.80 and one half cent. There are always fractions left over in big corporations, but they round it down to the lowest whole number. What am I supposed to do with half a cent by a third red mouse? You mean everybody loses those fractions? Well, they don't exactly lose them. You can't lose what you never got. 
Then what happens to all those half cents? The company gets it? No, not really. They can't be bothered to collect a half cent from your paycheck any more than you could. Then what happens to them? Well, they're just floating around out there. The computer's nowhere. Now, the, the Superman 3 situation, also done in office space, they, in fact, make reference to Superman 3, basically where small amounts of money in cents, and this it was half a cent each, but uh, in office space I think it was a few cents each, but where a few cents each added up over and over and over again becomes a lot of money and then can be stolen without anyone noticing. Well, that's what's basically happening over at uh, Encore Boston. We've talked about this before, that people keep throwing away these vouchers because it's just not worth going to the cashier to redeem under a dollar, especially if there's a line. And so that's an additional source of revenue that Encore Boston is getting, and yet they're able to claim they're within the law because they are giving you the opportunity to get it. You just have to stand online. And they can even use the reasoning, hey, what about the days before these cash machines existed? You always had to stand online to get anything. So, look, we were doing you a favor by providing you a machine to get all of it except for the cents. So they can hide behind that, that you don't have to use the cash machine. You can do it old school and just bring the whole thing up to the cashier, which you can. But again, you have to stand online. So if faced with the choice of redeeming the whole number of dollars right now and throwing away the cents, that's less than a dollar, and not waiting and leaving and being out of there quickly, or having to stand on a long line to get those cents, you know what choice almost everybody's going to take. So that was going on at Encore Boston. But as far as we knew, this wasn't happening anywhere in Las Vegas. But it has been reported to me by a listener that now the Win and Encore in Las Vegas have changeless machines just like the Encore Boston. So it's happening in Vegas. And apparently the clientele there is not stupid. People are aware of what's going on. They're aware of the Superman 3 trick. They're aware of the fact that they're getting spit out a voucher with cents on it that's not worth standing in line for, but they know if they throw away the casino keeps, and they're really annoyed by it. I think it's a stupid move. Yes, they're getting extra money from it, but it's a stupid way to make extra money because it's irritating everybody. The excuse is, hey, look, this is the way it's going. This is the way the industry is going. Just uh, that's the way these machines are these days. Well, why are they? Why are they taking a step back? They had machines for all these years that could dispense sense. So why would you put in machines now that can't dispense sense? Isn't that a step back? It's not like it was the other way around. It's not like that they developed these machines that, hey, we just don't have the technical capability to give you sense to these machines. If you want to use one, you, you have to just get the separate voucher and bring it up to the cashier. Here they've had this ability all this time and have done it, and now they take it away. Now they have machines that, that have less functionality. And somehow they explain, well, that, that's just the way they are. Well, okay, then buy the old machines. Buy, buy the machines that the other casinos are getting. Why, why are you getting these new crappy machines that won't dispense, dispense any coins? So the reason is because they want to find a way to collect a lot of extra money by getting a little off each person. It really is a Superman 3 trick. It's very dirty. It's very crappy. And it's just getting everybody angry. This should be illegal because what this does is it creates a, a an unnecessary burden to collect an amount of money too small that most people are not going to want to go through to collect. And they can't just say, well, you don't have to use the machines because 
using the machines. That's that's actually the machines' existence has been worked into their staffing levels. They don't have the same cashier staffing level because a lot of people use the machines. So they only staff people at the cashiers. They only staff the number of people according to what is expected as far as how many people will be at the cashiers. If these machines didn't exist, then there would be far more cashiers working and the lines would be shorter. So the fact that these machines exist and the fact that they once dispensed change and now are choosing not to buy the ones that can do so, this is an intentional way not to give the change to create an additional hurdle to getting your change into where the average person is not going to redeem them and the casino unfairly gains this change that they were not entitled to. This should be illegal. Uh, I, I would hope the Nevada Gaming Commission, even though this seems like a minor matter, uh, as we've learned from Superman 3, an office space is not a minor matter and that it's a lot of revenue for the casino that should not be there. And hopefully this will be made illegal in the state of Nevada. I really think it's stupid. It's horrible. And... This person who messaged me on Twitter told me that the supervisor they spoke to at the win conceded that a lot of people were unhappy about it. They got a lot of complaints about it. This reminds me a little bit. uh, Certain supermarkets have done something to make it difficult to get your mistaken bill corrected. So let's say you go through the line and you've already paid your bill and you notice a mistake, you're overcharged for some item. Let's say it's an overcharge for about a dollar. It used to be that the cashier would be empowered to give you that dollar back, that they could actually like put a code into the cash register saying, like, missed food minus one dollar, and you get a dollar out. And they, they were empowered to do a certain, like, you couldn't do that to, to collect a hundred dollars, but something very small like that, they had the power to just at their discretion give you if, if it's a mistake that's seen to be wrong or they also had just had the power to do like a return and rebuy so what they'd be doing is like let, let's say you bought an item that was supposed to be 399 and you were charged 499 what they would actually do is they would technically return the item for 499 and have you rebuy it for 399 and then you'd be due a dollar plus tax back and it would all come out even so e- either way is a way to get your refund and the cashier would do it well in the name of moving the lines quicker so this doesn't clog the lineup for the people behind you. That's what they claim they're doing. But in, in truth, it was just so they can keep money that's erroneously charged to you. Some places have introduced a customer service line where you have to go to a separate line and stand on line to get erroneous bills corrected. So what happens if you've gone through the, the check stand and you're looking at your bill and you were overcharged by a dollar? If the cashier is right there to fix it, you'll probably say, hey, you overcharged me by a dollar, and they'll give you the dollar back. But what if it involves standing on a line with three or four people ahead of you, each person going to take a few minutes there? Are you going to stand in that line for a dollar? Probably most of you won't. I have been in that dilemma before, and I've, I I really have mixed feelings. Because part of me is like, what the fuck am I doing standing in a line to get a dollar back? I'm really wasting my time here for super minuscule money. But then part of me thinks, well, that's what they want me to do. They want me to leave. They're, they're, they're doing this exactly for this purpose to keep an extra dollar from me when there's a mistake. So F them. Yes, I'm going to stand here. And I think there's a battle going on within myself of, of what I'm going to do. And, and I've actually gone both ways. There's been times I've just eaten the dollar. And there's been times I actually stand in the line and get the dollar. But it's, it's very frustrating when that happens because either way sucks. Either way just pisses me off because there's no easy way out of it. Either I have to just accept they just ripped me off of a dollar and tough luck on me, or 
I, I have to stand in a line to get a dollar back and, and wait a long time to get a dollar returned to me, which is a complete waste of my time. It's kind of similar. I, I never like when there's some undue burden placed to get money owed to you to where a lot of people are just not going to want to do it. It's in some ways a negative checkoff scam. A negative checkoff scam is a form of a scam where you have to put out some effort to get back money that's owed to you or that was ripped off from you. And that if you put in the effort, you will get it, but that they're counting on that most people won't put out the effort. And that's what negative checkoff means that uh, you have to check off the to-do list of going to uh, get your money back and anyone who doesn't automatically you keep the money you scam for them. And yet the defense can be, well, look, anyone who catches this or anyone, anyone who complains, we always refund them. That's, that's uh, like a legal defense of the negative checkoff scam is, no, we're not scamming anybody. Look, anybody who's unhappy, we refund them immediately. Knowing that a lot of people won't do it. That, it it's a form of a negative checkoff scam. So I hate it and it should be illegal. In fact, if, if I have a little time, maybe I'll submit a complaint to Nevada Gaming over this. Maybe I'll talk to John Mahaffey. He likes he likes submitting complaints to, to Nevada Gaming. That he told me that he, that he's done enough of these, not about this, but that he's complained enough times that he's afraid that maybe they're not taking him seriously anymore, which could make sense. Even though I, I've always agreed with him, though, when he's made complaints to Nevada Gaming. He, he's not like some jerk who complains about frivolous crap. Like it. He's always been right. But maybe I'll make that complaint. It's it just pisses me off to think about. It just pisses me off that the win is Superman threeing people. It's like uh, they're going to fire Steve Wynn because he sexually harasses people. They they care about sexual harassment, which is good, but they but then at the same time they're they're happy to Superman three your money away from you. It's outrageous. Seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. Speaking of Encore, let's talk about Encore Boston again. They have released some financial numbers, which I'd say are good and bad. Encore Boston Harbor is expected to make $703 million during its first full year of operation. They opened back in June. Obviously, it's been nowhere near a year, but they're extrapolating numbers. And they made uh, $114.9 million since opening June 23rd through uh, the end of September. So they extrapolated that to mean they're going to make uh, $703 million in their first full year of operation. However, the original projection was that they were going to make $800 million in their first year of operation. So is this a success or failure? They fell short of their projection by about $100 million, which sounds pretty bad. So does this mean that the Encore Boston is a disappointment or failure? I would say no. They Falling $100 million short of projection sucks if your projection is $101 million. But if your projection is $800 million, and you do $700 million, that's still very much within range, and you've still come fairly close to what your projections were. And then there's just the general 
fact that $700 billion is a lot of money. $700 million of of uh, profit per year. Actually, it's a... Um, I guess it's revenue. It's not profit. It's gaming revenue. But still, $700 million of gaming revenue is... Uh, is, is still excellent. So that's... Especially not being in Las Vegas. So that's nothing to be disappointed with. They're also very proud of the fact that they already have about 250,000 customers in their database who have gotten cards there. They said, uh, when we opened our doors in our local database, we had zero customers. Fast forward 136 days, we have 250,000 people in our database. They also made up of 60% of gaming revenue in the state of Massachusetts during the time they were open. So they really are the place to go in Massachusetts if you want to gamble. They made more than every other casino combined in the state. They made 60% of all the revenue in that time. This is the only Wynn Resorts property outside of Las Vegas and Macau. They so far have not made a national or international gaming program like Caesars and MGM have. So you your win card at Boston Harbor is not going to translate over to win encore or your encore card in Boston Harbor is not going to translate over to your status at win Las Vegas and win encore or encore Las Vegas, but your play can be evaluated and you get comps based on that. So they're not completely separate, but the, it's not one rewards program. But they are working on a combined consolidated rewards program that they think will be launching in the next few months. They say early 2020. They claim the new customer loyalty program will have tiers similar to total rewards. And they really hadn't had to think of doing this before because originally it was the only U.S. property was the Win Encore in Vegas, and that used the same card. So that was that. It was it was they didn't make tiers and they didn't have any kind of national program that you could use in other properties. But now they have a this property in Boston, so they say, "Yep, oh, we we better do this national program like everybody else is doing because that's pretty much what is being done everywhere." Anyway. Encore Boston has been a success, even if they've fallen a little short of projections. Projections are hard to make in a market that does not have much history. So this was a very sought-after license. Caesars attempted to get this license and failed because of uh, doing business with a mobster. That's the truth. They actually pulled out of that. So Wynn got awarded the one license in the Boston area. Very, very valuable. This was thought to be a property that was going to succeed and has. They did have water bust through the <laughs> through the ceiling in the poker room, but aside from that, people are happy with it. It's known to be a nice place. And in general, this is one of the best options in the East Coast and especially in the New England area. So this was something expected to succeed and has and just just because they guessed it at 800 million in revenue the first year and they get 700 whatever that's a it's a very hard thing to guess in an untested market so that projection really means little 
projection in future years will be more important. It'll be more important to see if they match their first year's revenue, if they exceed their first year's revenue, if they if they decline. That's where it gets important, not not the projected original revenue unless it's way off. But this is close enough. It's a pretty good start for the Encore Boston Harbor, even though Steve Wynn is no longer involved with the company at all. Final topic. The World Series in baseball is over. The Washington Nationals won and completed their Cinderella story from a 19-31 start, where they were the second-worst team in the National League, to being the World Series champions, finishing as the wild card, then uh, coming back to beat the Dodgers in Game 5 to barely get away from the get-out-of-the-National-League-Division series, then sweeping the Cardinals four games to zero, and then having a really weird series with the Houston Astros in the World Series where all seven road teams won. So the Nationals won the first two in Houston, Houston won the the next three in Washington, and then the Nationals went on to win the final two in Houston, the only time in baseball history that all seven games of the World Series were won by the road team. And I calculated that... uh, you're probably going to see this once out of every 267 years. So don't expect this again in your lifetime. Or even in, uh, even your grandkid is unlikely. To, your great-grandkid is unlikely to see this. Your great-great-grandkid is unlikely to see this. So that, that was very unusual. And Washington had to come back in the late innings to win that Game 7, just as they had against the Dodgers in Game 5, in that five-game series reason I'm talking about all this is that a guy calling himself the Mattress King, Jim McInvale, put a $13 million bet on the Astros to win the World Series, which meant that he lost $13 million from that last-minute loss. Pretty brutal, right? You feel bad for him? He put $13 bucks. On the Astros. He really did. He showed his tickets. And was a few innings away from winning 13 million bucks. And then they lost and the casinos kept it. Well, as is the case with many of these things in the gambling world, not everything was as it appeared to be. See, Jim McInvale claimed that... uh, There was a second part to this World Series gimmickry which he was getting involved in. What he did is that if anyone bought a mattress or a combination of purchases at his store of $3,000 or more, that they would get a full refund if the Houston Astros won the World Series. So a lot of people ran down to his mattress store and bought expensive mattresses or expensive mattresses and other items they were selling there to spend more than $3,000, hoping that the Houston Astros, who were the best team, they ended up not winning the World Series, but to be honest, they were the best team in baseball, and they, they almost won the World Series. So here was the best team in baseball. They won 107 regular season games, which is excellent. And they got to Game 7 of the World Series and just fell a little bit short because of a very hot Washington team with very strong starting pitching. 
But so so a lot of people bought mattresses for this reason, and expensive mattresses. Notice this wasn't people weren't getting a refund for buying five hundred dollar mattresses. Yeah, you, you had to spend more than three thousand dollars, of which you'd get a refund if the Astros won everything. So a lot of people came down and did that, figuring that that's a pretty good deal. Also, you could also, uh, if you want to take the variance out of it as a customer, then you could place uh, a bet on the Nationals. So either way, that you were going to uh, get some money back if you had bought those mattresses there. So this is basically what McInvale did in the reverse. He put $13 million on the Astros because he was going to have to give away a lot of money back to people who had bought these mattresses from him if the Astros won. So this was basically hedging what he did there. So this way, if the Astros win, he gets his $13 million from the casino, or maybe, I guess, not $13, 13 million divided by 1.1, I assume. Or not one point. Whatever their odds were. I guess their odds were about minus 200. So I don't know when he placed these bets. But, oh, sorry, he, I see. He placed a 3.5 million, I see it right here, 3.5 million bet in early October. So he got better odds then. And then later on he added more. So it, the farther the Astros got, the the more, the less he was going to get back because the odds were worse and worse as far as the payout, because they're more likely to win the farther they get. If you bet on them at the very beginning before they've even played one playoff game, then you get better odds on them. So I, I don't know what his return is going to be on that $13 million, but he bet that $13 million to get back many millions of dollars if the Astros won, in which case he'd have to give back a bunch of money to people from his mattress store who bought mattresses there. That's what this was. This was a hedge. But still, why would he do that? Why do this at all? Like, either way, you can say he's going to lose. Either he's going to lose this $13 million that he put on the Astros, which he did. So $13 million is gone that he put on the Astros. Or he has to give a bunch of money back, probably many millions of dollars, to people who bought these mattresses if the Astros win. So what was the real purpose? Why do this at all? Well... You have to know the mattress industry. The mattress industry is kind of shady and gimmicky. And it's very easy to overpay for a mattress if you don't know what you're doing. The mattress industry is actually one of the few industries left in the U.S. where you can bargain. And if you don't bargain, you're going to get a terrible deal. You're going to get ripped off. Much much worse than not bargaining on your car, where you also get ripped off if you don't bargain. But in, with mattresses, you can really overpay. If you don't bargain, if you just walk in and, and, and pay the price that's on the mattress, you're getting ripped off. And a lot of people don't even know this because most retail stores in the U.S., you can't walk in and negotiate. But mattresses, you can. And in, in some places, furniture, you can, too. But mattresses, you just about always can. So. I don't know if you are able to bargain and still get this promo or if you have to buy the mattresses at the price they quote. But even if you don't, if you're spending $3,000 there, he's making enough of a profit on you because there's only so far he's going to go down as far as the price he's going to give you. It's up to him how far he wants to go down. He can say no, of course. 
So he could have just decided that, especially during this period, that he's not going to go down very far, and he's going to make a lot of profit on each mattress sold. And knowing this is going to bring a lot of people in, he could have, if he could have in fact, raised his prices and, and not bargained at all. Who knows what he did? He just said, look, if you got you got to spend $3,000. But it doesn't take a genius to know you can just go bet back the other side and, and get a guaranteed discount on your mattress. So if he jacks the prices up enough on his mattresses or just won't bargain, then this can be worth it to him. Also, this is good publicity. This brings a lot of attention to his mattress store. So that's that's what this was all about. It, it was just a trick to sell more mattresses. I don't know if he even had anything real. It's possible the amount he bet was exactly what he needed to bet to where it didn't matter either way. Between the amount he'd be giving in refunds and what he'd lose to the sports book, it, it, he may have bet the exact amount to where the outcome didn't matter. So it's kind of weird to be holding $13 million in bets on the Astros and not even care that they blew the lead. But that's very possible what happened. So a lot of times there's a story behind these big bets. There's also people who've placed big bets. This is totally different than what he did, but there are bookies that will place very large bets at casinos in order to just lay off action. So there's bookies that have a live one a customer who loses a lot, who likes to bet big, and they don't want to tell the customer, hey, look, you're betting too big for what I can handle. Uh, so sorry, I, I can't take your action anymore. What they do is they take the person's big action, and then they're not risking that much money because that maybe they'll go lay off uh, 90% of it at uh, an actual sports book. They'll bet it themselves. So this way the... Uh, so that's where this type of stuff happens, where sometimes these very large bets at sports books are actually just uh, hedging or, or laying off action. But when viewed by themselves, you, you, you think there's these crazy gamblers. So you could have a guy who's, who's showing you million-dollar sports tickets, and you think, wow, this guy must be rich. Or wow, this guy must win a fortune betting sports. When it, when in reality, this could just be uh, someone who's laying off action. This is going to be a bookie who's laying off the vast majority of the action he's taking from from one of his customers. So you never know. You never know. A lot of things in the gambling world are a facade. Well, that's it for tonight. Thank you for joining me. And we'll be back next week, as we always are. I think Friday's going to be our new day. The show used to be, I think we've had every day of the week as our regular day, except uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. We started Tuesday. And the funny thing, we started Tuesday actually because Dockdown Radio was on Wednesday, and we didn't want to we didn't want to make people choose between us and Dockdown Radio, since they... They had existed before we did. Of course, I used to be part of it, too, and then I left. So I, I didn't want to be seen like I was trying to make you choose between me or Dockdown Radio, so we, we picked Tuesday instead. Then Dockdown ceased to exist, so then we said, well, we might as well move to Wednesday. We prefer that day. Then 
Wednesday was our regular day for a very long time, and then I started just doing it more often on Thursday. So Thursday was kind of the regular day. And then Thursday's become Friday recently, and I've just kind of stuck to Friday. And there's a few reasons why Friday is actually better for me from a personal standpoint. Well, one of them is Trader Ruski can stay up later, though tonight he disappeared on us. He probably just conked out. But what is good about Friday is that uh, Benjamin doesn't have school the next day and uh, Benjamin's mom doesn't have work the next day. And this way, and and there's there's things, there's fewer things I have to do during the week. So if I stay up very late during this show that I don't have to worry about uh, being as tired because this doesn't all end when I turn off the show. I have to, I have to, I've been actually doing some editing recently, not, not editing anything out that you'd want to hear. I actually edit things that you don't want to hear. Uh, long pauses, long waits, the dead air, uh, Skype problems, just, just crap in the show that doesn't sound good. I don't ever edit out any real content. Like even if there's some segment I didn't like or what, I'm not going to edit it out. It's going to stay as is. But I'll edit out the total crap that's just slowing down the broadcast and making it sound worse. So I actually will do that. I'll, I'll kind of note during the show what I want to go back and fix. And then I have to do the time stamping and the uploading to the archives. This all takes time. So a lot of times I don't get into bed until uh, the morning, like the sun's rising. And it's, it's better for that to be on the weekends. So that's, I think we'll stick with Friday for a while. Some some weeks we may have to change it if I can't make it Friday. But for the foreseeable future, this should be Friday. For the Thanksgiving week, the actual Black Friday, we may have to change that. I don't think I can make Friday that week. I may have to do Wednesday on that one. We'll fall blind. Maybe we'll do Saturday. I don't know. We will find a way to do it. We'll find something to do. I'd like to thank the World Series of Poker for screwing up and giving us that topic today and having it come out right on Friday. It couldn't have been better. Oh, has radio been down? No, it's up. Someone someone asked, did I take radio down by entering the chat room? People always scare me with, oh, is radio down? I go, oh, my God, I've been talking for an hour, but not, not looking, it's been down. But no, it's up. It is up. Hopefully it's been up. Hopefully it didn't go down and come back up. I guess I'll find out the bad news soon, if there is any bad news to be found. That's it. We we had a pretty long show tonight. Looks like about uh, six hours. You may have noticed I didn't take a break either. No break. Six hours straight of talking. Which is tough. It's not. It's not an easy thing to do. Try it. Try. Try just sitting there talking straight for six hours. The only breaks I had were when I was playing those clips, and I could sometimes let them run for a little bit before stopping and interrupting them. That's it. Otherwise, just six hours straight of talking. Sometimes I'm surprised you people want to listen to me just rattle on for six hours. Sometimes I'm surprised that you want to tolerate that. That you actually knowingly download this show or turn it on live to hear me just going off for six hours. 
Nathan. That doesn't sound very appealing to me. I don't think I could listen to a six-hour radio show. I really don't. I, I don't think I want to listen to me for six hours. If you could wipe my brain and make me forget the stuff I said on the show, I really don't think I'd go back and listen to myself for six hours. Though there will be times when I'll hear like an old segment I totally forgot I did from years ago. And I forget the story and I, I want to hear like the way it plays out. And I'll be hearing myself. And I go, oh, this is pretty interesting. I kind of want to hear how this ends. And I, like, I, want to, I want to know the detail. Like, I don't want to turn it off. Like, oh, this is why people want to listen. Okay, cool. But of course, it's, it's easy to appeal to myself. Because like, I speak, when I listen to myself speak, I, I hear the way things are presented the way I'd want to hear them because it's me. So I still can't judge myself as well as others can judge me. I try to keep that in mind as well. Well, enough reflection here. We'll be back probably in a week on Friday, November 15th, 2019. Thank you for listening tonight. Thank you, Trader Ruski, for being on the show. Thank you, Eric Bensamokin and the other free roller donors. We'll be back. Shalom. <laughs>